Good morning. <clears throat> Welcome to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors Land Use and Economic Development Committee. I am Scott Weiner, the chairman of the committee. To my left is uh, Supervisor Malia Cohen. Uh, our committee vice chair, Supervisor Jane Kim, will be joining us uh, shortly. Um, our clerk today is Andrea Osbury, and I want to thank SFGTV, specifically Jim Smith, for broadcasting today's hearing. Um, I want to note uh, for members of the public in attendance, uh, it doesn't look like we need it uh, quite yet, but we, if uh, we do reach capacity in the seating area of uh, this board chambers, uh, then we will have an overflow room in the south uh, light court. Um, and I also just want to note uh, in terms of our agenda today, we'll be hearing the first two items and then we will begin hearing item three uh, relating to short-term uh, rentals. Uh, and then uh, if we don't finish that by 1.30, at 1.30 we do have a special order, uh, which will be uh, items four and five uh, relating uh, to interim controls uh, in a portion of the south of market area. Uh, and we will go to that. And then after that is done, we will return to short-term rentals uh, to complete it. Um, I also just want to uh, remind people of our uh, board rule, uh, which is uh, for people not to make audible either approval or disapproval sounds, cheering or booing or hissing and so forth, um, because it does disrupt the proceedings and it uh, uh, makes it sometimes challenging for people to have equal time to make their public comments. Uh, and so we would ask that if you do want to express approval or disapproval to do it in a silent way, the thumbs up, the thumbs down, uh, or, and so forth. Uh, Madam Clerk, are there any announcements? Yes. Please silence all electronic devices. Completed speaker cards and copies of any documents to be included as part of the file should be submitted to the clerk. Items acted upon today will appear on October 7th, 2014, Board of Supervisors Agenda, unless otherwise stated. Thank you very much. Uh, Madam Clerk, will you please call item number one? Item number one is a resolution supporting and encouraging development of policy to prohibit the transportation and ex export of hazardous materials. And <clears throat> Supervisor Cohen is the author of item number one. And Madam Clerk, I'd like to add my name as a co-sponsor. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Supervisor Cohen. Thank you very much. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Um, colleagues, thank you for hearing this important item today. The, res the resolution that you have before you builds off the work that has already been done by our Department of the Environment, um, the Commission on the Environment, as, as well as the Port, to advance policies that prohibit the transport of incredibly hazardous materials such as crude oil, coal, and pet coke. These industrial hazardous materials pose a significant threat to our communities as well as to our environment. And shipments of these materials are increasing throughout the country, including in Northern California, and have resulted in more than one million gallons of spilled crude oil from rail cars in the last four decades. Now, while the media and the public attention uh, is mostly focused on the real estate of the waterfront development, our port still has an incredible industrial and maritime development potential. A few months ago, I was approached by, in, <clears throat> excuse me, by environmental and community advocates who expressed some concerns about uh, the development of the new bulk cargo facility uh, at Pier 96. Now, specifically, 
that it might one day be used to transport these hazardous materials. Now, while our port and Port Commission has demonstrated a phenomenal leadership ability um, to guide us through this area uh, by constantly, consistently rejecting proposals from companies who are seeking to transport these materials through our terminals. And as policymakers, I see it as our job to ensure that this policy continues to be applied long after we're all gone from this current leadership and um, long after the current leadership of the port has moved on. Now, it's no secret that the low-income communities of colors, particularly those like the Bayview community who've already suffered from environmental impacts of hazardous industries, would bear the brunt of this type of activity. So this resolution is very simple. It's very clean. It simply requests that the city department continue to formalize their leadership in this area and develop a set of policies to, and regulations for the board of supervisors on how we can continue, how we can continue to prohibit the transport of these hazardous materials into our city. Now I don't believe that we have yet have all of the answers as to how to best go about doing this. But I do think that it is important for this legislative body for the city and county of San Francisco to begin to express a strong opposition to these materials of, of, of having um, a negative impact that they will have, expressing a strong opposition that the negative impact that these materials will have on our communities as well as our environment. We do have uh, Brad Benson with us here today. Brad, where are you? There you are, Brad. Great. Brad is a representative from the port who is going to provide this committee uh, with a briefing on their current plans for Pier, for Pier 96 and some of the measures that they're looking at to help prevent the transport of these materials in San Francisco. Brad, thank you for coming. Welcome. Good afternoon, Supervisor Cohen, Supervisor Weiner. Um, Brad Benson representing Modi Moyer, um, um, the port's executive director. Um, and Supervisor Cohen, we want to thank you for bringing this item forward. Um, essentially, this is about what kind of port the city and county of San Francisco wants to have. Um, and um, I've, I've got a short presentation. I'll try and keep it to about five minutes. Uh, we've got the director of the Department of the Environment, Debbie Raffel, here to, to speak as well. Um, and if I could ask for the clerk to present the turn on the PowerPoint. Okay, great. So, um, uh, Supervisor Cohen is correct. Um, you know, we have a lot of distinct areas along the waterfront. We have more of a mixed-use northern waterfront area. This map shows in white the port's jurisdiction, uh, running from uh, Fisherman's Wharf down to uh, Pier 96 in Heron's Head Park. Uh, the area that we're talking about today is really the area um, shown in that white circle at the bottom of this slide uh, around Islas Creek. It's uh, Pier 80 and uh, through 96 terminals uh, that the port operates, and they're active marine terminals, cargo terminals, uh, that I'll describe in a little bit more detail. So the port has a very 
very uh, diverse maritime uh, line. We have 14 maritime business lines uh, in the southern waterfronts. We're handling uh, bulk cargoes uh, at our piers 92 through 96 terminals, um, primarily focused around sand that is mined from the bay and aggregate uh, that are uh, then sent to concrete batching companies that are located on port property. Um, and um, this is part of a broader sort of maritime and eco-industrial park complex that we are developing in this area. Um, we've introduced major parks like Heron's Head Park and the Pier 94 wetlands. Uh, we have the city's recycling facility in this area. Uh, and we try to co-locate businesses that use each other's products in a way that minimizes truck trips and the associated air pollution in the area. Um, so the opportunity that we're, we're currently considering for this area is an iron ore terminal. Uh, it's a very clean operation. It's different than the kinds of coal, pet coke, and oil terminals that the resolution is concerned with. And I'll come back and describe how it's different and how we can make sure that it's different in just a moment. So first about coal. Um, uh, there, as Supervisor Cohen mentioned, uh, uh, there have been big fights around coal export at a number of West Coast ports. Uh, environmentalists have been working to make sure that they, you know, they can fight the environmental impacts of these, these facilities. Coal is a major contributor to greenhouse gases. Um, it's, um, it's classified as a hazardous material. So, um, coal dust is flammable. Uh, when you develop it, uh, a, a terminal to handle these materials, it has to be designed according to certain national electrical codes to deal with the explosive risk. Um, uh, trains carrying coal often do so uncovered, uh, you know, introducing dust uh, to surrounding communities. Um, uh, in terms of oil, um, oil requires very complicated infrastructure. Um, whether you're importing or exporting oil, uh, you need access to uh, wharves in the bay, um, a very, very expensive infrastructure to uh, contain the oil while it's waiting for uh, export or pending its delivery inland. Um, uh, and and we don't think that this is appropriate for San Francisco. The Port of San Francisco is surrounded by mixed-use neighborhoods, uh, and uh, introducing this kind of hazardous material to the port would be inappropriate. Uh, pet coke, the port has not really known a lot about pet coke in the past. We know that it's handled by some regional uh, ports um, close to existing refineries in the Bay Area, and that makes sense because uh, it's a byproduct of refining. Um, pet coke has many of the same risks and hazards associated with coal. Um, it's a highly flammable material. Um, uh, on this slide, in the bottom left-hand side, you can see uh, that it's very prone to dust. Uh, this is an image from the Midwest near some uh, uh, piles of pet coke where wind is kicking up hazardous dust. Um, not the kind of material that we would want to handle uh, at the Port of San Francisco. Um, and it's like uh, uh, coal on steroids in terms of its impact uh, in climate change. It's very high in carbon content. It's a very dirty fuel uh, and contributes significantly to sea level rise and other impacts associated with climate change. So this is where we're looking at uh, an iron ore 
ore terminal at Pier 96. It's really our last remaining bulk terminal opportunity. All the other uh, uh, terminals are leased up on a long-term basis. Um, and um, uh, why are we looking at iron ore instead of coal? Um, uh, because one, iron ore is, a, uh, we think that there's a long-range market for it. Uh, there's capacity out of the Nevada mines to produce this material for up to 30 years. It's obviously exported uh, to the Far East for uh, um, steel uh, manufacture. This is, when you develop a terminal like this, it's a 30-year investment, and we need to be sure that there's a long-term market for the product that it's handling. Coal, we're not so certain that that's a, a long-term market. Um, there's community acceptance at our Southern Waterfront Advisory Committee and Maritime Commerce Advisory Committee. We're proximate to the market for iron ore. Uh, it's not combustible. It's inert. Uh, it doesn't significantly contribute to climate change or to sea level rise. So these are all of the business and environmental reasons that the port prefers iron ore over these other commodities. Um, going to how iron ore is handled, because it can't be exposed to moisture, uh, it needs to be protected from the elements during the entire transportation of the product. So it's, it's typically transported in covered rail cars. It's stored in covered sprung structures uh, and conveyed to ship systems in a way that is covered as well. So uh, we are very concerned about dust at the Port of San Francisco. We think that this is a product that can be moved without creating dust impacts on our local community. Um, and also, facility designed this way cannot be used to handle coal or pet coke because it doesn't have those uh, those special electrical code provisions uh, that are required for ha uh, handling highly flammable or explosive materials. So to implement your policy, Supervisor, here's what we propose to do. Um, we're going to uh, pursue a competitive bid for iron, an iron ore terminal. Coal, pet coke, and oil will be disallowed uh, in that competitive process. In terms of the environmental review with the planning department, we propose to perform CEQA only on iron ore handling and not on products like coal, pet coke, and oil. So there will not be a CEQA clearance for handling those materials. We'll use our contract, the terminal operator agreement, to prohibit the handling of coal, pet coke, and oil uh, for the term of the contract and the facility will be designed for iron ore and not designed for these other materials. So um, uh, we appreciate the opportunity to talk with you about our plans for clean maritime activities in the southern waterfront and welcome your, your feedback. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, thanks. Thank you, Brad. It was good to uh, hear that report. We have another report. Yeah. Debbie Raffel, Department of the Environment. Hi, Debbie. Uh, good, good morning, Supervisors. Thank you for uh, allowing us to have this opportunity to have this conversation. Very quickly, I just wanted to uh, put that context that the Department of the Environment started the conversation with our commission, and the president of our commission is here today uh, to, uh, valid, to talk about uh, his role in that. 
What our role has been since that point is to continue the conversation, to bring together the uh, activist community, concerned citizens, as well as the port. This is clearly a port jurisdictional area. Our purpose is to drive the conversation and bring in as many voices as possible. We believe that the solution that the port has offered to you today and illustrated is a great first step. And I think the thing that's important to note here is that the documents that the port is putting together, this contract language, this CEQA language, can be used as a model for other jurisdictions that also want to have bulk facilities in their port areas, but want to make sure that those bulk facilities don't transition from something inert into coal or, or pet coke or oil. So the documents, the work that we're doing in San Francisco, we believe has relevance to be replicated throughout the west coast of this uh, of the country. And furthermore, it gives us some time to step back and take a look at our legal possibilities to uh, further the policy statement beyond this. But it's a great first step, and it's one that the department is very excited to work with the port on. So thank you. Great. Thank you very much. Let's see if the president of the Environmental Commission, Josh Arce, good to see you. Why don't you Hi, Supervisor. Thank you very much for, for calling this hearing for the resolution. Joshua Arce, I serve as the president of the San Francisco Commission on the Environment. And our director, Debbie Raffel, just mentioned that something that happened, which we were really excited about when you started this conversation with the board, Supervisor Cohen, was the legal due diligence and regulatory due diligence. And there's nothing that can really prompt examining your possibilities and your options, like hearing that a supervisor at the Board of Supervisors has taken up this issue and is calling a hearing and wanting to hear how we're doing on it. And I think the thing that's key in this is that really the port has been demonstrating the type of leadership you saw today and putting together what is really a first-in-the-nation type of proposal with respect to the Pier 96 facility that still has some things that we have to do to make it work, but really is unprecedented. To have a prohibited use around these dirty fossil fuel burning materials really is unprecedented. And I know that at the Environment Commission, when we start our conversation in the spring, it was really about uplifting the leadership by the Port Commission, Port Director, Monique Moyer, staff folks like Brad, uh, Jay Ock, um, Jim Maloney, folks that have been saying no to these materials time and time again. Well, now, as you said, Supervisor Cohen, you've given us a forum to make this official, starting with this facility at Pier 96. It's not just environmental. It's an environmental justice measure. The communities that stand to be polluted, as you said, are in your district with the handling and the transportation of these materials. That's apart from the end use and creating the type of greenhouse gas emissions and climate change impacts that we're talking about. So I know that uh, there's a lot of excitement over at the Environment Commission because it's, it's what we want to do. We want to have community. We want to have workers. We want to have collaboration. And uh, we couldn't thank you enough for calling this hearing for your leadership that got us to today and got us to thinking creatively about something we're really excited about and thinking through where this is going to go in the next steps as we work with you and with the port to really do something really special. It already is. It's just going to get better. Great. Thank you very much, Mr. President. Okay, uh, Mr. Chair. Mr. Chair, I think we, can, we are ready for public comment. Okay. Um, I don't have any public comment cards on item number one. Um, so if there uh, is anyone who would like to make public comment on item number one, uh, please come up and please uh, line up, and we will call you in the order that you line up. Uh, so public comment will be two minutes. Uh, go ahead. I got to 
uh, five of them together surrounding me uh, last few days ago after uh, uh, departing San Francisco back to El Cerrito near Richmond City. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, I talk too much in, uh, on bar train uh, to all, all the uh, passengers, you know, because I'm a, a holy commissioner, uh, a, a holy missionary commissioner, so I have to uh, perform my pitching everywhere. Uh, at least I've acquired a better skill of uh, pitching to the people, you know, not just the way of uh, uh, Christian uh, Catholic unity way, but uh, even Taoism, Confucianism, Buddhism. Uh, the principle in uh, holy way in study. I also have to perform the talk of the holy study. So I just got to get. I, I'm not sure this is really taken now, but I'm side side already. See, I have a period court, uh, the Richmond court, municipal court. Thank I you. Can. Next speaker. Oh, oh. No, not yet. Oh, oh. Oh, okay. Oh, oh. Yeah. Next speaker. <laughs> Good morning, supervisors. My name is Jackie Flynn. I'm the executive director of the A. Philip Randolph Institute, San Francisco. I'm here in support of the city's effort to a cleaner San Francisco. Um, this summer, I ran a youth enrichment program with 10 high school students that became environmental stewards for the port's properties along the southeast waterfront. They not only kept the area clean, but they learned much more about the way, the way they look at Cargo Way and Illinois Street. We teach them to invest in our neighborhoods by protecting and beautifying our environment. We can no longer be blind to the effects of industry. I want to applaud the city for starting with, starting with the port and the Department of Environment um, for their effort, along with you, Supervisor Cohen, to lead uh, effort to prevent coal and other toxic substances from being transported through Bayview Hunters Point. This has been a diligent effort to work alongside community and a continued effort to engage the most important stakeholders, our residents. It isn't a secret that Bayview has been disproportionately exposed to toxic particles. Today we have a huge opportunity to improve the culture of environmental advocacy, to rethink the way we use the land in our city and create a culture where we come together not just in conversation but take action to protect the future of our families. Thank you again for your time and to the port, the Department of Environment, Supervisor Cohen, you're awesome. Thanks for your lead and I'm glad to hear your support, Supervisor Weiner. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Good morning. My name is uh, Diego Hernandez, and I'm the organizer for Labor's Local 261. And I'm here on behalf of our 5,000 men and women in the construction industry that we represent, many of whom will be employed uh, at Pier 96 uh, cargo facility when it's built. Uh, thanks, uh, Supervisor Cohen, for calling this hearing. It uh, gave us a chance to go back um, and talk to our members about this uh, project and this proposed uh, policy. Uh, just as several years ago when we asked our members if they would support building uh, new uh, power plants in the Bayview in order to replace uh, old Portrero plant, we asked our members if they would uh, be interested to build uh, a facility that could one day be used to handle coal. Our members are very uh, excited to build Pier 96, but it just, just like they said no to building uh, power plants, they say no uh, to, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place here. Um, they say no to handle, uh, they said no uh, to a facility that could one day use uh, coal, handle coal. Our, uh, our members are very excited. 
Sorry. Uh, so Local 261's position uh, is that we won't support building any new facility that could one day use to export coal or other materials that harm the, the community and the environment. I want to thank the, the Port of Department for uh, your leadership and uh, Supervisor Cohen and uh, Supervisor Wiener. And the Labor's Local 261 offers uh, our support. Thank you. Thank you very much. Is there any additional public comment on item number one? Yes, I'm David Grace. Uh, I've uh, been keeping track of some of the hazmat in the Hunters Point shipyard for many years, and the, uh, looking at the map that was presented, I see it's in proximity to it. So I'm not certain whether or not there have been studies if, if some sort of ferrous content uh, fell overboard, let's say, and mixed with some of the hazmat of the, uh, the Hunters Point shipyard. Mm -hmm. Uh, many people don't realize that when the uh, Bikini Island Atoll H-bomb uh, testing happened, they would bring those ships back to San Francisco and sandblast off the cupric oxide, the uh, all sorts of different toxic chemicals, the, uh, the lead paint. Uh, then there were radioactive isotopes. They would have uh, guinea pigs and goats and sheep inside these uh, ships that would be exposed to the H-bomb uh, testing, and then they would just dump those carcasses into the bay. Now, it's my understanding the Navy and the Atomic Energy Commission of the day never wanted to do a site study because they were afraid that by doing core samples, that the mixture of all of this uh, radioactive and, and uh, heavy metal uh, slop that was dumped into the shipyard uh, would explode. And so they've never done a, uh, an environmental impact study of what's in there. So I'm just concerned that any ferrous content might mix. Maybe we should get a, a full study from the Navy before we start. Thank you. I have no uh, thank you very much. Are there, are there any other members of the public that would like to comment on this item? Is there any additional public comment on item one? Seeing none, public comment is closed. <laughs> Supervisor Cohen. Great. Thank you very much. I want to just recognize the, um, the port, uh, the Department of the Environment, as well as their respective commissions. Thank you for helping us craft this resolution. also want to recognize the community act activism and leadership that has manifest through this process, particularly calling out Jackie Flynn and APRI, as well as Local 261. Thank you for your support. Um, I don't want to reiterate all the points that we've already mentioned, but I do want to stress how important I think it is for this body to take in a position <clears throat> on this issue and work and continue to work with city departments to identify and implement strategies that will prevent the transport of these materials into our city. So at this time, I'd like to make a motion to that we send this item forward with a positive recommendation. Okay, Supervisor Cohen has made a motion to forward item one to the full board with positive recommendation, and uh, we can take that without objection. Oh, one, thank you very much for the positive recommendation. I also would just like to thank Supervisor Avalos for his sponsorship as well. It's yours. Thank you. Thank you. Madam Clerk, will you please call item number two? Item number two is an ordinance amending the planning code to amend the definition of residential unit and conversion requirements. Uh, thank you. And Supervisor Avalos is the author of item number two. Jeremy Pollock from his office is here. Mr. Pollock. 
Good afternoon, Supervisors. Uh, Jeremy Pollack, Legislative Aide to Supervisor Avalos. Uh, Supervisor Avalos regrets he couldn't be here. He has a uh, Bay Area Air Quality Management District Committee meeting happening right now. Uh, but uh, this is cleanup legislation to uh, legislation uh, the board approved last year uh, dealing with residential demolitions, mergers, and conversions. Um, the intent of that ordinance was to bring those controls more in line with the housing elements policies that had a strong presumption uh, for the preservation of existing housing. Um, however, after that ordinance was passed, the planning staff alerted us um, that there could have been uh, uh, inadvertently uh, a weakening of the controls that protect residential hotels from conversion to student housing. Uh, and so this ordinance just ensures that all conversions of uh, residential hotels will continue to be governed by Chapter 41 of the Administrative Code, uh, which is actually even stronger than the, the controls for uh, other residential demolitions, mergers, and conversions, which are governed by uh, Planning Code Section 317. Um, so last week, or I guess two weeks ago, the Planning Commission recommended approval of this ordinance, and uh, Emory Rogers from the Planning Department is here if you would like more information on it. Um, but uh, lastly, I'd just like to clarify the one question we've heard from a few members of the public was uh, whether this ordinance had anything to do with the short-term rentals provision that you're going to be hearing tomorrow. Uh, we checked with planning staff and the city attorney have both assured us that uh, this is completely unrelated to short-term rentals. Uh, and this is just um, making sure that the, the existing con uh, controls for any conversions of residential hotels continue to be in place. Uh, and I'd be happy to answer any questions, or uh, you can uh, speak with uh, Mr. Rogers, who can uh, further clarify the, the ordinance. Thank you, Mr. Pollock. Uh, if there are no questions, um, then I guess we'll proceed to public comment, unless the planning department had any comments to make. Uh, good morning, committee members. Amory Rogers, planning department staff. I just wanted to quickly note that this is an example of how a seemingly small, inconsequential change that was uh, made at a hearing can turn out to have big policy implications. And in this case, why uh, the Planning Commission and the Board assumed that they were making controls stronger to prevent the loss of housing, this change would have removed SRO or residential hotels from the definition of residential use in the Planning Code, which would have allowed them to be converted to student housing, uh, and that was contrary to earlier actions by both the Planning Commission and the Planning Board. So we do appreciate uh, this amendment that would fix this error, and we recommend that the Planning Commission recommended unanimous, or not unanimously, but uh, six to one vote for the Board to make this amendment today. Okay, thank you very much. With that, we will open item number two up for public comment. I have two public comment cards, Aaron McElroy and Andrew Zato. Rosito, excuse me. Um, you can uh, uh, come up. I, I'm sorry, I called two names. Can you, can you please step back? Because I called the names. Please step back. Um, the two names that I called are either of them here. Okay, so they're not. So if there's anyone else who would like to make public comment on item two, you can come up now. Now you can. Uh, good morning, uh, Sponsor Scavina. Uh, uh, nice to see you again uh, on this uh, Monday morning. We uh, have a simple question regarding uh, um, the November relation. Uh, are you going to have a relation to November, Sponsor uh, Scavina? I asked every single person that I can't get a, a right answer. Somebody, again, uh, provides such an uh, answer for me. Um, suppose you are like, uh, what if a relation this November? Is it correct? Uh, yes or no? Oh, oh. Please, please proceed with your public comments. Uh, okay. uh, I don't hear you. Are you aware? What if we election this November uh, for you? Uh, alongside with Sponsor Murray Cohen. Please proceed with your public comment. You have two minutes. 
Honestly, are you going to have a re-election this November for a second term as vice well term? I know America won't have a re-election, but I know about you. Are you done with your public comment? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Thank you. Okay, uh, is there any additional public comment on item number two? Okay, seeing none, we'll close public comment. Okay, Supervisor Cohen, could I have a motion to forward item two to the full board with positive recommendation? Yes, I'd like to make a motion to forward this. Okay, resume. and without objection, that will be the order. Uh, Madam Clerk, will you please call item number three? Item number three is an ordinance amending the administrative and planning codes regulating short-term residential rentals and establishing an application fee. Okay. Um, so we held a hearing on item number three two weeks ago. We made, uh, I think, one or a few amendments and then continued it for two weeks. And so we're resuming this uh, today. Uh, President Chu is the author of, uh, of item number three. I understand he'll be here momentarily. Here he is. And so um, we'll, uh, I'll give, uh, I, I know that we are, there are several amendments that um, may be offered today, which we can describe at the beginning and then take action on or not take action on after public comment. Um, so, uh, President Chu, uh, would you like to make any uh, introductory remarks? Thank you, colleagues, for your consideration again of our proposal. And I also want to just take another moment and thank everyone who has been involved in the last uh, couple of years and particularly over the last six months in moving forward this conversation from tenants and landlords, uh, the hotel community, uh, neighborhood advocates, the home sharing community, the planning department, department of building inspection, city attorney, uh, all of the commissioners at various departments, as well as I want to thank my aide Amy Chan who has been point person on this issue for the better part of two years. Let me just start with a couple of preliminary comments again to remind us of where we are today. Uh, everyone in this room, in this chamber, agrees that the status quo is not working when it comes to short-term rentals in San Francisco. We need a regulatory and an enforcement framework on how we move forward with considering activity around short-term rentals in San Francisco that does not exist today. As I've said before, the underlying value of our legislation is to address this activity in the context of our city's affordability crisis. How do we af all afford to live in our city? And as I have also said before, this legislation really addresses that question in two major respects. It would forbid this activity uh, for those individuals that are engaging in short-term rentals in a way that is displacing permanent San Franciscans, pushing San Franciscans out of San Francisco. Whether you are a landlord who is Ellis acting an entire building for full-time hotelization of your building, whether you're a tenant who is utilizing multiple leases to establish full-time year-round beds and breakfasts, our legislation would, for the first time, establish an enforcement and a regulatory structure to apply $1,000 per day fines or potential criminal penalties if you engage in that activity. On the other hand, we have all heard that short-term rentals and home sharing has allowed many struggling San Franciscans to afford to live in our city. Seniors on a fixed income, students, 
working families traveling for vacation, workers who are commuting for their jobs, artists, and others. Our legislation says that if you are a permanent resident, and that is to define, be defined as an individual who lives in our city at least nine months of the year, and if you play by the rules, and those rules being you need to register with our city so that if there are any issues, we can uh, address them. You need to pay your full share of taxes, which would likely mean tens of millions of dollars of taxes to the city yearly, as long as you pay liability insurance, and as long as you're not undermining life safety rules, rent control laws, and others, uh, you would be permitted to engage in a limited amount of activity. Now, I also want to thank uh, colleagues here at Land Use, as well as uh, all the members of the public and various stakeholders who have brought up and proposed amendments to address concerns that weren't addressed in the initial version of our legislation that we introduced way back in April. And let me summarize some of the changes that we have made. We have addressed concerns brought by the affordable housing community, specifically excluding BMR units, SRO units, and reinforcing the exclusion of subsidized and affordable housing. We've also addressed concerns raised about building and life safety concerns. Our legislation now says that if you have any violations, building codes, electrical, plumbing, fire, health, housing, planning issues, you will be denied permission to be a host. And if it turns out that new violations arise, this permission, any permission granted to you to be a host, uh, will, be, uh, will be taken away. We've heard concerns from landlords, and to address them, we have required that landlords be notified if tenants register as a host. And we've made it clear that this law does not write in any new rights into landlord-tenant leases. We've addressed concerns that were raised by neighborhood advocates and neighborhood associations, that homeowner association agreements or CCNRs, covenants, conditions, or restrictions not be impacted. Our legislation was also amended to regulate single-family homes. And we have many new provisions in the several uh, rounds of amendments that we've made to strengthen enforcement. So first and foremost, the enforcement agency will be the planning department, not the Department of Building Inspection, as both departments uh, had requested. We increased fines for multiple and repeat offenses, doubling the fines for second offenses, tripling the fines for third offenses. We required that the planning department issue registration numbers that hosts are required to include when they rent out their spaces. We strengthened the primary residence requirement to require that only uh, one application would be permitted for every permanent resident. And then we also made it very clear that hosting platforms would be subject to enforcement procedures for various violations. Now, as you can imagine, we've continued to hear about other concerns, and I do have several additional amendments that I would like to propose today to further improve enforcement. Uh, and these are amendments that were offered to us by members of the public, as well as, in particular, by the Planning Department. And I want to thank the Planning Department and the Planning Commission, as well as the Department of Building Inspection, for your feedback on this. A number of things. So first of all, uh, we would require every host to report at least two times a year the number of days that have been rented out on a short-term basis so that we really know uh, for every individual host whether they are in compliance with what we are proposing. We would also direct any potential civil or administrative penalties back to the planning department for enforcement purposes. 
Um, we've also been asked by the planning department, because it will take them some time to put a program into place, to establish an operative date for this program of February 1st of next year, to give them a couple of months so that they will be ready to actually enforce this in a proactive way, to give them time, if necessary, to adjust any fees, to cover the real costs of the department. Uh, and then one thing that's been suggested by all parties is that this legislation entail an annual report back to the Board of Supervisors that really summarizes any administration or enforcement issues uh, and also make recommendations for future amendments if necessary. Uh, I have uh, a series of amendments, colleagues, that I'll circulate to you to be considered when we take this matter up after public comment, but I just wanted at the beginning, at the outset, to summarize uh, some of the amendments that I would like us to consider, again, uh, addressing the concerns that we have continued to, uh, to hear. I also want to thank uh, the Department of Building Inspection for their presence here, Director Tom Huey and his staffers. Uh, if you will recall, two weeks ago when we were here at uh, the Land Use Committee, uh, there were a number of committee members that wanted to have an opportunity to talk and ask direct uh, questions directly of DBI. So we requested that they be present today to answer any questions you may have. And with that, colleagues, I want to thank you for your patience. Uh, I want to thank the public for your engagement on this issue. And um, why don't we proceed? Supervisor Cohen. I um, wanted to just to briefly talk about uh, one amendment that I uh, would like to talk, to, would add to this, um, for, to particular to this piece of legislation. Supervisor Chu, thank you very much for your leadership and to everyone that's been a part of this conversation, thank you. Uh, many of the concerns that I have really stem from, the, from um, what I've heard from my constituents, that in the event of an emergency, short-term renters may not know where some of the key life uh, safety features are. I would like to see, uh, I'd like to put forward an amendment for us to consider that requires that the host to post a notice inside their unit, I'm thinking it's most appropriate on the back of the front door, that details information and the location of the fire extinguishers in the unit or the building, the gas shutoff location, fire exits as well as egress, and any pull uh, fire alarms that are available in this uh, in the in the facility. I don't have the exact language prepared, but in my conversations with the city attorney, um, I believe that we can consider. I believe that we can consider what I proposed, um, and just laid out early. Just laid out should be adequate enough to, to begin to draft some lang language. Correct. All right, they're nodding, so that sounds great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Supervisor Cohen. Um, uh, so I, I want to just make a few introductory remarks and then talk about a couple of additional uh, amendments. Um, uh, and I, some of these are on the lines of what I mentioned at the beginning of the hearing last week. Uh, first of all, I want to thank uh, President Chu for taking on uh, this issue. This is uh, probably the most uh, convoluted uh, and challenging piece of legislation, uh, or, or one of them, certainly, that, that I've seen since being on the Board of Supervisors uh, over the past four years. Uh, it is uh, challenging politically because um, the, the politics actually don't break down along some of the traditional lines that we are, uh, are used to. You have uh, tenants on both sides of this issue. You have single-family homeowners on both sides of this issue. 
condo owners on both sides. Uh, you have uh, uh, landlords uh, on both sides. Uh, there's no clear breakdown. And I think it really, uh, in some ways, goes to the heart of uh, some of the housing um, uh, challenges that we have uh, in this city, challenges in terms of concerns about housing stock being used for purposes other than long-term residential use. Also housing concerns in terms of the ability of tenants and homeowners to make rent or to pay their uh, mortgage. Uh, we hear concerns about uh, units that are not being used primarily uh, for, uh, uh, for long-term residential use, concerns about neighborhood character in terms of uh, too many uh, hotel-like uses on a block. Uh, we also hear concerns from, uh, 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 for example, homeowners who tell us, this is how I make my mortgage, um, that not all homeowners are wealthy, uh, that this is, or this is how I'm able to put a new roof on my house or send the kids to college. It's a very, very difficult uh, issue. There is no uh, black and white uh, answer to it. And uh, so I, I want to just uh, uh, give President Chu credit and his staff credit for taking on this issue where you are never, ever going to make everyone happy, uh, where people, everyone's going to walk. If, if legislation passes, everyone's going to walk away uh, with things in that legislation that they like uh, and things that they uh, don't like. Uh, and that is always hard because we want to try to make everyone as satisfied as they can be. There is no resolution to this issue that is going to make everyone uh, satisfied. In fact, probably no resolution that's going to make anyone completely satisfied. The home sharing businesses, Airbnb and so forth, are going to walk away with things that they really, really don't like. Uh, people who are opposed to home sharing are going to walk away with things that they don't like. Uh, people who are doing home sharing are going to walk away with things that they don't like. But what we're trying to do is, uh, I think, strike a balance here. Uh, and, uh, and I, and I want to thank President Chu for trying to strike that uh, balance and for taking all the arrows that have been directed at him uh, from all sides in doing that, because uh, it, it's an inevitable type of thing, given how passionate everyone understandably is about this issue. Um, there are people who would like to see home sharing go away. It's not going away. Uh, as I said at the last hearing, the genie is out of the bottle. This is reality here in San Francisco and in many other cities in the U.S. and around the world. Uh, home sharing exists. It exists in apartment buildings. It ex exists in single-family homes. It exists in neighborhoods with and without CCNRs. Uh, it exists, and it's not going to go away. And what we're trying to do is to come up with a rational system uh, to make sure that it is not being abused and to make sure that it can be harmonized uh, with our larger uh, housing uh, goals. Um, uh, right now, uh, the situation is not tenable. Uh, because it, it, become, it, may, it's, it makes a farce of our planning code. Uh, it exists in a very significant way in San Francisco. It's technically illegal. It's in a gray area. Uh, and, and, there's, and, and, we, and when you have something uh, that exists uh, that's not going away uh, but is not recognized by the law, you end up having significant problems because it exists in the shadows. It's time to bring it out of the shadows. It's time to put some reasonable limits on it so it's not being abused and so that we can let this exist without undermining other uh, housing goals. Uh, two weeks ago, I offered an amendment that the committee accepted uh, to automatically trigger notification of landlords when any tenant in their building uh, files to register uh, their unit to do short-term uh, rentals. Um, I understand that there are uh, landlords who want 
to have the law require landlord permission, uh, but I think notification uh, achieves a significant goal in making sure landlords know what is going on in their building. The, the, lease, uh, the leases that landlords have with their tenants either have subletting restrictions or they don't. Uh, the city shouldn't be rewriting uh, those restrictions or lack thereof. Landlords can then decide uh, how to approach the situation. Uh, the landlord notification provision also benefits tenants. Uh, I have heard uh, of and heard from tenants who have been promptly evicted uh, after uh, putting their unit on a short-term rental uh, site. Uh, many tenants, I think, don't even know that they can be promptly evicted uh, for doing that. And requiring landlord notification uh, helps us to avoid uh, that consequence, so that if the landlord has an issue, the landlord can go to the tenant and say, I have an issue with what you're doing, and I'm going to take action if you do it. And so the tenant can actually learn up front whether uh, this is something that the landlord will use as a basis to evict instead of learning about it when they get the notice of eviction uh, posted on their door. Um, so that was adopted by the committee two weeks ago, and I think it's a, it was a good amendment. Um, there are two additional amendments that I'm going to be offering today, which I've distributed. And for all these amendments, uh, we will take them up after public comment. Uh, one is uh, something that I proposed uh, two weeks ago, but that uh, we needed to tighten up some of the language, and that is around insurance, uh, clarifying insurance requirements and increasing insurance requirements. Uh, the legislation as proposed required insurance uh, of $150,000. Uh, the amendment will increase that to $500,000. The legislation will also, the amendment, excuse me, will also clarify um, that the, uh, the uh, uh, Insurance will have to cover the property owner and other tenants in the uh, in the building uh, as additional uh, insureds, and so I have distributed that language. And then finally, um, a uh, a minor amendment requested by the planning department: uh, the fee that we're setting. Uh, we had discussion about what's the appropriate level of the fee two weeks ago, uh, and the the legislation delegates to the controller's office the responsibility and the power to make periodic adjustments uh, to the fee based on, for example, the cost of enforcement. Uh, and so uh, um, I have an amendment, uh, which would be on page line, st page 19, starting at line 14, uh, uh, inserting the language, uh, not later than six months after the effective uh, date of this uh, ordinance, um, after holding a duly noticed informational hearing at the Planning Commission, uh, and then proceeding as is, the director shall report to the controller the revenues generated, etc. So the controller will still make the determination, but there will have to first be an informational hearing at the Planning Commission, uh, and the uh, that. Uh, that first determination will have to occur within six months of the effective date of the legislation. Uh, so those are the amendments that um, I'd like to put on the table in addition to what President Chu and Supervisor Cohen have placed on the table. And I will note that uh, Supervisor Kim has now joined us. Uh, Supervisor, we're just doing our introductory remarks about item three. So I welcome you to make remarks as well. Uh, thank you, Chair Weiner, and it's good to see Tom Huey. We were at the same groundbreaking um, earlier this morning um, in the South of Market area, um, and so I want to appreciate the committee um, in, in my tardiness. 
Um, you know, I, I think I made a lot of comments last week, so I, I don't want to be repetitive. Um, I, I do just want to clarify a number of things. First of all, I think that we are absolutely moving in the right direction. Um, we know that short-term uh, vacation rentals is become, you know, activity that has become widely utilized here in San Francisco, and is clearly, from two weeks ago, um, an activity that people both enjoy, um, hosting guests from around the world here um, in San Francisco, um, but also the capacity to make some additional income. And I think everyone understands um, the need for that. Um, given the housing issue here, although I think the real issue, of course, is making sure that we keep our city affordable um, so that, you know, this is an activity that we're doing because we want to do it and we like to do it, not because um, we have to do it. Um, I, and, and, of course, um, I've also been an Airbnb user, not here in San Francisco, but I've used it in other cities, and it's been a great way to vacation with groups of friends um, when it's hard to get, you know, multiple hotel rooms, but you're going in large groups. Um, I've certainly done it for weddings and for, you know, big musical showcases, and I completely understand the utility of these types of sites and platforms and what they offer both to the guests and to the host. Um, the primary concern that I have and, and as one that I expressed two weeks ago, is of course um, any potential loss or existing loss of our housing stock that has been um, exacerbated by Airbnb, VRB, VRBO, and those types of rentals. I've actually met residents um, who have been Ellis Act evicted um, because their landlord now wants to do permanent Airbnb. -ing. Um, rather than renting out to the market. And that's the type of activity and behavior that we want to make sure that we're discouraging um, from this legislation. Seeing residents get evicted for this type of purpose, because you can make more money through Airbnb than through renting to a regular tenant, um, a long-term resident of the city, I mean, that is the type of behavior that we don't want to encourage, and we want to make sure that this legislation is able to enforce against. And so that's been my primary um, kind of push on the legislation is how do we create legislation that we can actually enforce. Um, and I know that we have a number of different areas of our code that is very difficult to enforce on, but this problem is a big issue. And it's hard to understand the numbers um, of units that have been taken, permanently taken off the market for long-term, short-term vacation rentals. But um, it's, it's the exact thing that I'm hoping that we'll be able to address um, through the passage of this legislation. And most of my questions are going to be directed as to how we can make this legislation um, enforceable. And so I think that we've made some um, moves in the right direction. I certainly want to continue along that. Um, I'll have a number of questions for both planning and Department of Building, Building Inspection. Thank you so much for being here. Um, and I also look forward to hearing from our committee members again um, on this issue. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Supervisor Kim. Supervisor Cohen. Great. Thank you very much. I actually have a handful of questions, first for uh, DBI, then uh, one or two for the planning department. And um, so I really want to pose this to Director Huey. Thank you for being with us. Can you clarify whether or not um, any of these short-term rentals uses will be required to comply with the hotel code? Good morning, Supervisor. Uh, Tom Hui, uh, Director of Department Building Inspection. To answer your question, first of all, we consider this kind of rental should be under apartment, it's not a hotel, because the ordinate mentioned uh, primary residents need to be majority of the time occupy the unit. And then also this uh, we call as a home sharing unit or, you know, time, you know, is still under apartment 
building, you know, uh, coal, you know, because in uh, two coal cycles, uh, there's no distinction between uh, apartment building and hotel. Uh, all these are existing buildings. Uh, that's why we consider as a apartment building, not a hotel. Thank you very much. Um, another question. Um, either you or a member of your staff might be the best person to answer this question. Some have suggested that we conduct an inspection um, of each dwelling unit um, that applies for the registry. Given that DBI um, typically only has access to the common area, um, maybe maybe, maybe you could explain to me how this would work how you would be able to go in and inspect, particularly when your hands are, when you have constraints on the areas as to where, where you can inspect. Generally, we don't uh, inspect the inside the unit, but uh, in the future, for example, this ordinate pass, we plan and go into the unit and then find there's some, you know, uh, violation regarding electrical and plumbing, then we can send our inspector in, we will work closely with them. Or there's a complaint by the tenant, then we will, you know, go in there, you know, if there's a life safety concern. Also, maybe I have my chief housing inspector in case you want to see how we do the enforcement. Great. Thank you. Ms. Boss, maybe you can add a little more content. Supervisor Kahn, one of the things that we would do in working in conjunction with the planning department is as they establish the registry, mm -hmm. if there is an issue of whether or not a, a, a building that satisfies the requirements for a routine inspection, if they're due one, we could definitely um, uh, do that in conjunction with scheduling those. So as they develop that, if, if in, in working with Christina Ha, if they say we have these buildings that we're looking at putting on the registry and they happen to be apartment buildings or hotels that require um, the routine inspection, then we would definitely schedule them in if they're due under uh, Chapter 4 of the Housing Code. So we would do that in conjunction. Keep in mind, though, one- and two-family dwellings don't have that inspection, it's complaint driven. But we've been more than happy to incorporate that into our existing program. I see. I see. I have another question for you. Maybe you can help um, explain to me what exactly the relationship um, to the requirements for inspection um, every five years of a residential building. In Chapter 4 of the Housing Code, it requires that hotels and apartment buildings have a common area inspection every five years. And we do that every five years, and a shorter period of time if we get a complaints on a building, or if it's a residential hotel, we try and get a threshold on a shorter period of time, depending upon what's happening within the building. So essentially, based on that requirement, if a building is trying to get on the registry, we would then work with the planning department to make sure that routine inspection is, is done. And that would be of the common area, but that we would also look at if there's any open complaints, working with the planning department and working with the property owner to make sure that those get complied with. Okay. One last thing. Earlier in my remarks, I talked about some concerns that I had about fire safety. I'd like to get um, what your opinion is or your thoughts on requiring hosts to provide posted notice notification to tenants in their units um, about key life safety items in the event of an emergency. Well, from the standpoint of the concern that's been communicated to me that 
um, a guest may not be familiar with the, the features of a building, mm -hmm. uh, that giving them that information as far as where the egress is and different types of features within the building would be a good idea. Right now, a guest in an apartment building doesn't necessarily have that, but in this particular context, that would be always getting that information to people is a good thing, so that in the event of an emergency, they've, they've got that information. So that would definitely be something that we would welcome to see that happen. And one final question, maybe this is for more directed towards you, um, Director. Um, do you anticipate in the department incurring any more costs? Will this, um, this legislation have some kind of a financial or fiscal impact on your budget? It's hard to tell you right now. Uh, year ago, we don't have that many complaints. Nowadays, we have more. But in the future, we don't know. But there will be some impact. Hopefully, you know, uh, we are not the expertise on this area. That's why the usage, we refer back to planning to enforce it. With life safety, they can, you know, we will close, working close hand to, you know, communicate and enforce it together. Thank you very much. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Supervisor Cohen. I'm sorry, Supervisor Weiner. I'm not done. Oh, you're not. Okay. Thank sorry you. That. I misinterpreted <laughs> the thank you. No problem. That's my thank you for DBI. I have a couple. Uh, just actually one question. A little bit loaded one for planning department. So planning staff. I'm not sure who wants to take a stab at it, but I'll just throw it out to you. Um, so I've heard some complaints that individuals will be registering non-residential units, and these are conversations that I've had with you before. You re I represent the industrial parts of San Francisco. Really, where my concern is is that someone may register a unit unit um, uh, to be rented and it's zoned and, and, and it's zoned in a non-residential area. How do we begin to protect tenants who are coming to, to hang out in our wonderful city but that they're not sleeping in a, a garage in the industrial zone? Thank you, Supervisor Scott Sanchez, Planning Department. So in regards to that, when processing the registry request, we would look at our records to ensure that there was a legal residential occupancy at that. And through our database, our property information map, we do have access to Department of Building Inspection records related to 3R, the Report of Residential Record. So we would use that to ensure that there's a legal residential use. It's not dissimilar to someone coming in for a building permit to maybe modify or change what they are stating to be a residential use, we would use our permit history there to establish, in fact, that there was a residential use. So um, that's how we would try to our best to address that. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, thank you. Supervisor Kim. Thank you. Um, I had a couple of questions on an issue that came up two weeks ago, and that was the bed and breakfast permit. Um, and so it's clear from hearing from public comment that there are a number of people that are, are doing this close to 365 days a year, hosted or, um, or hosted. And, and it seemed like those types of uses were actually more appropriately fall under a bread, bed and breakfast permit, where you're basically a full-time hotel hosting guests versus this legislation, which I believe is more for kind of the part-time hosters. And so I want to understand the process of a bed and breakfast permit a little bit better. I've seen it sometimes at Planning Commission. It seems to go through fairly quickly and fairly easily. Um, but if I am going to tell a group of our hosts to go down that pathway, I want to understand what I'm asking them to, to go through. And so if, if someone could articulate that process. 
Thank you. Certainly. Uh, so Scott Sanchez, Planning Department again. So in regards to the bed and breakfast permit, um, there is no bed and breakfast permit per se. Sorry, How conditional use. But correct, yes. So, yeah. so we would look at that as a hotel use. And so depending on the zoning district, it's generally allowed with a conditional use in every district in the city except for the RH districts, the RH1 districts. RH2 and 3, it's limited in terms of the size of the units. But otherwise, it's just the standard conditional use process. So someone seeking to open up a restaurant in a neighborhood commercial district would be undergoing the same kind of permit process. And so that would be a public hearing at the Planning Commission. There is a mailed notice beforehand to owners within 300 feet of the subject property and the hearing at the Planning Commission. And so that is the, the, the general process. Is it a fairly simple process? Uh, certainly it's one that we subject many small businesses to in the city. Um, so, you know, it is something that is fairly routine for the department. Um, these are sometimes approved on consent at the Planning Commission. It's just a matter of the backlog um, of processing these applications. My next question is actually for DBI, and then I actually want to come back to planning on that very issue. Um, so for the Department of Building Inspection, is there a process then, um, if the planning department grants the conditional use authorization for a bed and breakfast, is there a different code um, that DBI would go when they looked at those units, or would they still be um, enforced under the residential housing code? With the whole uh, supervisor, with the whole building convert, or there's a change in use, that will be under our building code. Uh, that will be from apartment building, for example, you have multiple unit from R2 to become R1. That will be, you know, enforced that way with the whole building converted. So uh, maybe not a whole building, but let's say a single family home. Um, it's something that I heard two weeks ago. There were folks that um, owned single family homes and maybe were retired, and so were renting out their home. Um, close to 365 days a year on, on a very regular basis, basically running a business. Um, and so they applied and got a conditional use authorization so they could do that through that legislation, through that route versus this one. Mm -hmm. um, if the home got the bed and breakfast conditional use, is there a different set of code that DBI enforces under, or do they just continue to enforce under the normal residential building because, code? Yeah, supervisor, because it's a still single family, one unit only, still under R3, it's hard to, you know, say this is a hotel or any other transient, you know, use on that case, you know, in the building code standpoint. But that is more in planning. If they approve it, then we will approve the same way because only one unit. Okay, so when the build, when the plan, sorry, I, I keep asking. So when the planning department approves the conditional use as the bed and breakfast, DBI will continue to, when they inspect the building, they'll enforce it under the residential housing code. There's yeah. no separate kind of bed and breakfast. No, for single single family, there's, there's nothing to change. Okay. Are there any concerns, and, and maybe there isn't, around making sure that there are clear signs towards fire exits and those types of life and safety concerns from DBI's perspective? Single family usually enforce it, you know, is own, you know when you get into it, that will be exit, and then egress window, and all those requirements is there. For existing building, there's no sprinkler, new building, there will be sprinkler in there. But for that change in use is not changing classification. We, okay. we cannot change okay. it. Okay. So it, it seems like it's a fairly, it's a process that's not that arduous. You're still under the residential building code. 
you go through a conditional use authorization at planning, it seems like actually many folks in that room could undergo that process with, with you know, with some, with a fairly sim simple. Yes, correct. Okay, great. Thank you. And I and now I want to go back to planning, and I actually want to understand a little bit about. Um, Portland's regulation, just because that was the city that most recently regulated on short-term rentals. And um, I understand the planning department has been talking to Portland's um, planning department as well to understand how the process has gone through so far. How many um, folks have registered since um, the initiation of the legislation? Scott Sanchez, planning department again. So uh, it's our understanding that the controls were adopted over the summer, I think at the end of July, became effective towards the end of August, beginning of September. Okay. So in, you know, during the last month or so, they have had 12 applications. And I do have a description of some of the differences if you'd like to hear about this. So uh, they have a maximum of two bedrooms that's allowed under this. They limit the authorization to one and two unit buildings only. They have a public notification required to abutting properties. Uh, Building inspection is required for building code compliance, so they do have an inspection in order to obtain the permit. The fee is $178. That fee is paid every six years, and that covers the cost of the inspection as well. Um, in the intervening years, at years two and four, there's a $62 renewal fee. They also have the posting permit number required. They have the similar 90-day non-hosted versus unlimited hosted, and owner approval is required for the permit. Um, you said they have a similar 90 days non-hosted restriction? Correctly. That's, that's my understanding, that they have the requirement that the unit be occupied by the person who's renting out the, uh, the space for 275 days. So. Okay. So um, somewhat, there's some similarities there. How does um, Portland plan to understand, you know, if a resident is there for 275 nights out of the year, so our staff did contact them, and that is something that, uh, again, they have 12 applications at this point. They have not been, don't have the enforcement experience with it yet. I think they're, they're still in the application of it. Um, I don't know, we didn't get a clear answer on what tools they would use in order to, to confirm or determine that. Do we have a sense of the number of um, hosts in Portland uh, that utilize sites like Airbnb or VRBO? No, I don't know how okay. many are listed on Portland. Uh, Twelve seems really low, even though it's it's only been in effect for a month, but it seems fairly low in registration. Do they have an understanding as to why the uh, registration has been slow? I mean, I think slow? It literally it's been in probably the past three weeks, so mm -hmm. given that we're not at the end of September right. yet. So it also does limit the, the number, the size of the units. Again, it can only be in, in one and two unit buildings. Um, so that may kind of further limit the pool, although Portland is a much different city, would have, would have a lot of one- and two-unit buildings. No apartment buildings could apply. Mm -hmm. And I know Anne-Marie wants to jump in, but if, if I may just address briefly the, um, the process about allowing this. And it is correct that just a, the CU process is the appropriate process, um, but also if someone is converting from a residential unit to the hotel under the current code, they're also subject to Section 317 because we look at it as a change of use from a residential to the hotel use. And so they would also have to meet the requirements of Section 317 um, for the loss of the dwelling unit, just to, to be clear about that. Sorry, I didn't mention that in the previous time that you asked about the, the process that's required for allowing the bed and breakfast. Because under the current code, that is seen as taking it out of the residential use category. 
When you say loss of a dwelling unit, um, even if there is a family or a couple that lives in that house um, and they're just renting out a bedroom or a couch, that's considered loss of a dwelling unit. That's correct. We have no middle ground. So we, you're either a residential unit or you are a hotel and there's no requirement for the, res for the residency. So we don't have anything in between, kind of get along what could be potentially a bed and breakfast I permit see. Mm -hmm. to have someone who resides in the unit rented out for more than you know, 90 days. I see. And, and I wouldn't want planning to have to enforce if they did apply for a bed and breakfast, whether there was a resident living there 275 day nights out of the year or not. I, and actually, that's why I want to highlight that process, because it seems like it might be appropriate for some of the hosts um, that have come to us, um, clearly not all of them. But that would be a route that they could become legalized to do this on a more full-time basis without having to undergo maybe some of the more stringent regulations um, that would be under this case, um, which is really short-term rentals. Um, thank you. I, I just have a couple of more questions for DBI. And then, um, and then we should, you know, I can move on to um, the next member of the Lendy's Committee. Um, for DBI, I'm curious how many enforcement cases you've seen under the current Residential Conversion Ordinance, Chapter 41A? Uh, Supervisor, we have roughly 25 cases, and also five of them is under the administrative hearing. Okay. And can you describe the nature of the complaints and who has complained? Then I may have my chief housing inspector, Rosemary, to describe it. Supervisor Kim, we have the complaints that have come in, sometimes they have information that makes it very difficult to follow up. If it's an anonymous complaint and it says it's a short-term rental and we don't have listing information, going then to the platforms and trying to identify a particular uh, property with the, the, the pictures that may be on the listing, since the listings don't have the addresses, is very difficult. That's why one of the things that is in the current legislation proposal that is very intriguing and I think is going to be very helpful to the planning department is in a registry, it requires right on the listing that you put the register, the number of uh, the being on the registry of the city and county of San Francisco. So right away, as you're scanning through those verbal listings or Airbnb or whatever it is, and you don't see that listing for the, beyond the, 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 the city's particular um, database, then you know that there's an issue there with either the platform or the individual that listed it. So that right away gives you a tool that we currently do not have under the uh, current database. So. The types of complaints that we have gotten is typically that one or more units within the and it's typically been apartment buildings because the current legislation is really only dealing with four units or greater in an apartment house that either one or more units is being rented for less than 30 days or being offered for rent for less than 30 days. That's been the typical type of complaint that we've received. Mm -hmm. And how long do these um, investigations go on for? Um, it seems like there's some difficulty when you don't have, you know, a full-on, let's say, lit litigation present where you have discovery, um, rules, et cetera, how long um, do these investigations go on for on average? And, and what are the challenges to collecting the documents, the finding of violations, you know, if there is someone that has permanently taken a unit off the market for these short-term rentals? Well, one of the things is the, the ordinance, as it's currently written, does not give the Department of Building Inspection a lot of tools. It takes a lot of time if the complaint has given you a listing 
uh, to go in, make copies of that, see if there's listing on any other platforms, make a determination on whether or not the listing is showing less than 30 days, then scheduling them for a hearing, the property owner for a hearing. And then if they show up at the, a hearing, one of the problems with the legislation as it's currently written is uh, if they take the listing off, we currently can't uh, recover the way the ordinance is currently written for our costs getting them to hearing, even though we made a finding, a preliminary finding, that they were in violation of the ordinance because we can't essentially make that finding until you get to the administrative hearing process. So a lot of that is addressed by the current amendments, by the registration, by the controller reviewing the cost, by a registration fee cost. A lot of that is, is addressed by that. But right now, the ordinance doesn't give us all the tools we need to effectively deal with the issue. Um, and it doesn't have the restraints as far as, you know, so many days a year, et cetera. So mm -hmm. the current proposal before you goes a long way into addressing a lot of the issues that we in DBI were confronted in just dealing with the five that we had. Let me just back up by saying this ordinance, 41A, as it's currently written, has been in existence for, for uh, quite a while, going back to changes made by Supervisor Mabel Tang. No one really utilized it until we have the current platforms. We got maybe two complaints in the last. 15 years, and now all of a sudden in the last huh. three months, we've got about 25. But these issues that, that I'm talking about are pretty much addressed by all the numerous additional tools that the current legislation proposes. Okay, so that's really helpful to hear. So, I mean, short-term rentals isn't a new issue. I, I want to I make that clear. It, it has existed long before Airbnb and even VRBO and Craigslist. You know, we knew that there were landlords that were taking units off the market and not renting them out um, to potential residents of San Francisco because they felt they could make more um, by utilizing it as a vacation rental. And I think we heard that also during the 8 Washington discussion that, there were units being taken off from some of the large buildings near the waterfront, um, and we certainly want to enforce against that. It's interesting that you only got two complaints over 15 years, um, and now we have 25. And so, and you address some of it. So you feel that the, the proposed legislation addresses a lot of the challenges that DBI had in its ability to enforce against kind of these bad actors. And are there any other things that would be helpful to put into the legislation kind of based on the work that's already happened that would ensure that we'd be able to enforce against um, landlords or tenants that are permanently taking units off the market? Well, as I said, having that registration number is going to go a long way. And I, I, I think the next question really is, is, is whether or not it's consistent with Chapter 41. As far as I think that's where your next question is going to be, if I can predict that. Um, they have similar, um, there are some distinctions, but this does allow an individual to go after someone who violates the ordinance in court. Um, and uh, Chapter 41 has had a, a, a provision like that for the last 30 years. So there is some history of going at this um, uh, in several different ways. Mm -hmm. So from that standpoint, there, there are, are, are those opportunities as well. So the big thing for me, the crux of the issue for me, is how, do I, how does DBI or planning differentiate between that bad landlord that has evicted people or refuses to rent out their unit and put that, that unit, that much needed unit back on the housing market is using it permanently for short-term vacation rentals. And how, how would the department differentiate that actor versus many of the people that are here that live in their units 
you know, at least 275 nights a year and are renting it out for additional income, how will you be able to tell the difference between those two different types of actors as an enforcer? Well, one of the other features of the legislation as proposed that it actually came up on one of our hearings is that in addition to the individual who's actually offering the unit for rent, there are these professional hosts that's a third party that's now in between the platform and the actual right. occupant. Your legislation now takes that that out. And so it makes it a lot easier for us to be actually dealing with the individual who is occupying the unit. So you've made this, uh, uh, you've actually added a lot more uh, restriction and legislation to be able to address that. So that's helpful. But for us as the legislators, we're really looking at, is it offered or is it actually being rented for less than 30 days? The rest of it really isn't up to us to be able to determine if it's a bad actor or not. I mean, when we go in as the Department of Building Inspection, we're also going to be looking at how the building is maintained. But beyond that, those are the, only the findings that we can make. So how are we going to know if a resident is there 275 nights a year or not? How, are, how is DBI going to know that? Well, DBI isn't because it's going to be something. I understand that it's going to be under planning. I, I'm not. I think but I'm seeing, being that DBI has has done some enforcement in this arena with the right. 25 complaints that you have today, what could we put in the legislation that would allow you to be able to differentiate between a true renter or landlord that lives in their unit and is just renting out a room, a couch, and someone who has permanently taken their unit offline and does not live there? Supervisor Kim, could I try to address this? Yeah, President Chu. Um, so before you came into the chamber today, I announced that I would like to suggest a number of amendments. Oh, okay. One of them would be to require for each host the number of days and the duration of short-term stays to the planning department so that each host would be required at least twice a year, so it would be a biannual requirement uh, that they submit a report to the planning department on the number of days, the dates, and the duration of their stays. So they would, under penalty and perjury, be providing to the city that information. Uh, obviously, if there's, any, if there's evidence to the contrary, that would be the evidence that the city would bring uh, to shut that practice down and potentially subject someone to fines and potential criminal penalties. Okay. I, so I, I missed that amendment. I think that that's helpful. I just – so I brought up, you know, when I served on the Board of Education – we actually got complaints. They were kind of whistleblowers at Lowell High School, which is, you know, our most prestigious high school here in San Francisco. And sometimes families would actually um, would 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 um, tell on other families who they thought did not live in San Francisco, um, because it's such a, a highly regarded and sought after school. We're very strict about the San Francisco residency at Lowell High School, um, and sometimes families would call anonymously or not and say, you know, actually this student lives in Daly City, this student lives in Oakland. They're unfairly taking a spot from a San Francisco resident. Um, because it was such an important issue to the school district, we actually spent a lot of money investigating these. 10 to 17 families. And I know that there are questions about um, privacy and security, and these investigations really infringed on that. We actually followed kids home. We, f we, we walked out of school with them. I was stunned, actually, when I heard about these investigations post post the investigations. We would get on the bus with them, and then they got off at Daly City, and we'd be like, we caught you, you don't live here. Or we would, you know, knock randomly at 6 in the morning at their supposed San Francisco residence and see if those families truly live there. Now, if, if we're going to move in this direction where people sign under perjury and then we get a call saying, you know, actually they really don't live here, I'm afraid of the planning department having to do this type of investigation that I think is far more 
um, infringing on someone's privacy and security than just simply understanding the number of nights that each registration number is utilizing that's reported from the companies. Uh, and I don't know if planning department has a response to that, but I just, I just imagine that that's, that's the path we're going to have to walk down if we, if we move to a, ho a hosted and non-hosted kind, uh, kind of pathway, an unlimited nights of non-hosted pathway. Thank you, Supervisor. Scott Sanchez, Planning Department again. And I think, you know, it is clear that the legislation will have its challenges to implement. We will, as we do with any piece of legislation, do our best to enforce that. And I think that the legislation does have a couple provisions that will assist us in those efforts. You know, so first, in order to be advertised as a short-term rental unit, they have to go through the registry process, obtain the registry number. Um, during that process, they have to demonstrate that they are a permanent resident of that unit. And so it does call for evidence being presented at that time for us to determine that they are, in fact, a permanent resident. Also, they can only have one permanent resident. So we, if we see one person's name popping up on the list in the registry two or three times, then clearly they're in violation there. So I think that that's one test. And then the self-reporting um, aspect of it and having them report back the number of days under penalty of perjury, perjury is, is the other option. But. Um, again, it, it will have its, its challenges in implementation, and I think at any time, if we do get a complaint that someone believes that it's no longer you know, being rented out by a permanent resident, we can request that information again um, that they presented at the time that they, uh, that they documented that they were a permanent resident. We can ask for that information to, to demonstrate that. Thank you. And I think Anne-Marie has more to add. Marie Rogers, also Planning Department staff. I would just add one thing to that. I think that the, the residency thing was uh, described well by the zoning administrator, and that's, that's one key issue that is also supplemented and supported by the reporting back by the host. Uh, a key question that we've been struggling with would be, though, if there's one set of rules for people who live there uh, while the hosting is occurring, versus, and that's very permissive, versus a more strict and standard for those who are not there, maybe they're on vacation when the hosting is happening, then we've got a case where we not only need to determine whether they're the permanent resident, but also we need to grant them a more permissive controls if they are there while the hosting occurs. And I think that's one of the issues that is going to be more difficult, and obviously it's going to be more valuable to the potential host if they're under the more permissive regime. Uh, and so in the past, we've talked about would that mean we would have to ask uh, the individual if they were sleeping there during the nights and how many nights did they spend in their own unit. So uh, unless we found other ways, that's something that we're still kind of struggling with. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I, I think that's really... I, again, the crux of the issue that I'm, I'm concerned with. I actually, I'm very open to more flexibility on hosted nights. I, I get the benefit of that, and that was made really clear to me two weeks ago. I, I guess I'm just still struggling with how we differentiate between those folks that are, you know, living in their units. And again, you know, you know, it, it's heartbreaking to hear from tenants who have been evicted because their landlords are now full-time Airbnb, and and that is the activity that I want to be able to stop. And I know this legislation tries to get us there. Um, I just want to make sure that we have legislation that the city can actually regulate. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Kim. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, I have a couple of points and uh, questions. Um, so in terms of the last point, in terms of the challenges that clearly would exist in determining how did you really spend 275 nights uh, in your home. <clears throat> uh, I think Supervisor Kim's 
questions actually make clear that that is not a unique uh, a challenge unique to uh, short-term rentals. Uh, obviously, the school assignment system is one where you are often relying on people's uh, truthfulness in terms of saying where they uh, live, uh, not just for non-San Francisco residents, but even in terms of what their neighborhood school uh, is. Um, we see it with uh, people's indication of where their residence or domicile is for both federal and state uh, tax law. Uh, people have to say where their residence, what their residence is for getting car insurance, which can have significant impacts on the rate of your insurance. And we know that some people lie about their domicile for tax purposes. Some people lie about their residence for auto insurance uh, purposes. Uh, and those are both very, very difficult uh, issues to enforce. Uh, but we also know that people are required to make these uh, affirmation or these statements under penalty of perjury, and then when they are caught, there are severe consequences. And here, uh, people are going to have to test or attest under penalty of perjury um, that they are spending 275 uh, days a year. So the difficulty of enforcement, to me, is not a, a reason to back away from it. It's just understanding that, like in numerous other important instances. Uh, there is a challenge. And we also know, with it, whether it's auto insurance or taxes, um, many, many, many people are, you know, go out of their way. They're very truthful. Or, or school assignment, there are people, I think most people take those affirmations very seriously and don't lie about their uh, residence for insurance or taxes or anything else. Some people clearly will. Uh, and they are committing perjury, and they can be criminally prosecuted uh, for doing that. And so I, I think it's, this is not anything new. Um, I have a question for uh, Mr. Huey. In terms of going back to the issue of if you um, go and get a conditional use uh, to convert your uh, home into some sort of B&B or hotel, putting aside single-family homes, if you're in a multi-unit building, let's say you're a condo owner where your uh, CCNRs uh, allow you to do short-term uh, rentals, and you have a two-bedroom, you live in one, you're going to rent out the other one. Um, and let's say you go through the conditional use process. I'm going to get to that process, uh, Mr. Sanchez, in a minute. I don't think it's quite as simple as, uh, as uh, some may have walked away from your comments thinking. Um, but let's say you are able to uh, go through the, um, the fund planning department process for conditional use and get that CU, um, and you're, uh, what, what are the building code implications of, uh, of doing that for a condo? Yeah, uh, Supervisor Winner, uh, first of all, the way I hear your question is you have two bedroom condo or apartment, and then you rent out one room out, but that is, uh, you know, doesn't matter short term or long term, you are room sharing. It's, you know, for us, it's still apartment or condo. But the only thing is you add on is a you know, it's a short term, uh, need to register with planning and then make sure, you know, all those things. The life safety issue is still the same. Uh, it's no change except maybe proposed by supervisor right. to put a packer there or, or what we call evacuation plan to make sure they know where they can run to, to get exit through the building. But for building department standpoint, there's no code change because this is a usage. It's not a classification change. Okay, so you wouldn't have to 
comply with the hotel rules? No. Okay. So going back to uh, Mr. Sanchez, so, um, you know, having um, one of the um, uh, one of the things that you do when you're a district supervisor is you hear from a lot of your constituents about their interactions with a lot of city departments, uh, including uh, the conditional use process and the planning department. And uh, my experience with the conditional use process, it is, is that it, it is not an easy or a smooth or a predictable one in terms of time, in terms of expense, uh, and so forth. And even uh, even conditional uses that are non-controversial uh, can, uh, you know, my, I, I've, I don't think I've ever seen a CU, uh, rocket docket kind of CU with no, no controversy, no opposition. I don't think I've ever seen one take less than maybe four months. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's some that I uh, missed, but even easy ones do. And I have seen plenty of CUs take six, nine, 12 months, even longer. Uh, it can be very challenging even to get a hearing scheduled at the planning uh, uh, commission. Um, it takes time to get a planner assigned. The planner has to do a lot of work. They might have a huge backlog. Uh, this isn't really necessarily a criticism of the planning department. It's the reality in terms of the resources and staffing and the massive number of CUs that we have uh, in the city. And we add more and more CUs, and it takes longer and longer for those CUs uh, to move through, even if they're not particularly controversial. So one can support or oppose the idea of requiring um, uh, a portion of these short-term rentals to go through a CU process to become a B&B or whatever the classification is, that whatever one's view, I think it's very important to understand what the reality of that means. It means a uh, probably lengthy conditional use process. Um, it means uh, probably a significant number of CUs added to the planning department's uh, workload. Uh, so, so I just I want to stress uh, that reality. I don't think the CU is some sort of simple uh, permit to get. It is a lengthy and, frankly, cumbersome process. Okay, uh, Supervisor Chu. Thank you. I want to just comment on some of the comments that colleagues have made. And first of all, let me just thank the members of this committee for wrestling with this difficult set of public policy conundrums. I know this has not been an easy issue to uh, to tackle. I very much appreciate uh, all the comments that have been made, and I just want to say at the outset that the amendments uh, that have been suggested by Supervisor Cohen and Supervisor Weiner are ones that I absolutely am happy to support. Um, Supervisor Kim had mentioned uh, addressing uh, life safety concerns and potential emergencies, and I think Supervisor Cohen had mentioned this uh, before Supervisor Kim came into the chamber, but what Supervisor Cohen has suggested is that uh, every host be required to post essentially an evacuation or an emergency notice specific to that unit, which I think is entirely appropriate. Uh, obviously, every residential unit has a different set of situations for fire extinguishers and where the exits are and where the, uh, where the electricity is, and we want to make sure that that's addressed, but that's absolutely something that I think is a good idea and is appropriate. Supervisor Weiner has asked to amend uh, the legislation to make sure that we have a good and public process by which we uh, calculate the fees every year, and I want to make sure and reiterate on the record, we need to make sure, and I know with hopefully it's been estimated 11, 12, 15 million dollars a year, that those fees, uh, at least some portion of them, can go to adequate enforcement. And we do that in a, in a public way that captures the cost, not just to the planning department, but to DBI, city attorney, and other agencies. 
Obviously, uh, as I said two weeks ago, and as I've said for a number of months, we do need to address to make sure that the insurance provisions are correct. Um, and so Supervisor Wiener's amendments are, are welcome in that area. Uh, I know since we've all gotten them, we're all just reviewing them right now, but we, we absolutely need to amend the insurance provision to make sure that it captures what we want it to capture. The last thing I want to say is uh, also to Supervisor Kim, uh, you mentioned your primary concern is to make sure that we are not learn we're not losing housing opportunities for San Franciscans who could live here. And I stated in the outset of my comments today, that's exactly my concern as well. When you have landlords who are Ellis acting entire buildings, when you have tenants who are entering into multiple leases and using uh, empty apartments as year-round beds and breakfasts, that's exactly what we're trying to get at with our legislation. The fact of the matter is, though, as we know, we're in a wild, wild west situation right now where there is no regulation, there is no enforcement, and we need to establish these rules. And I do think that requiring everyone who wants to engage in this activity to register with the city so we know who you are, that is not happening right now. And then when you add to that, uh, under penalty and perjury requirements that uh, hosts let the city know that they're, do they're, they're living in their place at least nine months of the year, and then to also provide information about what dates they do rent this out under penalty and perjury, I think that will go a long way at addressing what we've got right now. So the situation where you have a tenant who is who has multiple leases, that will not be permitted because under our uh, proposal, only you are only allowed to register in one address. And then the idea that a landlord would evict an entire building, uh, that would also not be permitted because, again, that landlord would need to attest that he or she lives in a particular unit. So I do understand the concerns and fears folks have, but I would just compare it to the status quo. The status quo is not working. We have to do something. And I really want to appreciate the comments and, and additional suggestions and amendments uh, that colleagues have added. Thank you. Uh, Supervisor Cohen. I actually have a, um, a question to the sponsor of the legislation. It comes to this committee by one of my constituents, I believe, is in the audience. And Glass, if you're here, may please uh, introduce yourself to me before you leave, Ms. Glass. But the question really stems from um, the funds that, that the monies that we are going to be collected via taxes. Um, is there a way that we can begin to? I'm getting a signal from the city attorney's office saying no. <laughs> Let me finish my question. <laughs> Let me finish my question. If there's a way that we can begin to use these taxes that are that are assessed to and, and redirect them into our affordable housing, um, uh, our quest to make San Francisco more affordable, but into specifically the development of more affordable housing units on the market. So I'm going to turn to the city attorney uh, who's indicating some initial thoughts. Deputy City Attorney John Gibner. Uh, the you're marking the, the hotel tax revenues for a specific use would require voter approval. So you can't do it in this ordinance. In the future, the board could send such an ordinance to the voters for, for, uh, for their approval. Thank you very much. And I would just say to that, Supervisor Cohen, if it turns out we get $100 million a year from this activity, um, I'd be happy to support you and others in making sure that money goes to affordable housing. All right. So it looks like we've got maybe something coming to the voters next year. We'll see what happens. Thank you. Or the board can just allocate it, or which we have the power to do. We do. We'll, we'll, more to come on that topic. Okay. Um, <laughs> Supervisor Kim. Um, thank you. I, I just want to say I actually appreciate some of the amendments that came, came in. And actually, I have copies of Supervisor Wiener's amendments. And if I could get copies of Supervisor Cohen's sure. um, amendments as well. 
Um, I, I just want to reiterate, I do want to pass legislation. I, I agree. What, what's happening right now isn't working for the city, and it's certainly not working um, for our hosts as well. They don't want to be um, conducting illegal activities. Um, so we definitely need to pass something. Um, and I think that we're moving in the right direction by actually legalizing this activity, um, but under you know, a set of regulations. I, I think you know, the perjury and all of that is going to be helpful. I, I just really think that if we're going to then investigate against an individual that has signed under perjury, you know, that they're there 270 nights out of the year, and then someone accuses them of not doing that and planning goes and investigates them, that investigation is going to be far more intrusive than a hosting platform just simply letting us know on a quarterly basis how many nights that registration number has hosted. And we would keep that information you know, within the city, um, it's not something that we would publicly disclose. But I actually think that that is the simplest way to deal with this enforcement issue. I, I just would hate to see planners um, hiring investigators that follow people around the city <laughs> or even pretend to be a pretend guest. I know they were doing that in New York City, um, actually coming into people's homes, seeing where they live, making all these notes, and then using that as evidence when we finally prosecute people. I, I, I know we can do it. I, I just think that that is far more intrusive than a much simpler proposal that would just have the hosting companies share that information with the city. Um, so we wouldn't have to do that type of intrusive work. Um, but that's just my position and where I am today. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'd rather pass something that's going to start to regulate this work and also legalize the activity for the many San Franciscans that are participating in that. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Supervisor Kim. Um, so at this point, we have we are ready to move to public comment. Um, I um, uh, just want to le uh, let you know uh, how the rest of the how we're going to proceed. Uh, with sort of a complicated uh, agenda today. Um, I'm going. I need to step out uh, briefly, and so I'm going to Super uh, Supervisor Kim as committee vice chair. We'll begin public comment. Uh, what we're going to do is move through pu public comment on item number three. Um, at 1 o'clock, we will take a, a recess from 1 to 1.30 uh, for lunch. If public comment on item 3 is not completed by 1 o'clock, uh, then it will uh, resume in the afternoon. Um, if it is completed before 1 o'clock, the, uh, the committee will simply recess upon uh, the end of public comment. At 1.30, uh, items 4 and 5 uh, will be called. Um, they were specially designated for that time. And so we will uh, 1.30 uh, uh, handle items 4 and 5. After items 4 and 5 are completed this afternoon, we will resume uh, item 3, the short-term rental item, and complete public comment if it has not already been completed. And at that point, uh, after items 4 and 5, the committee will then resume discussion and consider amendments and possible action on item number 3. So I hope that uh, makes sense, and sorry for the undue complexity, but uh, we have a, a lot of stuff going on in the committee. Uh, so with that, I will turn it over to uh, uh, Supervisor Kim, and I will be back uh, shortly. Thank you, Chair Weiner. Um, we do want to ask uh, that folks respect the speaker cards that were called. I know the chair got some emails of complaints from folks um, that patiently waited until their names were called, um, but of course didn't speak till much later because a lot of folks had gotten up in advance of their name being called. So I'm going to call 10 names at a time. So I expect to see 10 people get up. Um, and then um, we'll try to do the best that we can um, to maintain that order. So I have JJ Panser, Jeff B, Emily H, Bob Plantholt, Nancy N, John W, 
Um, Dave Bischow, I apologize if I can't read your hand rise, uh, handwriting. Doug Engman, GOB, and Leah Pimpental. Thank you, and the first speaker can cut off. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is JJ Panzer, and I'm a member of the board of directors for the San Francisco Apartment Association, a professional property manager and a property owner. I agree that landlords who Ellis Act their buildings to operate them as short-term rentals should be prevented from doing so and punished. Nevertheless, we're focusing a little too much on that, and we need to focus also on an essential point of fairness that you seem to be missing. This is where rent-controlled tenants living in my apartment buildings rent their units in whole or in part, making an unfair profit from their rent-controlled units and thereby stealing affordable housing opportunities from their fellow residents. If they were to offer their spare rooms to full-time SF residents, according to the rent control laws, they'd only be able to charge a prorated share of their artificially low rent. In listening to the regulations for Portland, I think their restriction of only allowing one and two unit buildings to obtain short-term rental permits is a good one. If you truly care about preserving affordable housing in this city, you should include this in your legislation. Some other important modifications that should be considered for this legislation include the creation of a comprehensive public registration list maintained by the Planning Department as recommended by the Planning Commission, requiring tenants to obtain permission, permission, not just a notification, from property owners prior to registering a listing, requiring commercial insurance sufficient to indemnify a building residents and the property owner, notification of all property owners within 300 feet of Airbnb listings upon registration in a manner that is consistent with commercial and conditional uses in the planning code, Certification by the Department of Building Inspection of compliance with applicable building codes, including life safety issues raised by DBI Code Advisory Committees and the Building Inspection Commission, which have not been addressed. There should be a hard cap of 90 days per year for hosted and unhosted short-term rentals for apartments without subletting clauses. I hope that you will consider these modifications in your deliberations on changes to this legislation. Thank you, Mr. Panzer. I'm John W. I'm on the list. <laughs> um, I uh, want to speak to two primary issues as a, as a homeowner. Um, my concerns about the registry as well as the, the, the cap on 90 days. Um, I'm really concerned about having my name, my address, my personal information in a public registry. I, I have no problem with you keeping a registry, but the issue of giving all my information to the public just doesn't make sense. We don't do that with lots of other uh, departments. Um, you know, that's when you, when you asked about why is there such low registration starting in Portland, perhaps that's one of the issues. I don't know if they have the same criteria, but, you know, that, then you have to step back and think, how am I going to continue to do this? Um, it doesn't make sense to drive things underground, which this would, I think, do. It's much better to have everything out in the open, have some reasonable regulation as you're doing, but uh, the privacy is a big concern for me. Um, the other issue on the 90-day uh, limit, it, again, I, I hope I'm not in perjury by leaving my home more than 90 days a year, but I do. I go on short weekends, I go on a month uh, vacation to Europe, and I'm gone more than that time, and it just doesn't make sense either to not be able to use my home uh, when I want to, to rent it out for more days. I mean, let's say 180 days. Uh, that seems more reasonable. 
Thank you. Thank you, Mr. W. Good morning. Oops, it's after. It did, it, it did turn to afternoon. Hello, I'm Nancy Niederhauser. I'm a retired social worker, and I've lived on Potrero Hill for 42 years. I bought a two-unit building in 1975, which I could never afford to purchase today. I rent the second unit long-term, and I contribute to affordable housing in this city, historically charging well below market. I'm in favor of home sharing. Over the past three years, I've offered a small guest room with private bath 10 to 15 days per month, only when I'm present. The income makes a huge difference in my retired standard of living. It has been a lifesaver this year with medical expenses. It allows me to remain in my home and in San Francisco because I'm spared depleting my savings so quickly. I can thus postpone selling the house, which is my main asset. My home sharing in no way contributes to the housing crisis because I would never rent that little room full time. As a citizen and someone who always votes, and someone who has worked in the public sector for more than 20 years, I certainly recognize the need for regulations that are effective and enforceable. I particularly support insurance requirements. I, for one, never would have been involved in this unless I had proper insurance. Before I went live, I actually changed my carrier and my policy, and I'm paying significantly more per year for my $1 million in liability insurance. Um, I also heard the concern about distinguishing a difference between hosted and non-hosted activity. For those of us hosting a room in our residence, it seems to be pretty darn simple to prove. We list a room. If, if we're listing a shared or private room, it's hosted. Also, um, it would be nice to have the, the platforms be able to um, report. I would be fine with that if you got that for me. Problematically, only Airbnb has that capacity. So unfortunately, I don't really see that as an option. Um, what I do want to say is that even a tenant activist speaking at the hearing last week. Thank you. But Ms. Niederhauser, I actually had a question because you had brought up, you know, we didn't talk that much about insurance today, um, mainly because I think none of us are experts on that issue, so it's hard to really delve into that as policymakers. But you said you were able, actually able to call up an insurance company and get someone to cover that type of activity? Absolutely. In, in my residence, uh -huh. if I'm home, yes, I actually have a, a memo from them if you'd like to see it. But it's, it's State Farm. Yeah, no, that's great to hear. Yeah, that insurance companies are actually... You know, adjusting if, if, to this. If you own the home. Okay. Thank you. I'm Bob Plantold. The questions, comments, concerns I raised last time, I'm going to repeat. It's primarily about safety. I'm one of many members of the San Francisco Neighborhood Affordable Housing and Employment Coalition. With regard to codes, we heard some amendments suggested today. They seem supportive, responsive, interesting, worthwhile. But then in the discussion, I think people need to go back and listen. I heard that initially these units would be treated as apartment buildings for code applicability. But then a B&B &B would be subject to the hotel codes. So I'm suggesting there's enough difference here to say that needs to be clarified. Two weeks ago, we heard, well, this specific legislation and topic is not on the agenda for the joint planning building inspection meeting. Yet the item itself is open, number three, for joint code enforcement procedures. 
And I think the text of the amendments suggested today, which the public have not seen, is something that ought to be public and available for Thursday's discussion so those commissioners and the public can know. I wanted to go further. The fact that there have been so many amendments suggested and summarized, but which the public do not have the text of, makes it premature to make a positive recommendation for action to the full board. I'm suggesting that public comment is thwarted when we don't know the text. Earlier on item two, we heard staff say on a different item that last year what seemed a small item change generated additional problems that were not foreseen. Cumulatively, there have been 10 or so amendments suggested today. I think cumulatively those are substantive and that needs to be made available to the public for us to analyze as well as the commissioners before you take further action. Thank you, Mr. Planthold. Good morning, Supervisors. Uh, my name is Dave Bischel. I'm president of Westwood Highlands Association, former president of Marilona Park and West of Twin Peaks Central Council. Supervisors, if you approve this plan with the redefinition of what residential housing means, you'll be destroying 100 years of planning and zoning and over 150 years of the peace, quiet, and safety of what residential housing means in San Francisco. The West of Twin Peaks Central Council, which is basically District 7, over 70,000 residents have voted through their elected representatives to oppose this plan. So on behalf of the residents of Westwood Highlands Forest, Knowles Forest, Hill, Sherwood Forest, Monterey Heights, St. Francis Wood, Maryland Park, Balboa Terrace, Greater West Portal, Ingleside Terrace, Merced Manor, Lakeshore Acres, Twin Peaks Improvement, and Midtown Terrace, we ask you to have the courage to table this plan send it back to planning and tell them that this is basically rezoning all property in San Francisco to bed and breakfast without any homeowner notification of zoning change protocol. We need you supervisors to enforce the laws and codes we have in place and not to pander to a relatively small number of lawbreakers, 5,000 out of roughly 350,000 property owners and of course the Airbnb owners. This can go away with enforcement. You're just passing a new law that you won't enforce. I know there is a huge amount of pressure from our Airbnb owners that are stationed here and want to make San Francisco as their flagship, but it is a huge sellout which will forever change the character and livability of San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Bishop. Okay, my name is Emily um, H. I want to thank you for your work on this. Um, I'm pro home sharing. I've been subletting part of my home for the last year through Airbnb, and I fall into the camp of single-family homeowners um, renting to enable me to, me to stay in the city and to raise my two young children. I rent between nine and ten months of this past year, and that is my um, intention for the future. I am not taking mark, uh, property off the market because the other two or three months I have friends and family from out of town visiting um, and again I have no intention to change that. I'm in favor of what is being proposed today of paying taxes, of being insured, of the safety um, recommendations that you're putting forward and I really want to work in a legal regulated way and I have concerns around the 90-day cap on single-family homes. So I'm requesting that you consider either not having 90 days on the single unit family homes because that would be a substantial 
decrease in income and would make it much harder for me to stay with my family in San Francisco or possibly to pursue the bed and breakfast provision that you had discussed um, so that you know people that are in my situation can continue with this. Thank you, Ms. H. Hello, my name is Gio Belairs, and I thank you for letting me come here today. And um, I'm so much for home shares, Airbnb, VRLB, anything that can help become ambassadors to this city, which we so much need, because we can produce a lot of money into the city through being hosts and having guests come, and also everyone that I know of is trying their best to be legitimate. I'm part of HomeShares. HomeShares has different groups in different districts. We meet and we have arguments. And we come to as much of a concession as we can. And personally, I don't want to see a cap on the time limit. Um, and also the number of dollars that would be lessened coming into the city by having a uh, limit is substantial. And when you talk about taxes, um, that could be a very big positive flow to this community, to the city, and also having a very secure register. If you feel you have to have a secure register, have it secure. How can you be secure? You know, there's, there's not any ways. Um, further, I'd like to say that, you know, I'm here in support of them, meaning all home shares, all community members of sharing, any kind of the economy. I have nothing to gain from being a home share. I am honest. Everyone I know is honest. I have been shut down. That's okay. I'm dealing with it. I'm living with it. I'm here. I'm upset, but I follow the law as most everyone else in home sharing. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Belair. Supervisors, my name is Douglas Engman. I live at 2724 Pacific in San Francisco. As many of you know, I was one of the founders of San Franciscans for Neighborhoods, Affordable Housing, and Jobs, which has an initiative that has collected 17,000 signatures, which does not, contrary to what uh, newspapers report, ban short-term rentals in San Francisco, but had very strong provisions to allow it with enforcement. Um, we decided to go through a legislative process we're actively engaged now with a very broad coalition of labor unions, businesses, affordable housing activists, tenants and landlords, uh, neighborhood groups, uh, and others. We are supporting a whole series of amendments that hopefully will make this legislation workable and protect uh, our housing stock and neighborhood character. I want to speak about one of those amendments, and maybe it's an amendment since we talked about dollars to the city that even Supervisor Chu might agree with. There is approximately somewhere between 25 and $35 million of back hotel taxes that are due to the city that have not been collected. And they're due from the hosting platforms 
that collect the taxes on behalf of their hosts. That's Airbnb, the treasurer, Cisneros, passed in April of 2012 a requirement hosting platforms collect hotel taxes from their hosts and remit it to the city it has not been followed. You need to put back taxes into the legislation. You all know how much the city needs the dollars. Airbnb is a $10 billion corporation, can afford 25 to $30 million. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Engman. I'd like you to submit the scenarios. Yeah. Actually, before um, you go up, I have two speakers left, actually, and I see three. I have Jeff B. and Leah Pimpental. So um, I, I, I don't see Leah. I know her. So Jeff is the next speaker, and then I'm going to call ten more speakers. So if, if I did not call your name, I do respectfully ask you to sit um, until I call your name. So the next ten cards that I have are, thank you, Calvin Welsh, Lorraine Petty, um, Bruce B., Doug N., David Grace, Noni Richen, Bruce Allison, Pam L. M., Peter Cohen, and Fernando Marti. Um, Jeff B. If Jeff B. is not here, I'm going to move on to Calvin Welsh. Um, or Bruce, or the 10 cards that I've called already. Good morning. Uh, my name is Doug, and my wife and I live in District 8. We have owned our home since 1997 and will always have a mortgage to pay. Part of our home is a one-bedroom cottage with a, a private bathroom with a private entrance as well, and it has no kitchen and never will have a kitchen based upon the size and restriction, uh, uh, size restrictions. So it cannot be rented on a long term, uh, to a long-term tenant. It will go unused if we can't rent this out in the short term as a short-term unit. Most importantly, if we are restricted to a 90-day limit, it will be a lost income that we use to pay our mortgage, property tax, and liability insurance, and it still doesn't cover, um, the earnings still doesn't cover all of that. I'm retired, my wife will retire next year, and our goal and dream is to remain in our house for the remainder of our lives that we have worked so hard for for the past 40 years to acquire. If there is a limit to the days we can rent our cottage, this would most likely prohibit us from living, uh, living out our dream and keeping our house and living in San Francisco. I am not alone in this predicament. A large majority of hosts are in the same situation I am in this regards. I would also like to add that in the two years that I've hosted guests, I have not had one problem zero complaints from neighbors, and quite honestly, our neighbors refer us business uh, to, for their relatives and friends to stay at our cottage. And my guest supports the local businesses in the neighborhood throughout the entire year. I know this for a fact with all the shopping bags, with all the food boxes uh, that they, the clients leave, and the comments that they leave uh, when they review us. It is for these reasons that I am asking you to not put limitations on the number of days in the year that we can rent out our cottage as a short-term basis. By the way, I do carry an umbrella insurance uh, policy of $1 million that covers me for liability, and uh, I am in support of the hotel taxes that will generate new revenues for the city. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Uh, Mr. Ann. Hi, I am uh, Bruce B, and I just wanted to give kind of a visual 
to my own particular situation. I'm a single-family homeowner with my husband, and we live in Sunnyside District. We currently have had 22 reservations. We've been a Airbnb host only since February, so we're in our first six months. So far, we've had zero complaints of noise or anything from our neighbors. Our neighbors do know what's going on. They actually like having us have our Airbnb room open so that some of the new family members in their own families, their family members can come visit and stay with us locally. We're in a neighborhood that has almost no hotels or bed and breakfast that I know of uh, next to Glen Park. Some of the people that have stayed next to us is um, the first one is Kate. She came from England. She worked at Genentech as an intern on an intern salary of $25 an hour. I don't think you can really afford to stay in a hotel. She stayed with us because there's a Genentech bus that is four blocks away at Glen Park BART. And you'll kind of see the common theme in my presentation. Uh, Jennifer came to stay with us because her friend came, uh, was getting married in her backyard and she lived a few blocks away. So she came to stay with us because it was um, geographically um, reasonable for her. Um, the next one was Vlad. He lived on the other uh, side of uh, Monterey Boulevard, four blocks away, and um, was close for his family to come visit him. Um, what I wanted to reiterate was that we also carry an umbrella insurance through State Farm as the second presenter uh, uh talked about. And I'm also not in favor of the uh, cap as well as the home registry. The, the registry pits one neighbor against another neighbor. And I don't think it's um, good for other neighbors to know what's going on. I should be able to operate a business. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. Yes, hi, uh, Supervisors. Uh, point of order before I started, I noticed that the transcriptions are very inaccurate. And uh, I'm very, uh, it's because we rely on actual transcriptions, a lot of uh, phrasing was inaccurate. And I, I uh, this is an important hearing. Uh, I was rather shocked by some of the responses that we got from this side of the room. The staff were giving virtually excuses why San Francisco cannot uh, uh, save its own uh, economic or health and safety uh, as, as this develops. Uh, hundreds of years ago, when epidemics were recognized, hotels were required to change their sheets every night or every few nights. Every uh, traveler uh, who checked into a hotel, there was uh, quite often the police officer would look at the, the board just to see if escaped convicts were uh, moving through the area. So now I can imagine a couple of different scenarios where a, a hitman would decide to use Airbnb and, uh, and what's the pink mustache, travel around secretively and get out of town before anybody notices. Or, uh, say, for example, Liberia right now is going through Ebola. Someone's able to sneak out of, uh, uh, out of Liberia and uh, using the same um, conveyances and, and uh, secretive housing could uh, transmit uh, diseases. So this is a scary situation, and that libertarians are now using the expression home sharing, I think, shows the farce that it is. Thank you. Thank you. 
Hi, my name is Lorraine Petty. I'm a registered voter and I'm a renter. And um, I'm, I'm opposed to changing the current ordinances um, governing short-term rentals at this time. I think it's clear to me and probably most of us a lot more thought needs to go into this before we, we really um, make enormous changes that are going to, well, they've already had an enormous effect on our housing stock. Um, if, if it's inevitable that these things be changed, um, I think that the transient va vacation rentals must be very tightly regulated with very close supervision. And I see here this morning and from following in the media, this is going to take an enormous amount of money to really enforce. And I don't think that what I've heard so far has been specific enough. Even uh, the, the high figure of 12 million that I heard before, you could probably double that and it won't even cover the amount of time and workload we're putting on our various city departments. Um, another uh, one of my issues is the zoning for transient short rentals. Um, I'm of the belief that this should be limited to commercial, business, and tourist areas. I think there's a rush to sell every neighborhood in San Francisco. This is very detrimental. Uh, we could turn our city into the first city-sized theme park in the country. And lastly, I have a great deal of sympathy with people that are hosting um, the places that they actually live in. Um, but I think that they're being used against their wills to provide protective coloration, a false legitimacy to um, large investors who are, who are emptying whole buildings. Thank you, Ms. Petty. Thank you. Hello, Mr. Supervisor. My name is Bruce Allison, uh, representing Poor Magazine. We are opposed to Airbnb because personally I know of 12 units in the Fox Plaza that are being used this way, and I know uh, about 100 others. I'll be willing to give you their names and addresses if you're interested. Thank you for at least putting some leash on there on this wild dog's collar. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Allison. Hi, uh, my name is Pam McElroy. I live in Petrero Hill. I've owned a home there with my family for two years. Um, because of home sharing, I'm able to stay home with my new baby without being rushed to go back to work. Um, he's about three and a half months old. We've also been able to provide housing for our family to come and help us with our first baby um, during this time. And if it weren't for home sharing, I don't think we would be able, or I know we wouldn't be able to afford to, to stay, especially in the Petrero Hill area. Um, additionally, um, all of our guests do provide um, business for the local businesses, which I think otherwise would not be as prevalent in Petrero Hill. There aren't many large hotels, so a lot of the boutiques and little restaurants um, in our locals' neighborhood very much appreciate it. I think that's it. <laughs> Thank you, Pam. Thanks. Thank you, little one. Very cute. 
Good afternoon. My name is Noni Richen. I'm president of the Small Property Owners of San Francisco. In my previous testimony, I talked about transparency. We believe that the registry should be public, just as our business records and ownership records are public. They're open to anybody. There are a couple of other items that are very important. The first is uh, Section 37.9, which covers just cause evictions. It says the tenant is using, a, this is a just cause, the tenant is using or permitting a rental unit to be used for any illegal purpose. And they've at, you've added, provided, however, that the landlord shall not endeavor to recover possession of a rental unit solely as a result of a first violation of 41A that has been cured within 30 days. This is just giving rise to uh, violating our leases. This is wrong. It should be removed from the, from the uh, legislation altogether. And another troubling section is in the definitions on page 11, line 3. Owner. Owner includes any person who is the owner of record of real property. As used in chapter 41A, the term, for, the term owner excuse me, includes a lessee where the lessee is offering a residential unit for transient use. The tenants don't own anything. All they own is a month-to-month -month lease, and this is wrong to have this in the legislation. Um, and the third er uh, area is enforcement. We insist that there be a reasonable method of enforcement before this legislation is implemented. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ms. Richin. Good afternoon, supervisors. Uh, I wanted to start off by reminding folks here about uh, some of the laws that we have in this city. We have a condo conversion law. We have an SRO conversion law, laws that have been in the books for the last 30 years. And the reason we have these laws is because we are a city that values its diversity, and we value our diversity by maintaining our rent-controlled stock of housing, housing that when we lose is gone forever. And what we see happening with short-term rentals is increasingly those units are being taken off the market, either entire units that are being taken off the market or individual bedrooms that are taken off the market. I have lived with housemates since I've been in the city since 1990, I could and have rented out my room on Airbnb, and now I have a housemate again. I'm doing my part to solve our housing crisis. The only way that this legislation, and thank you, Supervisor Chu, for putting this legislation together, but the only way that it will actually do what I think you have put out as its intention to do, to not lose our housing opportunities, is with a strong enforcement mechanism, meaning a registry that includes the number of days that people rent out their units that is visible, not necessarily by everyone in the public, but visible by the enforcing agency so they know when violations are happening, that there is a private right of action so that individuals can enforce because we understand the limited capacity of agencies to enforce, and that there is a very clear 90-day maximum provision for all hosted and non-hosted cases. As Planning Director Ram told last, this uh, committee last week, it's very important that, that there be clarity as to the maximum number of days. So we hope that you'll be able to pass this with very strong enforcement mechanisms so it actually does what it is intended to do. Thank you, Supervisors. Thank you, Mr. Marti. Supervisors, Peter Cohen with the Council of Community Housing Organizations. Let me just add to uh, Fernando's comments. 
Uh, again, we're getting there. A number of amendments that are continuing to improve this legislation, but I do urge you, Supervisor Chu and others, to not rush this forward. This is a very, very significant piece of public policy. I think we can all agree. And some of the best policy needs to be done slowly and carefully. And so there's a lot of ideas that have been brought up, need to be discussed, vetted to get it right. A few things we've specifically suggested that we think need more attention. All affordable housing of any type should be restricted from short-term rentals. We just don't want to open up that kind of opportunity to take advantage of our very precious public dollars to turn those kinds of units into small speculative businesses. You already have done some amendments on BMRs and SROs. That's great. Uh, any kind of affordable housing or use of public dollars for housing programs should be restricted in our minds. It also opens up, I think, a very legitimate policy question about in-law units. Now, those aren't subsidized, but those were advertised as, by design, below market rate units, intended to stay below market prices for folks who need them for housing. What kind of unintended consequences does it open up when we allow those to be treated like other units for short-term rentals? It's a question that we think it should be regulated. Another suggestion we've had is to actually have hosted and non-hosted rentals all be 90 days. Why complicate things with the difference between the two? A 90-day period of allowance for short-term rentals is enough, frankly, in our minds, more than enough to have vacationers to San Francisco be able to have a place to stay for folks to be able to cover their rent or their mortgage or maybe even make a few extra bucks. But to open it up further turns it into a small business. And I've actually heard today people talk about small businesses. That's a different story. And I think, Supervisor Kim, you asked the right question. How do you permit a small business if that's the intention? Lastly, how about a horizon for this? How about treating it as a pilot project and have a hard sunset, and after a few years, let's reevaluate with some analysis to see if we should continue instead of letting it go? Thank you, Mr. Cohen. And before our, our next two speakers, um, Ms. Pimentel, um, comes up, I'm going to call up the next ten cards. I have Sarah Short, Ian Lewis, Dennis Muscoffian, Barbara Fields, Greg D., Brooke Turner, David J., V. H., Aaron McElroy, and Andrew Sito. Thank you. Good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is Leah Piedmentel, and I'm a Bayview resident. The cost of living in Bayview continues to rise, with many residents struggling to keep pace with the rising cost of housing in San Francisco. Several of my neighbors have turned extra bedrooms in their home into home sharing for extra income to keep up with their mortgage payment and the daily expenses in San Francisco. Airbnb has been a critical source of extra income for many families in San Francisco, especially during tough times. As a working family of two incomes, we have come to figure out that it's very difficult in San Francisco. We realize renting our home when we go out of town provides us with an opportunity to meet the necessary costs that we have and also provide a way if we want to go out of town that we are able to enjoy and also help people in San Francisco. Burdensome restrictions on home sharing would be yet another blow to middle class families trying to survive in San Francisco. I urge you to act quickly to ensure that, show, that home sharing will be available to local residents. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Pimpentel. Calvin Walsh, San Francisco Information Clearinghouse, uh, kind of speaking in the affordable housing uh, slice here. I uh, want to uh, make some points that have uh, already been made. Uh, uh, I'll make mine very briefly. 
One, it's uh, critically important to amend the current legislation to include um, uh, in-law uh, in units. Uh, in-law units were uh, promised to be a, a rent-controlled resource uh, for low-end fixed-income people, uh, certainly not the kind of category for uh, short-term rentals. Uh, second of all, I think uh, San Francisco has a history of going one step beyond uh, uh, in terms of trying to address affordable housing issues in the city. We have uh, pioneered uh, uh, controlling single-room occupancies. Uh, we have pioneered, uh, we have a home down payment assistance program larger than the state of California um, in, in San Francisco. We have used local money in creative ways to extend affordable housing opportunities and uh, uh, limit uh, income uh, uh, recipients of that funds in order to preserve affordable housing opportunities for a maximum number of San Franciscans. I think that uh, we think that there should be uh, uh, limitations placed on STRs, short-term rentals. Uh, in those cases, uh, 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 of units that have received public money, city and county of San Francisco pu public money, for the purpose of creating housing opportunities for income-restricted populations. Finally, I would uh, strongly urge that the question of insurance be addressed. It is a question that is necessary to uh, uh, ensure at the highest level both the owners of the property of the STR uh, user is not uh, the owner or other tenants in the building. It's not necessary to stipulate a dollar amount. It is necessary, however, to stipulate that it should be a sufficient amount of money to indemnify. Thank you, Mr. Welch. Supervisor Ian Lewis, Hotel and Restaurant Workers Local 2. Um, simple fact, you've heard it. Uh, in public testimony here, you've also, you can find it in commercial real estate listings. It is two to three times more lucrative to rent to tourists than it is to rent to people who live and work in the city. If you do not put a clear and uh, limited cap, certainly no more than 90 days, on this kind of use, hosted or unhosted, the effect of this legislation as it was written and is presented to you today codifies the market conditions to drive up housing costs in this city. And if that's your intent, then put it in the whereas clauses. Lay it out, spell it out clearly that that is your intent of this legislation. What's better for the working people of this city and the people who are trying to keep on living here is you put a clear limit, an enforceable limit of 90 days. You limit the number of units that this uh, legislation permits over a time period, two years, that you can study and see the impacts. You know, Portland, it's an interesting comparison, but Portland's uh, hotel market is a quarter as lucrative as San Francisco's. The pressures on housing in this city are four, maybe more times greater from this kind of activity than they are in Portland. That is certainly worth studying. It certainly can't hurt anybody to have a, a, a sunset clause in this legislation. I urge you to do that. Put a 90-day or less cap uh, and limit the number of units in the city. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Lewis. Hello, I'm Barbara Fields. I own, or my family owns, a 27-unit building in Noe Valley, and we would want our tenants to obtain our permission before they become an Airbnb host. We think this is reasonable. Our number one concern is for the safety of our tenants. 
And by having people in and out of our building that the tenants don't know, it's not safe. We want to know who these people are that are in the building. And we, what I don't understand is how rent control departments can be offered on Airbnb. They're part of your affordable housing and should be kept as such. When, when I have a tenant that has a roommate that pays $500 a month, they can only rent their unit out or the other half of their unit for $250 a month. This is part of your affordable housing. By changing that and allowing them to charge $200 a night, you literally take that unit off the market as affordable housing and make it a hotel business. I don't understand how you can do that and stay within the rent control laws. Also, I'm concerned about the insurance. Um, I know that it's not easy to get insurance for a, a bed and breakfast or a, a vacation rental. And we don't have insurance to cover that. We're not zoned for that. Our insurance covers our tenants and long-term rentals. By making this short-term rental, you need to get the insurance to cover this. And uh, quite frankly, I don't see how we are going to be obligated to take this on. I think that the people that are hosting the families need to take that on. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Fields. Good afternoon. My name is Greg Demeza. <clears throat> I'm a longtime resident of San Francisco. I've lived here for 30 years. I've owned my home in um, Bernal Heights for 20 years, and I'm one of those that fall in the category of I live in my house 365 days. I have an extra room that's a little small. Um, I'm not interested in having a roommate, um, and so I decided to go with Airbnb. And I could tell you today about all the great people I met and all the wonderful experience, even the money I made. But I'm an architect as well, <clears throat> and part of uh, the job that I've been given is to um, convert properties <clears throat> to restaurants in some cases, to, res to uh, uh, in-law units, and so forth. And the process that we have in the city to do that is extremely expensive. It takes forever. I, I'm sorry. It takes many, many, many months. What I'm asking for you to do is to look at creating a new category, completely new. Break the mold. We're about innovation. We should be thinking outside of the box in this, in this regard. Um, I can't talk about multi-tenant. I, I agree to some of the points about uh, that. When it comes to insurance, like many of the people who have houses like my own, there are vehicles, there are products that insurance companies sell. It's not really an issue. Um, so I urge you to please think uh, deeply about it. And um, you know, I'm opposed to the 90 days. Um, it, um, it really wouldn't be worth it for me. Um, and uh, anyway, I hope that you look closely at this issue. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is Erin McElroy. I'm here with the Anti-Eviction Mapping Project. Um, I'm here because uh, we're, we all know that we're in the midst of a major eviction crisis in San Francisco and in an affordability crisis. We know that uh, landlords and homeowners are um, abusing the Ellis Act and other forms of no-fault evictions to rid their uh, units of tenants and to make more money through Airbnb and VRBO, et cetera. Um, we also recently discovered that uh, 
new condo owners are abusing Airbnb and VRBO. 40% um, of uh, owners of new condos in San Francisco do not live in San Francisco. We're finding that a number of them are indeed uh, renting their units as short-term vacation rentals. There is a unit in the Millennium Tower right now for $11,000 a month on VRBO. There is one for over $12,000 a, a night, rather, a night on um, Airbnb. Um, through uh, data we've been collecting in uh, the Tenants Union uh, through the Anti-Eviction Mapping Project, we're finding that a number of um, evictions are taking place uh, in uh, the Mission, in North Beach, and the Castro neighborhoods that we know are already being really hard hit by people who are then converting these uh, units to Airbnbs and VRBOs. We need stricter regulation um, of uh, any uh, enforcement that is already on the table. Um, we know that uh, Often tenants uh, do not know their rights or they're scared to exercise their rights. We know that uh, the city needs to enforce uh, regulations better. We need to allow uh, organizations like the Tenants Union to sue when landlords do abuse uh, Airbnb, VRBO, and other short-term vacation rentals. We also need to ban evictions of tenants who are illegally subletting. This is not going to solve our crisis in San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. McElroy. My name is Andrew Zito with the San Francisco Tenants Union. Uh, just short points and want to echo with what my colleagues have been saying uh, with around enforcement. Um, I believe strongly that there should be a measure to include a private right of action uh, for nonprofits and uh, private citizens to enforce uh, these laws because it's clear um, that uh, DBI and planning will probably not have the resources to do this enforcement, to keep up with this registry and, and to knock on people's doors if they have to. Um, so I would strongly encourage that uh, the private right of action be included and additionally that uh, tenant protections be included. Um, I know uh, Supervisor Wiener has included a, an amendment to uh, notify landlords and that's supposedly uh, going to help tenants uh, prevent, uh, to be preventing, uh, to stop being evicted because uh, their landlords would know that they're using Airbnb, but uh, I think a explicit uh, uh, ban on evictions uh, for tenants using Airbnb is uh, should be included. Uh, thanks. Thank you, Mr. Zito. Good afternoon, Supervisors. I'm Sarah Short with Housing Rights Committee. This legislation is not ready for prime time. We appreciate the intent, which is to regulate uh, this tremendous problem. Um, Currently, the short-term rentals are illegal, I want to remind people. Um, what's on the table now is to legalize the practice, and that's why we have to be incredibly careful about how we do this. Um, by definition, the rentals would have to be limited to a short period of time. Okay? If they're not, then they're not short-term rentals. They are, by definition, rental units. If they're rental units, then they must comply with the rent ordinance. So not to have strict time limits would be an absolute end run around rent control and would take thousands of units off the market that otherwise might be affordable to average San Franciscans during this extreme housing crisis. But legalizing the time-limited rentals does not work without strong enforcement, and that's where the gap is at this point. Without the enforcement, you're opening the floodgates to removing huge numbers of rent-controlled units, and that's what this legislation becomes. Is that an appropriate response to our housing crisis? Mass removal of long-term affordable units? No. It would be nothing short of irresponsible as a city to give carte blanche to this practice in the way this proposed legislation currently does. Enforcement can and will not happen 
without adequate information about who's playing by the rules and therefore who isn't, who is skirting the law, reporting the number of days, aggressive monitoring, comprehensive investigation, all of which takes significant resources, and most importantly, the ability to sue fragrant, fragrant <laughs> proven violators uh, without having to go through complicated uh, administrative processes first. Without the strong enforcement mechanisms that currently do not exist within this legislation, we're doing nothing short of giving away our precious rent-controlled housing. Thank you, Ms. Short. Hi, my name is Tony. I was he here last week. Um, Tony, I'm so sorry. I did not call your card yet. Oh. Yeah, we're going in order oh, I'm sorry. this time. Okay. We got a lot of complaints last time, so I want to really respect everyone's time. Thank you for coming back, though. Good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is Brooke Turner with the Coalition for Better Housing. I have uh, three issues I want to talk about today, and I want to thank all of you for your consideration of, of the issue as a whole. It's very important to the city. It's important to our members of the coalition uh, who rent uh, to uh, San Franciscans of every um, of every kind. Uh, the three issues that I'd like you to consider, uh, we'd like to make sure that uh, a monthly rental rate uh, is enforced for the maximum rent of a unit. Uh, an owner of a rental unit should be able to confirm that amount so that you don't have people saying that their rents are either more than they are or less than they are. So an owner should be able to know what that is and what the tenant is renting it out or that they can't rent it out further uh, at a, uh, an elevated rate. The other part, another part is the private right of action. We appreciate that we are part of the administrative process, but we believe the owners of the building should share in that private right of action. We'd like to see ourselves listed as such. And then finally, once again, today I'm uh, going to continue to address the insurance uh, issue and remind you uh, of the perspective or the plight, if you will, of the apartment owners. Uh, by now, I'm sure you have received the stack of uh, national press that uh, the insurance issue uh, relative to Airbnb and the other short-term rentals has garnered. There is no insurance if you're a rental housing uh, property owner. Uh, we want to make sure that there's a competent and enough insurance that should be a million and uh, two million overall. That's what we have to have by law. And we'd ask you to do the same for tenants, to indemnify everyone else in the building. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Turner. Um. Supervisors, my name is Dennis Moskofian. Um, Last week, I sent each of you, each member of the Board of Supervisors, a copy of a letter with five points, but I want to make a couple of points today. I want to open with the, does the legislation as it stands actually get at stopping Ellis Act evictions for the purpose of uh, short-term rentals or, a, or an owner renting out vacant units for STRs? And my impression, my reading, my understanding of the legislation is it actually doesn't do that. Now I just want to talk about a couple of points that were raised today. With regard to registration, as I understand it, the registration, at last, as I last read it, only requires registration after the fact of renting out a short-term rental. I believe the registration should, should be in advance of the STR. In terms of permission, 
for, from tenants, uh, for tenants to get from landlords, permission should be required from the landlords, not just notification. Privacy. Some people here actually said they wanted to keep all of this private. But when they signed up for a, uh, a driver's license, when they registered to vote, when they bought a piece of property, their, their information is public. So this is kind of a bogus sort of, I don't know, libertarian concept that somehow they have to be private. But finally, uh, what I want to say is until the legislation can actually assure all of us that it will stop the Ellis Act's ev evictions for the purpose of STRs, then I think it's not ready for prime time and it not, should not be forwarded until that is clear, not just said, but actually clear in the writing of the legislation. And I would ask, as one other test com commenter said, that um, we see the actual text of the amendments in advance of the next hearing. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Muscofian. Um So I, I realize my colleagues reminded me we have a 1 o'clock um, break that we're taking for 30 minutes. It's now 1 o'clock. But I did call three name cards that did not speak yet, so I wanted to give them an opportunity to not have to wait till after the break. Jeff B., David J., V.H. If you're still here, I want to give you an opportunity um, to speak. Okay. Um, being that they're not here anymore, um, I do have um, 27 more speaker cards. Oh, you're here. Come on up. Sorry, I didn't realize that. I must be BH, so I'm Brian Hill. VH? B like B, right? VI? Oh, no, that's not me. I thought it was BH, so I kept No, going. sorry. That, um, so, um, being that we don't have those speaker cards, we are going to go on a 30-minute break, um, and then we will return at 1.30. We are hearing, um, as Chair Wiener mentioned, items 4 and, let's see if there's one more. We'll be hearing, um, yeah, items 4 and 5. Um, after um, at 1.30 as a special order, and then we will return back to public comment on item number three, and again, we'll hear um, the 27 speaker cards that I have remaining um, at that time. Um, so thank you, and we'll see you when we return.
Francisco Government Television. My name is Jamie Hopper and I'm with the San Francisco Recreation and Parks Department. In this Get Out and Play episode, we are featuring the wonderfully romantic park locations in your very own Rec and Park backyards. This is your chance to find your heart in San Francisco with someone special. Starting off our picnic segment, we are here at the lovely and historic Palace of Fine Arts, located in the bustling Marina District. Originally built for the 1915 Panama Pacific Exposition, the palace is situated along San Francisco's northern waterfront, near Presidio's Chrissy Fields and Letterman Digital Arts Center. The Palace of Fine Arts is ADA accessible and is easily reached by the 28, 30, 30X, and 91 bus lines. With its elegant rotunda, Corinthian columns and colonnades set against the reflecting waters of the surrounding lagoon and fragrant eucalyptus trees, the Palace of Fine Arts is one of San Francisco's most romantic settings for special dates and memorable proposals. The palace is also a perfect picnic spot where you can relax with that special someone while listening to the water and fountains in the lagoon and gazing at the swan sail gracefully by. Beautiful to view from many locations along the lagoon and inside the columns is an ideal place to walk around with your loved one. The Palace of Fine Arts is the most popular wedding location in the city park system. Reservations for weddings and other events are available at sfrecpark.org. A Shakespeare's garden contains plants referred to by William Shakespeare's plays and poems. Welcome to the beautiful and unique Shakespeare's Garden here in the famous Golden Gate Park. Located near the D. Young Museum and the California Academy of Sciences, Shakespeare's Garden was designed in 1928 by the California Spring Blossom and Wildflower Association. Flowers and plants played an important tool of imagery employed extensively throughout Shakespeare's literary masterpieces. Here is a truly enchanting and tranquil little garden tucked away along a path behind a charming wrought iron gate which weaves its own romantic magic. This garden is the spot to woo your date. Stroll around and appreciate the beauty of its unique setting. The overarching cherry trees, the gorgeous brick walkway and the brick wall, the enchanting stone benches, the rustic sundial. Share the bard's words as you read the bronze plaques on the rear brick wall that fill the garden full of Shakespearean quotes and famous verses from Shakespearean plays. This compact garden is a sweet park gem to share with someone special. So pack a picnic, find a lovely bench, enjoy the sunshine and soft breezes, and let the whimsical words of William Shakespeare float you and your loved one away. This is one of Reckon Park's most popular wedding locations and is available for reservation. Hop on a 29 bus and have no parking worries. Shakespeare's Garden is ADA accessible. Just a little pocket park located at the bottom of Russian Hill, Fay Park is a secret garden with an intimate and captivating appeal. Carefully tucked away on Leavenworth Street, one block from the bottom of the crooked part of Lumbar Street, Fay Park makes the top of our list for most intimate picnic settings. 
Avoid all tourist cars and parking hassles by hopping on the PAL Hyde or PAL Mason cable car, or the 30, 45, 41, or 91 bus. Fay Park's garden was designed by famous landscape architect Thomas Church in 1957. Grow old along with me, the best is yet to be, is inscribed on a sundial at this little gem of a park. A lush oasis anchored by twin white gazebos, lovely decks, and splashes of colored roses blooming year-round. This is the place to tell someone something special or the place to declare to friends and family the commitment you two share. Weddings and event reservations are available with Reckon Park for this adorable hidden gem known as Fay Park. I'm Jamie Hopper with the Recreation and Parks Department. And until next time, don't forget to get out and play. For more information about reserving one of these romantic locations or any other park location, call 831-5500. This number is best for special events, weddings, picnics in Golden Gate Park, Stern Grove, and the County Fair Building. Or for any athletic fields and neighborhood parks, call 831-5510. You can write us at Permits and Reservations, 501 Stanion Street, San Francisco, California, 94117. Or just walk in and say hello at Old Log Cabin, Stowe Lake Drive, Golden Gate Park, and of course, you can find more information and reach us at sfrecpark.org. Colleagues and esteemed guests, it is really my pleasure um, to welcome the Seoul Korea delegation to my city, the city and county of San Francisco. 환영합니다. 안녕하세요. <laughs> so, last year, um, the San Francisco Seoul Sister Committee had the pleasure of visiting Seoul um, for, the, uh, for the first time in many years with our mayor, Mayor Lee, to, to foster a long-lasting relationship with Seoul that would generate both economic and cultural benefits, along with a great friendship with the Seoul Sister, Seoul, with our Seoul Sister City. San Francisco has much in common with Seoul, from their renowned art and cultural venues that residents take pride in, um, to their historical monuments, and of course, their parks. Our mayors also have much in common. Um, they both started as civil rights attorneys. Mayor Park is, is a well-known human rights activist and attorney who was actually imprisoned while he attended Seoul National University for his work speaking up for our communities. Our mayor here in San Francisco was also a housing tenants' rights attorney um, and led the first public housing rent strike in the country um, when he worked here in San Francisco. Um, they, all are bo they both are also unexpected mayors that are independent candidates that are here to serve their cities. There are, there are many pictures of Mayor Park um, working very early in the mornings cleaning the streets of San Francisco as mayor. Our mayor of San Francisco, of course, started, um, not started, um, one of the many departments he worked in was the Department of Public Works. And when I met the mayor, he was also personally cleaning the streets of San Francisco. Um, and so both of them really understand the infrastructure 
um, of the city, but also understand what it really means to be a public servant and what I think our constituents look for. They're really ready to get their hands dirty um, and really uh, on behalf of their cities. Um, as we move forward, I'd really like to acknowledge um, both of our mayors, Mayor Edwin Lee and Mayor Park Wong Soon, for being the standard bearers for this blossom, blossoming relationship and representing both of our cities this morning. As we work together um, to build the cities of the future, uh, we can also learn so much from one another. Whether it's Mayor Lee's initiative to build more affordable housing in San Francisco and the Blue Greenway um, that lines uh, open space along our waterfront, or Seoul's initiative also um, to build more public housing for its resident and building more open space along the Han River. And of course, both of our initiatives around the sharing economy, I think we have much to learn from one another. San Francisco has been on the forefront of the sharing economy, with many of our companies starting new sharing ideas, whether it's um, Lyft um, or Airbnb. Um, Seoul has really taken that on. Um, they know, not only have private initiatives for sharing economy, but the government itself is starting its own sharing platforms. One that I was really impressed by, um, too, actually, they've started using their public buildings, opening up its stores, and allowing its citizens to use vacant offices and conference rooms for its own meetings. And on top of what their own private hosting companies are doing, allowing residents to open up their homes and rent out to tourists. They've also started a site acknowledging that the number of seniors living alone has doubled in the city of the Seoul, very similar to San Francisco. So they started a site for young people that are, lose, that are looking for affordable rooms to pair up with seniors um, who are living by themselves and taking them out of isolation and building community and real meaningful relationships. I think our cities have much to learn from each other. And I'm so excited that we are going to be here today um, to um, officially sign an MOU. I'd also like to recognize a couple of people in the room. First of all, um, our, own, our very only Chief of Protocol, Charlotte Schultz. And we'd like to thank her staff and office for organizing this morning's reception. And finally, I'd like to recognize our own Seoul, um, Seoul San Francisco sister committee, Claire Chang, Christina Jong, Mike Kim, Angela Chongsun Lee. Please wave your hand so we can all acknowledge you. Please stand, actually. <laughs> Chong Park, Mike Kim, Keith Kim, Stuart Fong, Young Ho Kim, Joy Boatwright, and Helene Kim. As you can see, we have quite an active sister committee, and I hear we're one of the most fun delegations. I won't say which staffer said that to me, though. Um, so I'd like to now hand over the mic to our chairman, Hagen Choi, to say a few words. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for joining the San Francisco Seoul Sister City Committee in welcoming Mayor Park in San Francisco. So city uh, our Sister City Committee wish to thank Mayor Edwin Lee for joining this morning at the City Hall. Since his birth of our Sister City Committee, our primary role has been strengthen our relationship between San Francisco and Seoul. 
and we re-energized this goal with the mayor's lease visit to Seoul last year. And this today, Mayor Park's visit to San Francisco confirms the commitment to its connection. San Francisco has long been a gateway city between Korea and the United States. And given the recent free trade agreement and visa waiver program, we expect an increase in tourism and business investment, and also an exchange of our culture in various industries for San Francisco. San Francisco, a mecca of innovation, uh, from creative startups to biotech firms, which change our lives. Uh, and so San Francisco will play an important role in Korean-American relationships in years to come. The San Francisco Sister City Committee will celebrate next year at 40th anniversary. We are planning to do, we are planning to celebrate this through a commemorative event and also a creation of a memoir book which showcasing San Francisco's relationships for years. If you have any content or planning to uh, wish to participate to help us, please contact our sister city committee. We hope that Mayor Park and Mayor Lee will bring much prosperity for our two cities in coming years. And thank you all once more for attending, joining our sister city committee reception for Mayor Park. Thank you, Hagen. And now, I'd like to introduce our esteemed mayor, Mayor Edwin Lee, to kick off our signing ceremony here today. Thank you, Supervisor Kim. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the People's Palace. Council General Han, thank you uh, for your esteemed work and our relationship is very strong and, of course, uh, today is, we're extending an, a sincere warm welcome to Mayor Park and to your entire delegation. Mayor Park and I were uh, just talking about how, how our cities are so alike. Uh, and uh, you'll find out now that uh, he's, a, he's a great student of technology. In fact, he told us this morning he has 10 million twi Twitter followers. I have two, <laughs> and they're my daughters, but anyway. But I want to welcome the entire delegation here to uh, our great City Hall. And I know that uh, it's very special, uh, certainly for our uh, Seoul, San Francisco sister city, uh, as uh, we are on the verge of recognizing a, a great uh, history milestone for our sister city relationship. But, you know, before I make any further remarks, let me uh, take this opportunity to uh, identify and celebrate uh, someone who has been so integral uh, to our entire city's relationship with so many different mayors, uh, different cities, uh, different countries. Uh, I want you to all join me for this very special moment in honoring and recognize someone whose birthday is today, and that's our Chief of Protocol, Ms. Charlotte Schultz. <laughs> you. 
It's been great getting older with this mayor, I can tell you. In fact, I think I'm getting younger because I'm trying to keep up with him. Thank you, thank you. All right. Thank you. Well, you know, Charlotte's already served, I think I'm her eighth mayor. And she's done some 40 years of service uh, in the protocol office, and she's literally known around the world uh, in every place as literally our ambassador of our city. So uh, all sectors, whether it's cultural, education, academic, business, uh, they've known her, and I've been very lucky as the mayor to have Charlotte as our chief protocol officer. Again, happy birthday, Charlotte. Well, Mr. Park, thank you for allowing me, uh, Mayor Park, to uh, recognize Ms. Schultz uh, in your reception. Uh, she's been so instrumental to us, and uh, we thought that we would add uh, a, a lot of great history uh, to this signing today. And I'm so honored uh, to have visited Seoul, Korea, just last October. And while it was one of the short trips, and I owe myself, and for, uh, also for this city, that I return uh, we had a wonderful time. We met you at City Hall. We were able to address uh, your uh, City Hall department heads and discuss with them how we are each trying to make our cities even better. And we were so impressed. Uh, look at their transportation system. We're trying to pass the $500 million bond here. You should see what Seoul has by way of their uh, very enlightened transportation system. And we, at that time, uh, with Mayor Park, we signed a memorandum of understanding to begin uh, this uh, partnership and to reinvigorate it. And we did so uh, with a great uh, knowledge that we have had a strong history with our sister city and our Council General's office. We are honored to host you today, Mayor Park, and know that your visit will create great new ties and more vigor in our relationship. I noted uh, earlier uh, how wonderfully modern our cities are and how we both strive to make sure our citizenry share in that innovation. We also, if you haven't been to Seoul, but I think many of you have who are here in this room, but I'll tell you this to the millions of other followers uh, of uh, Mayor Park's Twitter account, uh, we are a city that matches each other in beauty. We have great hillsides. We each value our waterways. Uh, for us, it's a bay. For you, of course, is a tremendous river. We're modern cities. We're innovative cities. We have strong workforces. We have excellent, excellent educational institutions. Seoul and San Francisco are both considered to be global centers of commerce, of culture, and of education. We are also fantastic centers for tourism and cities that also have common challenges with housing, transportation, environment, and inclusivity. In fact, I was asking Mayor Park, what's he doing about housing? I've got a 30,000 housing goal to build making sure 33% are affordable. Of course, he whispered in my ear, he built 80,000 units of housing already. And that's fantastic. I'm going to learn a lot from this. Uh, but I'm also pleased 
that our sister city uh, really is a strong tie. And we are looking forward uh, literally to next year when we celebrate a huge milestone, 40 years of sister city relationship. And what is the result? Well, we're benefiting greatly from it, and I, I know Seoul is as well, but let me tell you one of the great benefits. After signing the MOU just this past October, uh, part of it was education and uh, exchange, uh, exchange of best practices. And today we have at our city hall two representatives from uh, Seoul government that are working here, Ms. Cho and uh, Mr. Yi, who are going to be here for a very good time, some 18 months, uh, working right here at City Hall, also being on the campus of San Francisco State University, another great institution, and working to uh, really understand how we could work together, what the things we are challenged with, but also our successes, and how we take this phenomenon of 2,000 technology companies and forge even better systems of communication, in healthcare, in small businesses, in science, and truly bring those benefits to all of our communities. This is what they're here for, and we are glad not only for them to be here, but for us to exchange constantly with them. Today's MOU is focused on an advanced and more focus on tourism and cultural exchanges. And we are glad to do that because we know uh, that we want to grow internationally even more. Uh, we want to make sure we get that high-speed rail uh, down so that we can have that L.A. commute on the rail so that we can receive more international flights. That is why companies want to be here in San Francisco. They love the Bay Area, they love the city, but they want international markets. And you and I know that, and you and I also know that being in an international city is one of the prize reasons why we came to live here. So, Mayor Park, I would like to congratulate you as well on your recent re-election to the mayor of Seoul. Ten million people, that's a lot of folks to have to satisfy. <laughs> and uh, that I, I welcome you here on this trip, uh, that we will constantly be in touch with each other. I may not uh, want to express too many thoughts to 10 million people all the time like you do on your Twitter feed, but uh, we do say uh, to each other that our great cities will benefit from the strong relationship. We look forward to celebrating 40 years of great relationships to our sister city, and thank you for just uh, coming here and confirming our relationship and the things that we will do together in the new future. Congratulations. I realized in my excitement of kicking off the event, I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Jane Kim. <laughs> I serve as a member of the Board of Supervisors here in San Francisco, and it is really my honor to have been the first Korean American elected to office here um, in this great city of San Francisco. And while, while I was born in the U.S., I spent many of my summers um, in Seoul, 
And every time I landed in then Kimpo Airport, there's, there's a smell. I don't know if you remember. I, I think everyone <laughs> that, and when you land, you know that you're at home. And even though I wasn't born in Korea, I've always felt Korea was my home. And actually, many of my summers were marked um, in the 80s by, by closing windows regularly in the afternoon because um, of tear gas. Um, I realize now, probably in many ways organized by the man that is here on our stage today. <laughs> Um, who was really a, a, an activist fighting for um, a progressive and independent and democratic vision of, of Korea. And, and now as mayor, um, it's really my honor to introduce a man whose career I've been following from afar, um, one who has been really leading an independent and progress, uh, progressive vision um, for its city that um, is centered around equity, following the, the success, success of the free lunch program for its elementary and middle school students, um, to its work around um, the environment, um, and housing and many other important issues. So please um, um, help me welcome um, the mayor of Seoul, Mayor Park. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for your kind introduction and good morning, everybody. Uh, actually, you know, coming to San Francisco, I had a strong feeling of coming home. Because, actually, I had stayed for seven months uh, at Stanford as a visiting professor in 2005. So I had many chances to visit, to enjoy the many parts of San Francisco. And Supervisor Kim uh, mentioned the uh, many common things between uh, Mayor Lee and me, uh, and including you know, cleaning the streets. <laughs> so they say that uh, the president is talking about principles, but the mayors are picking up garbages. So I'm, uh, you know, every morning I'm picking up garbages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it means the uh, complicated things the mayors should deal in everyday life of the citizens. So, uh, Mayor Lee, uh, it is really my great pleasure to see you again this time in San Francisco. I want to thank you, uh, Mr. Chair of San Francisco Seoul so City Committee for the warm welcome and all of the efforts to strengthen the friendship and partnership between both cities. San Francisco and Seoul first established sister city relations back in 1976. Since then, we have maintained active exchanges, for example, mutual visits of city delegates and exchanges of public servants. And also very much uh, thank you for accepting our two you know, our staff here in San Francisco City. So I think they are learning very much. Of, and San Francisco is truly one of the world's leading city in many aspects, economy, culture, and arts. There is so much that Seoul can learn from San Francisco. Creativity, innovations, and entrepreneurship. Especially uh, Mayor Lee mentioned this morning that you know, there are a boom of technology-oriented enterprises here in 
San Francisco. So I asked cordially to share them, some of them, with so. Actually, uh, recently, Google decided to establish the Seoul campus in Seoul. So I think in that sense, there are so many things to cooperate each other. I'm happy to be signing this MOU today as it will face, will facilitate a more strengthened relationship in the tourism and culture fields and provide more practice tourism and cultural benefits to the citizens. Seoul is making efforts to become a leading tourism and culture city. So ho I hope that we can share more information, ideas, and experiences in these fields. There is an old Korean saying, clothes are best when they are new, but friends are best when they are old. So I sincerely hope that this special friendship between our cities and between our citizens continues on for many, many decades in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you. And now for the ceremony. So I would like to ask Mayor Lee, Mayor Park, Ms. Schultz, and Mr. Choi, the chairman of our committee, and members of the Seoul Sister City Delegation to join me in witnessing the signing of the Memorandum of Understanding um, between our two cities. And I'd also like to welcome our Council General. Just a few steep steps away from bustling Union Square is a quiet cornerstone of San Francisco's art community. The Meridian Gallery on Powell Street has a 20-year history of supporting visual arts, experimental music concerts, and author readings. Give us this day our daily bread at least three times a day, 
and lead us not into temptation too often on weekdays. Meridian stands apart from the commercial galleries around Union Square, and it's because of their core mission to increase social, philosophical, and spiritual change among isolated individuals and communities. Basically, it is a statement that embraces the idea that significant art of any kind in any discipline creates change. It's a philosophy that attracted David Linger to mount a show at Meridian. You want to feel like your work is somewhere that it can do some good. And I felt like Meridian, at Meridian it could do some good. In fact, we didn't even talk about price until the day before the show. Of course, Meridian needs to support itself and it needs all kinds of support from the community and it needs to sell work, but that was not the first consideration and so that made me very happy. David's work is printed porcelain. He transfers images onto and sculpts the surface of fragile sheets of clay, each one only one-tenth of an inch thick. It took me about two years to get it down. And even so, I would say I lose 30% uh, of the pieces that I make. Something happens to them, they crack, they break, they, during the process, it's very complex, they fall apart, um, but it's worth it to me. They're photographs that I took when I was 19 in the former Soviet Union. And these are gigantically blown up from the original images to the point that they lose resolution. I don't mind that because my images are about the image, but they're also about the idea, which is why there's text all over the, the uh, entire surface. Meridian moved into the Perrine Mansion on Powell Street just five years ago. Its galleries are housed in one of the very rare single-family residences around Union Square. For the 100th anniversary of the mansion, Meridian hosted a series of special events, including a world premiere reading by Lawrence Ferlinghetti. The birth of an American corporate fascism. The next to last free speech radio. The next to last independent newspaper raising hell. The next to last independent bookstore with a mind of its own. The next to last lefty looking for Obama Nirvana. <laughs> the first day of the Wall Street occupation to set forth upon this continent a new revolutionary nation. In addition to its own programming of artist talks, Meridian has been a downtown host for San Francisco State's well-known Poetry Center. Recent luminaries have included David Meltzer, Steve Dickison, and Jack Hirschman. You can block us out of the press, block and arrest us, tear gas mason shoot us, as we know very well you will, but this time we're not turning back. We know you're finished desperate near the end, hysterical in your flabbergastliness. Amen. After the readings by Hirschman and Ferlinghetti, the crowd headed to a reception upstairs by wandering through the other gallery rooms in the historic home. The third floor isn't usually reserved for just parties, however. It's the stage for Meridian's live performances.
under the guidance of musical curators Adria Ott, Tom Bickley, and Philip Gelb, Meridian has maintained a strong commitment to new music, compositions that are innovative, experimental, and sometimes challenging. Sound art is an artistic discipline that usually receives short shrift from most galleries. San Francisco's musicians have responded to Meridian's attention by showing strong support for the programming. Looking into Meridian's future, Anne Brodsky jokingly says that she wants to keep doing the same thing that she's been doing since 1989, to enlighten and disturb. I really believe that art has, all the arts have a serious function and that it helps us find out who we are in a, in a much wider sense than we were before we experienced that work of art. Food in San Francisco isn't just about expensive eats. It's about food for everyone. And there are some organizations in the city who are doing really good work making sure that fresh, healthy, organic food is accessible to everyone. More and more San Franciscans are becoming interested in urban agriculture. They want to build community, enjoy open green space, and most importantly, know where their food is coming from. Today we'll look at three programs. Good afternoon and welcome back to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, Land Use and Economic Development Committee. Uh, we uh, will end the recess and reconvene. Um, we did not complete public comment on item number three, uh, but as, uh, as I indicated at the outset of the hearing, uh, items four and five we did uh, calendar specially for 1.30. Uh, so we will call items four and five, complete those two items, and then resume public comment uh, for item number three. Uh, Madam Clerk, will you please call items four and five? Item number four is the urgency ordinance approving an interim zoning moratorium on production distribution, repair conver conversion in the proposed central south of market plan area. And, and I actually, I'm sorry, chest item four. Okay. My, my apologies. Um, chest item four, and then we'll proceed to five after. Okay, so item four um, by itself is before us. Uh, Supervisor Kim is the lead author of item number four. Thank you, Chair Weiner. Um, colleagues, today we are hearing actually the first item of, of a compromise agreement between my office and the mayor's office on a plan to build more affordable housing um, here in San Francisco um, and also to um, slow a little bit um, to slow down uh, some of the gentrification that we're seeing um, in many of our neighborhoods. Um, today before us is a proposed interim moratorium prohibiting the conversion of buildings that are currently identified as production, distribution, and repair in the central uh, Soma uh, plan area, banded by Market on the north, Townsend on the south, 2nd Street on the east, and 6th Street on the west, 
while we currently have the planning process underway to rezone this entire area. Our policy goal is to encourage the preservation of PDR spaces and to support no net loss of PDR in the area. We know that this square footage supports a different type of jobs um, that provide living wage um, jobs to middle class residents here in San Francisco. The South of Market is a rich and vibrant neighborhood with a mix of uses and PDR is an important part of this mix and always has been historically. This issue was recently highlighted in the news when Kilroy made an announcement of purchasing the Flower Mart on Six and Brannan. The Flower Mart, as many of you know, is the second largest flower mart in the country and one of only five wholesale markets in the nation. These interim controls would prohibit any conversion in the Flower Mart of PDR use and any other PDR space in the Central Soma plan while the city engages in a planning process to re appropriately rezone much of this area so that we can um, host a mix of uses on this plan, including office and residential. And as I mentioned before, we know that PDR spaces and job provide important employment um, for our middle class and also our working class um, workers. And even um, several weeks ago when meeting with um, Chinatown Tenants Association, many of them had mentioned to me that they had family members and friends that worked at the Flower Mart and were concerned about the job loss that would result if the Flower Mart was no longer in existence. Now this part of the agreement came long before all the news came forward, but I highlight this issue just um, to give uh, folks an understanding of what we're trying to um, prevent against. Um, in addition to preserving PDR spaces in Central Soma, another reason to introduce these interim controls is to take a careful look at our land use in the South of Market. As we all know, we need housing that is affordable to the majority of our residents, and the Central Soma Area Plan is a plan where we will have a goal to achieve 33% of all new housing as designated as affordable. This will be a huge um, feat um, for the city, given that we no longer have redevelopment as a tool to build more for affordable housing. But I'm really excited that the city is committing to making this happen um, without the tools that we have always historically had and that we will be creative, um, um, creative in looking at our toolbox to make sure that we can meet um, this goal. So what does this moratorium do? The interim zoning moratorium urgency ordinance would prevent the planning department and the planning commission from issuing an approval or authorization to change or replace PDR uses by a non-PDR use in the proposed central south of market plan area, acknowledging that often the non-PDR use can call for a higher rent um, than PDR uses can. This legislation would exempt the following areas and projects from the controls that we are introducing. One, the C3 zoned district. Two, proposed projects that comprise of 100% affordable housing as defined in planning code sections 415.1. Three, properties containing any of the following PDR uses, gas stations, parking lots, and self-storage, where we know that much more use can be made of the sites than are currently there right now. Four, projects subject to a development agreement under the Administrative Code Chapter 56 in California Government Code Section 65864. Um, we know that the 5M project, was a, which is a major project in this area plan, is currently undergoing um, negotiations for a development agreement, which is in this area plan boundary lines. And finally, projects that have submitted an environmental evaluation case in zoning areas where conversions are currently allowed to the planning department on or before September 1st, 2014. So acknowledging that there are projects in the pipeline that did not know that this legislation was moving forward, giving them certainty that they can move forward 
while giving notice to projects that have not yet submitted environmental. These controls will be in place for 45 days as required by law. Our intent is to renew these controls at the end of 45 days and extend the controls until the central SOMA plan is finally adopted. In the process of introducing these interim controls, a project 663rd Street was approved at the Planning Commission. Um, in order for these interim controls to conform with the recently approved project, the Planning Department has asked that we consider an amendment, which I will bring up after public comment, to allow this project to move forward. Actually, I was really happy with how this project turned out um, because um, the property owners agreed to do 50% um, of its square footage dedicated to PDR. I think that this was certainly a fair compromise, um, given that it's currently um, being used for office, even though it's not supposed to yet. Um, but I think that um, we were able to get to a good conclusion on this project. And so that completes my comments. Thank you very much. Supervisor Cohen. Thank you very much. Uh, Supervisor Kim, I'm glad to see that you're doing this. Um, for those of you that don't know, District 10 and District 6 are border sister supervisorial districts, and so a lot of the challenges that um, Supervisor Kim is starting to see in terms of interim zoning changes and suggestions are also reflected in my district as well. So I'm happy to be added as a co-sponsor for this um, uh, legislation and also happy to share notes with you on the work that we're doing in District 10. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, I? This, yeah. Uh, I, I just want to actually, I forgot in my notes to acknowledge Supervisor Cohen. Actually, her legislation was moving forward at the time that we were negotiating with the mayor's office, and so we certainly piggybacked on her office on Showplace Square, um, where there's certainly some concerns around the loss of PDR. So I want to thank you for your work on that, and I appreciate um, you adding us as a co-sponsor. And I forgot to recognize our other co-sponsors, Supervisor Avalos, Campos, Chu, and Mar. Okay, um, so the planning department, I know the commission heard uh, this, so will the planning department like to uh, comment? Uh, Anne-Marie Rogers, planning department staff. Actually, as an interim control, the planning commission did not hear this ordinance, but as Supervisor Kim described, she would like to make uh, an amendment that would uh, allow the project to go forward at 663rd Street. That was the commission authorization of allocating 40,000 square feet of office at this address. And uh, without this amendment, that project would be voided, and that is not her tent intent. So to make sure that that doesn't happen, the amendments would be as follow. To Section 2B, subsection 6, it says the projects that received the Planning Commission approval under Planning Code Section 321, and then it would add into this, and Section 803.9 on our before September 11th, and then again referring back to that amendment under Section 2C, add an exception except as provided above, as I just described in Section 2B6. No project within the SLI district uh, would be eligible for any other exemption. So we believe that those amendments would only affect this one project if you were interested in making them. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Supervisor Kim, is there anything else before we move to public comment? Okay, we will now open public comment on item number four. Uh, is there any public comment on item four? I don't have any public comment cards. Please come forward. Thank you. Good afternoon, Supervisors. I'm Alice Light, Director of Community Planning at TODCO. I'm here today to speak in support of the proposed moratorium on pro 
PDR conversions. I would like to note that um, for the, the public that within PDR production to distribution and repair, that also includes artists' activities, which is very important important in the Soma neighborhood. Um, we are very we were very pleased that the mayor and supervisor Kim included this in their recent compromise agreement. And I want to thank Supervisor Kim for quickly getting on this um, and following through with the ordinance that we're hearing today. Uh, the, the pressures to PDR and SOMA are very real. We see it every day. Artists and small businesses and PDR small businesses are displaced, and one of the problems is that leases are not renewed because um, landowners anticipate future development future land sales and future lucrative commercial uh, leases, and so they don't renew their leases with PDRS businesses. Um, we really don't have the luxury of time to wait to decide what will happen with the Central SOMA plan, so this proposed moratorium is critical in stopping displacement while we figure out what to do next um, and what the long-term solution is in both in District 6, Dis District 10, and the city as a whole. Uh, John Elberling will talk more about what we would like to see in the long term, but it's important to note that PDR and office are not mutually exclusive. Many artists and PDR small businesses are actually quite compatible with office and even in some cases with first floor affordable housing. The PDR small businesses of today aren't as noisy and polluting as light industrial of the past. There's a new wave of advanced PDR that can. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Good afternoon, Supervisors. I'm John Arbling of the Taco Group. Uh, we urge you uh, to support and uh, approve this moratorium. Supervisor Kim has introduced, as Alice stated, it's crucially important uh, to protect what we have today and the businesses that are there now. Um, as you know, the purpose of moratorium is to give time uh, for permanent controls to be uh, evaluated, drafted, considered, and, and hopefully adopted by the Planning Department and this board in the future. Uh, we want to present to you today our draft from our community plan. We've been preparing this well over uh, from a year uh, and talking with many of the businesses, many of uh, the local uh, community stakeholders. And it's a starting point, we hope, for discussion. Uh, it's a tiered system. Uh, the flower mark, for example, would need to be fully replaced in that district. But in other parts of SOMA where the zoning is less restrictive, uh, there would be lesser requirements, but always some requirement for replacement of PDR as part of new development or any conversion. Our goal is, yes, while south of market will see substantial growth in new office development, millions of feet, we want to see, in addition to the flower mart, at least one million square feet of PDR space return, retained permanently. There will also need to be a city fund, presumably an in-lieu fee, that will be used to assist businesses to stay in south of market, hopefully to buy their properties which is always the best way for a business to be stabilized within its own community. Uh, we want to forward this to you and to the planning department for consideration and action, hopefully, when the central summer plan comes back to you sometime in 2015. I'll uh, drop this off with you now. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I have a card for Gabriel Medina.
Uh, thank you, Supervisors. My name is Gabriel Medina. I'm the Policy Manager for Mission Economic Development Agency. It's good to see you all here today. And I just want to express uh, our support for the uh, Supervisor Kim's uh, moratorium on the PDR. Uh, we've seen uh, PDR constantly under threat in the mission and really citywide. And it's a very important point for uh, our clients at Mission Economic Devel Development Agency because uh, many of our clients uh, have a high access to or high barriers to uh, living wage jobs because of either English proficiency or college degrees, and PDR really offers them a, a high living wage opportunity. Uh, in addition to that, we've seen sites, for instance, you have the uh, Schmidt Chocolate Factory uh, on 16th Street, which is laying dormant for, you know, many, many years. And that was actually a former Meta client that Meta helped start uh, that business. And we had a lot of our clients that were able to be employed there, but currently it's, it's not it's not occupied because I, a lot of landlords all over the city are holding a lot of these PDR spaces uh, dormant, uh, hoping for you know higher speculative rents. As we've seen, some PDR spaces uh, um, already converted to either housing or office. You know, PDR really generates about two two dollars and a quarter per square foot uh, uh, in rentals, and, and office is renting for over you know sixty dollars per square foot. So we're seeing a lot of illegal conversions, and I really think that we need a, a comprehensive plan to protect PDR within San Francisco, but we're very happy with this moratorium just to see how we can work together uh, citywide to protect it where we need it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Excuse me, mem board members. I'm David Silverman. I worked with the local family that owns the uh, building at 663rd Street for several years uh, to obtain their entitlements. Uh, specifically, this was uh, an office approval for a historic building in a historic district. And I would uh, vote in support of the um, amended language of the ordinance. And I appreciate the opportunity to speak. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon, uh, members of the board. Peter Cohen, Council Community Housing Organizations. We uh, fully support the uh, the moratorium or the interim controls, and thank you, Supervisor Cohen, for being a co-sponsor today. Uh, this takes me back uh, 12 years or so during uh, the first round of our kind of Internet boom when we had a real crisis of light industry in the eastern neighborhoods being displaced while a planning process was going on. And it took interim controls at that time to sort of stabilize the situation so proper planning could be done and those kinds of permanent controls could be put in place, most of which have been very effective. So here we're in a similar situation with South of Market, very unstable because of the hot market. So this is an appropriate way to at least slow things enough and allow that proper planning to take place. The difference, and I think the really nice thing we have, is there's no longer an argument over whether or not light industry has a place in San Francisco's economy. Back then, we were facing a lot of, uh, if you will, naysayers who thought light industry PDR was functionally dead, and why are we reserving any space at all? Now, frankly, we have greater demand than we have space. So we can think about doing this in a very creative and proactive way because we know this is good for our local economic diversity. We know this is jobs for folks who need it. And we know these are folks who actually are going to live and typically work in San Francisco. These are not commuters. These are local folks who live and work here, which is the kind of smart growth we want. So it's a good time to be doing interim controls. It's a good time to be doing planning. It's a good, good time to be inviting back light industry into our modern economy. Thank you. Thank you very much. Is there any additional public comment on item number four? 
Seeing none, public comment is closed. Supervisor Kim. So colleagues, I'd like to introduce the amendment um, as as um, spoken into the record by Anne-Marie Rogers uh, as an amendment of the whole. Um, so I'd like to make a motion to move forward those amendments. Okay. Uh, Supervisor Kim has offered an amendment. Can we take that amendment Second. without objection? Yes. Uh, that amendment is adopted. And finally, um, would like to make a motion to move this forward with positive recommendation and as a committee report. Okay. The motion is to move item four to the full board as a committee report with positive recommendation. Uh, and can we take that without objection? That will be the order. Thank you, colleagues. Thank you. Madam Clerk, will you please call item number five? Item number five is an ordinance amending the planning code to modify controls for uses of accessory uses in commercial and residential commercial districts. Thank you. And uh, Supervisor Chu is the author of this item, and his office has asked the committee to continue item five until October 20th. Uh, so if there are no comments, colleagues, I will ask if there's any public comment either on item five or on the motion, the possible motion to continue it to October 20th. Uh, any public comment relating to item five? Okay, public comment is closed. Uh, colleagues, could I have a motion to continue item five to October 20th? So move. Uh, okay, um, any objection? Okay, without objection, item five is continued to October 20th. Okay, uh, Madam Clerk, can uh, we recall item number three? Does that need to be said again, or can we just? I, I can go. Okay. Um, item number three is an ordinance amending the administrative and planning codes regulating short-term residential rentals and establishing the application fee. Okay. Uh, so we want to, we are recalling item number three. We uh, ended in the middle of uh, public comment, and I understand that uh, Supervisor Kim uh, uh, correctly enforced uh, the rule that you should not speak until uh, you, uh, your name is called, and uh, we're going to continue to enforce uh, that rule just so that everyone is on an equal footing. Uh, I'm going to call um, uh, about 10 cards at a time, and please only come up if your name has been called. Um, so we'll call the first uh, batch, uh, Robert Karras, Carolyn Karras, Charlie uh, Go Goss, Janan New, Marla Knight, Teresa Flandrich, Dale Carlson, Brian H., Michael G., and Dave Dobson. Good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is Robert Karras. I'm a longtime resident and homeowner in the southwest part of San Francisco. I'm opposed to short-term rentals in RH1 neighborhoods. Homeowners living in areas of the city zoned to single-family residences bought their homes with a clear understanding that these homes are intended for single-family use and that retail or commercial businesses are not allowed in these neighborhoods. And those who now want to turn their houses into B&Bs knew when they bought their houses that short-term rentals are not allowed. And redefining this as a residential is just not use, just doesn't seem right. It, it's a commercial use. San Francisco has a problem with families with children leaving San Francisco. Commercializing our neighborhoods will worsen this situation. Tourist and short-term renters do not constitute a neighborhood. The next comment everyone has made that we have a shortage of affordable housing Short-term rentals aggravate the housing shortage as longer-term rentals are converted to short-term units. Another point that hasn't been mentioned too much, I don't think, is that 
houses and apartments that are successful as B&Bs. In the future, uh, they might help the current residents earn some money. But in the future, then these same houses and apartments will be sold or rented at higher prices as investments, which will raise the price for housing and make housing less affordable. Uh, was that two minutes? Um, yeah, thank you very much. That was a two-minute expiration. Okay, thanks. Thank you very much. Next speaker. My name is Carolyn Karras. As a homeowner in a single-family residential area, I have major concerns about the short-term legal legislation. I understand the concerns of speakers who claim the importance of short-term rentals to enable them to continue to live in the San Francisco area. However, the negative impacts of these short-term rentals, even with the changes proposed and presented today, is considerable. To me, enforcement would be the biggest issue, especially in the RH1 and RH1D areas. Most questions raised today by the supervisors related to apartments and landlords, not to the owners in the RH1 or RH1D areas. The legislation changes include notification of landlords, but what about notification of single-family residents and their neighbors? Who will address the potential problems of complaints of noise and disruptive behavior in these areas? The June, a June San Francisco Chronicle story by Carolyn Sade documents the impact of the San Francisco housing on the, of the impact on the San Francisco housing supply. The story notes the Airbnb model favors tourists and San, over San Francisco tenants and residents. The article quotes the results of compiled in May 2014 by the web data harvesting company um, Canote. Laura Tellerit's chief financial or strategy office states that there is chronic housing shortage and that Airbnb model has a significant impact. The data showed that two-thirds of the 5,000 rentals were for whole houses. And with prices averaging 226 night dollars a night, what's the incentive to do long-term rentals and make it affordable? Um, the legislation contradicts the city's commitment to resolve the housing shortage, lowers the availability of affordable housing, and leads to evict. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Good afternoon. I'm Marla Knight. I represent North Beach Tenants Committee. We formed in January of this year in response to the myriad of evictions in North Beach, and now we are ground zero for vacation rentals. Um, these vacation rentals take place in whole buildings, not just units are being taken over with no host, but whole buildings are designated now illegally as vacation rentals. I support um, inspection by DBI of the properties, both inside and outside, for fire and safety code, probable violations, and I support that as part of the registration process. Um, I'm very concerned, as other members in my committee, we represent about 200 tenants plus uh, a handful of owners in the area. Um, we're very concerned about enforcement. Um, the process in the amendment seems really sound, but we're concerned about the money because unless we have funds designated for the registration, investigation, um, how the regulatory 
measure is not going to work if this is not done in, with due diligence and in a timely fashion. And as I understand it, the only mon- money allocated at this time is the $50 registration fee and possibly money from the fines. So I'm just wondering how, how is this going to be funded so that we enforce it properly? Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon. I'm Teresa Flandrick, and I'm here today um, representing Seniors and Disability Action Group. Again, with the um, with this legislation, I think enforcement, as everyone has said, needs to be um, assured well before this becomes effective, um, and that money needs to be in place uh, in order to do that enforcement. And so money such as, you know, back taxes owed for the past two years, that would be good to collect that, and for money not to be taken from the general fund um, in order to actually um, have some teeth in enforcement. Um, also, it is a commercial venture, the short-term rentals. It is benefiting, obviously, individuals. I'm not sure that it is benefiting communities um, because the word community has not been used at all in this discussion today nor in the previous discussion. Community is very important to our seniors who are losing their neighbors. Um, they're losing their sense of security because there are temporary transient people coming and going. And in fact, just this weekend on Friday, two vans dropped off six visitors with eight suitcases in front of my door um, to walk then down the hill to the little alley where it is an entire building of four units that have been used as vacation rentals for years. The owner is a real estate attorney and realtor, and that needs to be stopped right now. It still is illegal, and I would really hope that you would stop that because it is preventing my neighbors who are 80, 83, and 87 who received Ellis Acts from finding a place to live within their community. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Carlson. Good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is Dale Carlson for San Franciscans for Neighborhoods, Affordable Housing, and Jobs. I am the official proponent of the ballot measure uh, that's awaiting um, uh, filing with the, uh, uh, the election department. I want to talk today about a, uh, the necessity of amending the legislation to provide a transparent, accessible, and public registration program for short-term rentals. Uh, when we were campaigning for our ballot measure, an Airbnb representative likened a public registration system as something that the Nazis would do prior to rounding up gays and Jews, as something the American government did prior to rounding up Japanese Americans for transportation to relocation camps. Today we've heard from a homeowner who is concerned about his privacy and his safety. If you register to do a short-term rental, no one is going to know when you're doing the rental. No one is going to know when you're out of town. So that's a specious argument. As far as privacy goes, why should this public record be treated any differently than a business license or a property tax record or a property transfer where we know who the buyer is, who the seller is, the price that was agreed on, the size of the mortgage the buyer might carry? Even your statements of economic interest are public records. And if we're going to rely on the public, as the planning department now does, to enforce this legislation, 
the registry needs to be public as an important tool for the public to use to determine what's going on in their neighborhood, what's going on in their buildings. I mean, for heaven's sakes, if you apply for a building permit to remodel a bathroom, the mere application is public, and the mere application generates notification to every property owner within 300 feet of what you plan to do. There is no justification to keep these registrations anonymous. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Uh, hello, supervisors. My name is Lorraine Bader, and I know I had a card in there, and I'm not sure if I was called. I didn't hear. I, I'm, Can, yeah, we didn't call your name. You didn't call me yet. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. I'll yeah. sit down. Thank, Thank you. you. Next speaker. Hi, supervisors. Uh, my name is Brian. I believe my card was called. Thank you for uh, letting me be here. I'm a very proud and happy resident of Bayview, uh, Supervisor Cohen. Love it. We've lived there for over four years. We're single-family homeowners in Bayview. Been Airbnb hosts for over three years, and I've got two small children, ages six and four. I'm just really proud. I want to state, again, I stated a couple weeks ago, wanted to uh, make it clear for those of you who might not have been here two weeks ago, uh, hosting for over three years, not a single safety or crime incident in Bayview uh, with my Airbnb guests in Bayview. Uh, I've been living there for four and a half years, no crime, no problems. Uh, it's a very family-oriented neighborhood, my favorite place I've ever lived in six cities in the United States. I wanted to say a couple things. I, I, I really support the idea of some kind of safety posting, Supervisor Cohen. I appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, Supervisor Chu, the idea of self-report appeals to me. I like the idea as a single-family homeowner of, uh, of being held accountable, paying my taxes. I want to give a shout-out to David Owen and Airbnb as well. Thank you for uh, uh, finally prioritizing taxing uh, guests. I think that's very important. I've heard critics of Airbnb uh, target the, the sort of problems with taxing. Well, thank you, Airbnb, for in the past two weeks emailing me as a host and letting me know that a taxing system is uh, going to be in place very soon. Uh, the last thing I want to do, I want to say here is uh, uh, there's a prejudice against Bayview. I felt it. Everybody, every, every Lyft passenger I drive, uh, when I talk about Bayview, a lot of times I'll hear, wasn't well, that a dangerous neighborhood? Well, you know what? It's not. It's a wonderful neighborhood. And I love being able to share that firsthand with so many people. Uh, very finally, I want to offer all the supervisors a ceremonial key to my house. I'm working with an artist to make that, and I will mail you each one. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Okay. We'll go to the next batch. Um, Brian, I think it's Ma. David T. Uh, Ryan L. Anna Morley. Matthew H, Stacy B, Peter K, Ray A, Sarah M, and Gail. You can come on up. I'm David Thompson. First, a comment about insurance. I think you can detain insurance on a home or any one to four unit building quite easily that does not to restrict uh, short term rentals. So that solves part of the insurance problem. 
Those who have large buildings, five units and more, that remains a problem as far as I can ascertain. Second, a comment on enforcement. Regarding the 275-day limit and how many days are being, the 275-day requirement for living in the unit and the uh, days that are being rented out, it's pretty easy to go on Airbnb, for example, and check this out if you want to. There's probably no need to send people out to look at uh, apartments or invade at 6 a.m. in the morning or whatever critics say might happen. I've done a little bit of this, and you can tell from the reviews what kind of unit it is and so forth and so on. Third, on the question of hosted and non-hosted, the 60, excuse me, the 90-day possibility, um, I think it would be a mistake to have 90 days across the board. There are many people, many people, including a tenant that I have, who need more than 90 days in order to pay their rent. If you want me to, I'll evict them, make more money, and they, like many people, will be out living somewhere, Vallejo, who knows where. But I think we can keep a lot of these people in what is affordable housing for them if they can have more than 90 days as a hosted rental. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Next speaker. My name is Anna, and I live with my husband in Russian Hill. Uh, we own a single-family home, which is approximately two inches away from the single-family home next to us that was purchased by an Australian investor last year who has turned it into a hotel that is managed by a company based out of San Francisco. Um, it's essentially become a fraternity house. The home sleeps 12, and it is a vacation party house. The majority of our complaints are noise-related, parties late into the evening, and this is pretty significant for us because my husband is a surgeon that covers three hospitals in San Francisco for up to 96 hours at a time, but we've also had more serious complaints. We've had to call the police three times in the last year because of trespassing and vandalism. Most recently, last summer, we woke up in the middle of the night and there were 10 people on our roof drinking beer. They had scaled our house because apparently we had a better view from our roof than they had from the roof next door. Um, I'm in favor of any kind of enforcement, but I am concerned about this path to a bed and breakfast because I would hope that the hotel next door to me would be shut down and not made legal. Thank you. May I ask a question? Uh, yes, Supervisor, Supervisor Kim. I, I had a question. Yeah. Have you reported this? Um, of course. And who did you report with? I've worked with um, Kimberly Durandet um, in her, her group, and she's been terrific. But you can't without You're working with the planning department or with Department of Building Inspection? She's with the planning department, I believe. Okay. And she's been wonderful, but without financial transactions, you can't, you, you can't track this. So, I mean, she, she did – the website, which is a, a woman that runs a website for vacation rentals only in San Francisco, originally on the website a year ago, it said perfect for corporate retreats and for parties up to 100. I mean, this is my next-door neighbor's house. So that was pretty easy for her to get that taken off the website. But you, you still can't manage, you know, the, 
I mean, what she explained to me is that it's very hard to prove that these people are coming. I mean, she'd have to sit out. She'd have to sit there and be a spy. How many months ago did you report this to the city? Um, when it first, when the, the hotel first opened, when I first saw their website advertising it, and that was about a year and a half ago. You reported this a year and a half ago, and we still have not been able to shut this down. I, I'm sorry. Actually, this is I'm, I, that was more of a statement than a question. So this is a still we're still doing an investigation for a year and a half on something that is clearly a hotel. I, actually, I'm now looking at planning department. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I'd love to chat with you further about it. I'll give you my card. Um, I, I know we have a lot of public comment. I would love to come back to this issue. I'm really stunned that even with our existing laws, which are actually much clearer than the law that, we're, that we may be about to pass into the future, um, and we're already not able to you know, prohibit this type of activity, a year and a half is stunning. And I, I'm worried that if we have even less clear guidelines that that this is going to get this is going to get exacerbated, but I, I hope we can address these questions after public comment. Thank you. Next speaker. My name is Matthew, and I live in San Francisco. I urge the committee to allow existing short-term rentals in small properties to continue their current operations without change. Any curbs for small properties should apply to those newly entering the short-term market only. A one-to-four-unit building, which unlike large buildings is mortgaged by a personal loan rather than a commercial loan, may be the chief or only investment a retiree has managed to cobble together after decades of hard work in San Francisco. Mortgages and insurance must be paid every month, not 90 days a year. Please do not yank the rug out from under mom and papa. Uh, owners have been positively representing San Francisco to folks from around the world, welcoming visitors in a deeply personal way that is simply not possible for a corporate-run hotel, which were often sold out. The 1981 ordinance applies only to buildings of four or more units. Many small owners have invested in small, have invested heavily painting and decorating and purchasing comfortable beds, flat screen televisions, and vacation quality pillows, linens, towels, blankets, hair blowers, irons, and other home away from home necessities. They buy and sell and configure and maintain software for reservation and hardware such as credit card reader, readers. They sign long-term promotional agreements. It's hard work scrubbing bathrooms, vacuuming, laundering, refilling amenities, dust and stripping and making beds between visitors. Prospective visitors must be solicited, communicated with, screened, booked, and refunded when necessary, and reviewed. Visitors who do, do a lot of shopping in the city, so an owner has to haul away a lot of trash, such as shopping bags, restaurant cartons, maps and guides, and packing material, such as a stack of new but empty shoe boxes, as well as the old shoes worn out by walking around the hills of San Francisco. It's constant hard work, and it's not for everyone. So it won't take over the long-term rental market. It's much easier to collect a monthly rental check from the same person who never moves due to rent control and provides 100% occupancy. Undoing small operations will result in units being offered at the top market rates to new renters who have been lured to the Bay Area and may have big incomes. This will not create affordable housing at all. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. 
Hello, board. My name is Ryan Lugbauer. Um, I'm in David Chu's district, and I just wanted to bring up um, a couple of points. Uh, the number one being is that most of the legislation that we're talking about today and a lot of the provisions inside the legislation are already covered under uh, several different laws that San Francisco already has on the books. For example, if I were to Alice Act a building in order to do Airbnb or another home sharing site, uh, I would be prevented from doing so. Um, the other thing is that we never talk about the positive impact. You've heard hundreds of people talk about the positive impact of Airbnb. I don't know what happens behind chambers, but the positive impact goes far beyond financial and it goes far beyond tax revenues. Um, it, it, it is an ability for people to break down barriers and I've hosted people from all over the world. Safety. Um, I'm a member of a, a group of people who own a seven-unit building. Every year, our building is uh, uh, safety tested. Uh, we have an inspector come by from the Department of Building Inspection and give us a uh, yay or nay. Uh, in the last couple of years, we've gotten a nay based on our stairs. We replaced them, putting $80,000 into the economy. Uh, at the same time, we upgraded all our fire extinguishers. Um, our building was retrofitted in 2000. So when you're looking at these different groups between part-time sharers, which is what I am, I, I'm actually, I actually live in my home, um, versus somebody who uses their property as a hotel, et cetera. The woman who spoke earlier never mentioned Airbnb or, or what other kind of site that's out there. There are so many sites that are out there. My biggest fear is that we all end up going to Craigslist. And when you go to Craigslist, you end up reducing the amount of safety and safety is key, my safety as well as my, my guests. Um, and the other thing that I want to say finally is that my name, address, and all those things should be kept in any registry. Next speaker. Hi, I'm a homeowner in the Upper Haight area of San Francisco. And I'm exactly the kind of host I think that you want in short-term home sharing. I own my building. It's a hundred-year-old Edwardian that requires a great deal of upkeep. I'm a taxpayer. I'm insured. I've got the carbon monoxide, the smoke alarm, the ADP security system. And I'm always there when I have people in my home. So for me, I just ask that as you look at legislation, you look at it from a perspective that doesn't work against hosts like myself. A 90-day cap, for instance, would be a waste of my time. You'd be capping my income on a specious number of days, which I wouldn't think would be fair. I have never had parking issues, noise violations, neighbor complaints, anything. I meet and greet every host. I meet and greet every guest. Building community, I think the people that have been staying with me are exactly what Hate Street needs more of, not less of. They are going to restaurants, using the local uh, businesses. They are fantastic people, and they want to be in a part of San Francisco where there are no hotels. The part of my house that they rent doesn't have a full kitchen. They must eat out every single night, and it could never be a legal second unit. So when you're thinking about this legislation and you're thinking about the differences between residential and commercial, remember Steve Jobs started a business in a garage in a residential part of the city. Um, and a 90-day limit on home sharing, I look to my left, I look to my right, and there are men doing business in their pajamas at home on their laptops all the time, and that's not being legislated. So I certainly hope that that 90-day limit is not something that you are going to impose upon homeowners that are sharing their space. 
Thanks. Thank you. Next speaker. I was called earlier. I'm Brian Hill. Uh, again, I'm Brian Hill, and I support home sharing. Uh, one summer I did host a bunch of Airbnb guests. It was a great experience. I chose to not do it anymore because it's kind of a coordination hassle. Um, everybody has their everybody has their limits for how much hassle something can be. But uh, I fully support it. I want to address one point, or a couple points actually. One is about the distinction between a current resident and a new resident. I think this legislation and certainly all of the existing laws impact speculator's ability to come in, or it would eventually, this legislation, if it were passed the way it is, would impact speculator's ability to come in and convert buildings or lots of individual purchases into a, a quasi-hotel business. So to the extent that the legislation limits one resident to one home-sharing opportunity, uh, you have to ask, did that particular home-share result in an eviction? And if it didn't, and the person is able to get a permit to do home-sharing, you're not talking about displacing any existing residents. It's not an issue. So now what happens is it's a question of are the prospects for new tenants limited because somebody decides that they're going to home share instead of rent out a unit. Um, the person living in that unit is the current constituent, not the person who doesn't live there yet. So the deference should be paid to the person who's actually the hoster in that situation and not the would-be potential constituent. Uh, the second thing is that I'm concerned that if this legislation doesn't pass with, uh, with, if this legislation passes with an inordinate number of challenges and hoops, the business drives back underground to Craigslist as, or other, other sites that we don't even know exist yet, uh, as other speakers have pointed out. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just going to reread the names of people I called who haven't testified yet. In case I walked into the room, Michael G., Dave Dobson, Charlie Goss, Janan New, Brian M. or Ma, I can't tell which, Stacy B., Peter K., Ray A., Sarah M., and Gail. Okay, it looks like none of them are here. So I'll read uh, another batch, actually the final batch. Uh, Lorraine B., Miriam G., Ethan C., Barbara R., Tracy Dauphin, or Dauphin, uh, Sharon M., Nelson Z., Dennis Antonori, Tony Lee, and Tracy Dauphin. Go ahead. Hi, I'm Michael Patterson, live in the Mission with my wife and daughter Zoe. 20-year residents of San Francisco. Uh, my daughter's 13, so she'll be a 20-year resident someday. Uh, you know, my reason for coming here, I've never done anything in front of a public hearing, is I think this is an important issue, and I had difficulty getting out of work. And one point I want to make is... So sorry, what was your name again? Oh, Michael P. Patterson. Oh, did I call you? You called me in a batch, and then before I got up, you said the batch had... Oh, I... Uh... I called him Michael G. as in George. Oh, uh, but I don't have a Michael uh, P., so maybe you were called this morning. About... I just got here and signed in not too long ago. Oh, okay. So, okay, so I'm, I'm sorry, we'll call you. We're just trying to be really strict about the cards. My apologies. Yeah. Next speaker. 
evening, supervisors. Thank you for this opportunity. My name is Barbara R. Um, last year I lost my job and I started um, hosting because I needed the money. Um, it really saved me. If, if home sharing were not an option, I would have lost my home. The space that I used for hosting was never part of the long-term housing stock and never will be. Prior to losing my job, I had used it for friends and family and for my personal use. And when I'm back up on my feet, that's what I intend to do with it again. Um, I'm deeply opposed to the 90-day restriction. Recovering from a devastating financial setback takes a lot more than 90 days. Um, home sharing has enabled me to stay afloat, to stay on my feet. Um, I'm going back to school to get additional training. Um, I'm working on a small business. I hope when it gets up and running, we can provide employment to a few individuals. Um, if the 90-day limit were imposed, I'd be forced to abandon these plans, and I'd be set put, thrust into financial distress just at the moment when I'm getting back up on my feet. So please, I ask that you enact legislation mindful of these situations. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello, Supervisors. My name is Lorraine Rourke Bader, and I live on the north side of the Panhandle. My husband and I bought our house in 1979, and um, two years ago I started renting an extra room on Airbnb to help me pay for my husband's assisted living costs, and I pay $4,700 a month for him to be in an assisted living facility because he has dementia. So I also work part-time as a teacher, and um, all of this together has helped me not have to go too far into our retirement fund. I don't want to deplete that fund, and I'm sure you can understand that desire. So I know that um, I'm here to support Supervisor Chu's legislation. I have liability insurance for renting to no more than two people in my home um, for um, $2 million. And my main concerns about um, some of the discussion today is on the 90-day limit. I really need to do it for more than 90 days to make it really meaningful for me. Um, and the other part is about the registry, and I have no, um, no problem registering and paying to register, but um, I I just feel like you know some of the, some people are talking about something that's very exposing. So I certainly understand you know we we register our cars and things like that. But that's um, and I know that there are people who are have taken advantage of this and evicting tenants and so forth. And I certainly don't support that kind of activity. But I think for somebody who's doing this in my own home. Um, I've had no problems, I've had no complaints, and I've had really wonderful people, and it's been a great experience and so valuable to me. So um, I ask all your consideration for that. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Uh, good, good afternoon, supervisors. Uh, my name is Ethan Cook, and uh, my wife and I uh, own a home in the Excelsior District. We have two daughters who are 11 and 9, and um, we have been either exchanging our home or renting our home for the last uh, eight years or so, and it has allowed us to uh, consistently pay our mortgage and really been a huge help in terms of uh, augmenting our income. Um, we also make a point of providing a listing of all the local businesses to our Airbnb guests because we're so proud of where we live. Our, our children go to public school half a mile away and we, we're really very 
um, engaged with our own community. And so uh, the comments that I get from guests on a consistent basis are, I never even knew that this neighborhood, the Excelsior, existed. And um, I love the cafes around here, and the restaurants are great, and you can get produce for half the cost of what it costs um, at a major supermarket. And um, so there's, there's a, a little mini tourism industry um, in my neighborhood because I and other neighborhood neighbors of mine rent out our homes during school vacations and times like that. Uh, it also allows us to actually take real vacations um, and, and uh, you know, and go away and do things with our kids, which is something that particularly now, uh, that when I'm unemployed for the first time in 20 years, is something that we can, we can do. So um, I really, um, I love what Airbnb and, and similar services like Home Exchange do for our community. Um, it, they certainly help our family. And... Um, and the guests who stay there are, are wonderful people. I've gotten to meet many of them over the years. I get to screen them, to talk to them, and it, it's mostly families that are staying in our neighborhood. So we've, we've been able to welcome lots of families to San Francisco and to the Excelsior. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mr. Antonori. Thank you, Supervisors. Dennis Antonori. I'd like to raise an issue that's received almost no attention uh, in all these many hours of hearings, uh, although it was raised by John Ram on the f at the first hearing, the fact is that the most affordable housing in San Francisco are single rooms. They're shared apartments. The true shared economy is when people get together and share an apartment together because they can't afford apartments. Um, this legislation has virtually nothing in it to protect those units to protect those rooms. It encourages, basically encourages people to take those rooms away from rental to other people, to other people who live here, and to rent them out on a short-term basis. Even with a limitation of 90 days, the amount of money to make off of, off of renting out a room is greater than you would probably get in 12 months from, a, uh, from another tenant. So, uh, I think without a real answer to that question, this legislation shouldn't go forward. It would be a really a crime to affect so much affordable housing uh, without any kind of response to that issue. It really needs to be dealt with in a serious way or we're making a big mistake to proceed with this legislation at this time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Tony Lee. I was here last week and I couldn't believe how some of the issues um, that are most pertinent to this weren't raised. I mentioned it last time, I want to mention it this time, and I'm glad that a lot of the other people were actually mentioning it this time as well. The supposed goal of this short-term rental is to help people. Why not, why can't they make a little bit of extra money? It doesn't, it, it, while, while we do that, the very people that don't have a place to live are hurt equally. So if you have 10,000 rooms that could become bedrooms in San Francisco, you have someone who's allowed to do the Airbnb thing. Now all of a sudden, she, that person could make 3000 a month instead of 800 a month. Of course they're going to do the $3,000 a month thing. And at that point, 10,000 rooms that were available, it becomes, let's say, 7,000 rooms. 
10,000 people fighting for now not 10,000 rooms, but 7,000. It's basic economics. Prices are going to increase. And in the meantime, you have these people that come up, give their story, and I'm sympathetic. I'm in the exact same boat. But while you help these people who already have a place to make that extra little money, while the prices increase, the person who doesn't even have a place, they're going to be the ones that are hurt. Second point I need to make is enforceability. Right now, there are laws that say if you don't live in the place, you're an original tenant, you live in the place, you move out, your lease ends. It's clear law. Right now, landlords, owners can't even enforce that. I love minimizing, I love the, fa I love the concept of just getting rid of Thank you very much. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Sharon Mendes-Nessi. Um, I'd like to give you a little bit of a different take because I'm coming here as a, new biz as a small business owner. I have a business by the name of Carmel Blue and we're located in North Beach. The, our business, or my business, it's a community and an education center for new parents. We provide prenatal and postnatal education and we create communities for the parents and our big mission is to help them understand that they can stay in San Francisco, even though they now have small children. Our immediate communities that we serve are North Beach, our Russian Hill, Soma, Rush, um, all the, the whole surrounding area. And what I've noticed in the past two years is that a lot of our, there is a lot of out-of-towners who are joining our mommy groups and our community. And these are moms whose husbands have been assigned for a few weeks or a few months to San Francisco by their workplace. These can be high-tech firms, America's Cup employees, even Cirque du Soleil management, etc. They come from all over the world and all over the U.S. And there are a lot of them. At certain times of the year, over 30% of my mom's groups will be these visitors. For these moms, the fact that they can stay in a home where they are comfortable, and that includes baby amenities like a crib, a changing table, an infant tub, a bottle warmer in the kitchen, is all the difference between coming here and not coming here. They have told me that they would not be here if their only choice was to stay in a hotel. They are not here to be tourists. They want the comforts of a home with their baby. They want to be part of the local neighborhood community. And they are some of the best customers as they have the time and the disposable income to shop and seek the type of classes I offer or their surrounding businesses offer as well. They come back again next time with their travel partners. And again, they'll use the same situation of a house that has amenities for children. Thanks to all these moms and their kids, um, thanks to Airbnb or these types of services, these moms and kids live at home. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Charlie Goss, and I'm here representing the San Francisco Apartment Association, but also a broad coalition of interests that includes landlords, tenants, labor unions, affordable housing advocates, neighborhood groups, hotel owners, former planning commissioners, and ADA compliance advocates. Um, our members care about San Francisco, its neighborhoods, its affordability, its housing, and its jobs. I'm here today to urge substantial amendments to the legislation as currently written. Airbnb's business model relies on the full-time and illegal conversion of our rent-controlled housing, specifically for a commercial and a transient use. In Romeo and Juliet, William Shakespeare wrote that a rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. 
What he meant was that no matter what words you use to describe something, it doesn't change what the essence of what that thing is. And just because this legislation defines short-term rentals as a residential use does not mean that the activity is, in fact, a residential use. Truly, the nightly removal of a rent-controlled property for a tourist is definitively a commercial activity. Our tax law, our building code, our zoning law, and our insurance policies treat the activity as a commercial activity. And there are a number of notifications that are required when this type of activity occurs in a residential neighborhood. Every commercial use and every conditional use in every residential neighborhood requires the notification of property owners and the notification of neighbors within 300 feet. And there are no exceptions. The legislation as, as currently written would become the only item in the planning code that does not require the notification of neighbors. To imply that this commercial use does not affect the quality of life of our neighborhoods is simply not true. In Portland, Oregon and Grand Rapids, Michigan, two of the only cities to move forward with legislation, both cities require notification of neighbors within 300 feet. Airbnb has, has agreed that this is a reasonable requirement in those cities, so why not San Francisco? I ask for your time and consideration on this very important issue. It should not be rushed. Thank, thank you. Next speaker. Hi. Um, I'm a single-family homeowner um, for the past 17 years in Bernal Heights. I have four kids, 14, 15, 17, and 18. They're all born and raised in San Francisco, attending public school. Um, we've been using Airbnb and home exchange for the past five or six years, and we typically use it for vacation during the summer. This last summer we went to 15 national parks, and my kids, city kids were able to see stars and sleep under the stars for the first time. And we had a nice Canadian, Canadian couple stay at our, at our house, and they were able to rent our house for a reasonable cost and take care of our cat, bring our mail in, et cetera. And they got to have the native local San Francisco experience, which they wouldn't have gotten from a hotel. Um, so I'm imploring you to, to not put a cap on the single-family home. We pay a lot of taxes. I've, been here a long time. I'm hoping that my kids, the next couple years, are all going to be going to college. I've got a daughter for the first time in San, Francisco, San Jose State. And as each one of my kids leaves in the next four years, I hope to rent out my, their room <laughs> and um, through Airbnb to help pay for their tuition. Um, I already know it's a hard city to live in, and it's going to be even harder for our kids that are raised here to go off to college and be able to live here when they get a degree in college from college. So I really wish you would not penalize single-family homes, especially people that have, you know, raised their children here, um, and that we, you would not limit it to 90 days. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to afford to live here any longer. Thank you. And I'm sorry, what was your name again? I missed it. Tracy. Name. Tracy, thank you. Okay. Ms. New. Good afternoon, Supervisors. Janine New, San Francisco Apartment Association. I just wanted to comment a little bit on um, the cannibalization of our rent-controlled housing stock, uh, the possibility of this happening if we make any mistakes in this legislative process. Currently, um, we don't support people that break the law by renting for less than 30 days if they own rental housing. Uh, we kick those folks under the bus, so to speak. Um, so we don't understand how it's okay for tenants to do this in rent-controlled housing stock, but it's not okay for owners to do it. The second part of it is we have to draw a limit at 90 days. If we don't draw a limit at 90 days, then there goes the rent-controlled housing stock. 
we have to draw a limit of no more than 2,500 units. If we don't do that, there goes the rent-controlled housing stock. We're not talking about rooms in single-family homes. We're talking about rental housing, or I'm talking about rental housing. If a homeowner wants to rent a room out in their home, that's their business as long as there's public notice and their neighbors are okay with that. But when you're taking entire rent-controlled housing units off the market, whether it's for one day or 90 days, I just think that that's wrong um, in the whole rent control scheme. And it seems like this body wants to do that no matter what. And if you do, please make a definite limit of, of a minimum of or a maximum of 90 days. And let's make sure enforcement is kept up in this area. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Uh, next speaker, Miriam G. or Nelson Z. Okay. Um, I'll call the next batch of uh, cards. Uh, Michael Patterson, Tony Carroll, uh, Juliana H., Holly Carver, Kevin Cresci, uh, Ron Jordan, Sandra McPherson, Stephen Henry, Melinda McLean, and Dallin Govea. Dear committee, my partner is a uh, owner-occupier of a two-bedroom cottage sorry, in the what, outer sunset. What was your name, sir? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm Tony Carroll. Okay. Thank you. Uh, my partner is an owner-occupier of a two-bedroom cottage in the outer sunset. Together, we use one of the rooms uh, for hosting guests. We support hosted short-term renting. Uh, we disagree that home sharing threatens the comfort and security of our neighbors. We st strongly disagree with measures that would require uh, more of home sharers than landlords, in particular any type of public registry. Our suggestions are let Airbnb and the business peers shoulder the responsibility of assuring its users abide by the regulations enacted by the board. Let them collect anonymous data for the city and report any suspicious activity or persons. Let business bear the expense of the collection and remittance of taxes. The city then collects revenue uh, by which it would incur little or no cost. As for the concerns, neighborhood associations, their rules are already uh, in place and enforced by they themselves. Why not include language in the legislation supporting such agreements? Landlord liability is covered in their rental agreements and current legislation. As for the safety, security of their uh, tenants and property, these are the responsibilities of the landlord. Uh, unfair tenant uh, evictions are an ongoing problem. It is to the multitude, it is so by the multitude of factors and also there are a multitude of solutions uh, as for hotels and their worker job security according to san francisco travel between 2010 and 12 hotels have increased their room rates by an average of 37 dollars per room while enjoying an increase in the occupancy rate of 3.2 percent over the same period i want to thank you for your consideration in this matter and urge and trust that uh, common sense will prevail Thanks. Thank you very much. Next speaker. I'm Michael Patterson, take two. Sorry about mishearing my name the first time. Okay. Uh, 20-year resident of San Francisco with my wife, Jessica, daughter, Zoe, 13. 
we do home sharing, have been doing it for about four years. Uh, the main goal personally is to raise money for her college education. Um, I've heard a number of speakers talk about it taking away housing stock. The reality is we wouldn't rent these rooms out to people on a full-time basis as tenants if this wasn't an option. So the home sharing provides us an opportunity to make extra money for, as I said, college expenses and other, um, other expenses. With regard to neighbors, we've informed our neighbors. We informed them when we did it. We informed them that if they had any, any issue with it, we would take it off. Uh, I think, ironically, we have better relations with our neighbors because this is facilitated conversations. Uh, you don't tend to know your neighbors these days, and we know our neighbors a lot better as a, as a result of this. And I think the final point is distributing the benefits of visitors coming to San Francisco, I think, would be in the interest of the city, never mind the interest of, of myself. Um, having it all downtown in Union Square, I don't know how that's a benefit to the city at large and people staying in different areas throughout the city distributes those economic benefits. We send people to local restaurants, and I, I'm sure you've heard hundreds of these, so I apologize, but um, that seems like it would be in the interest of everybody to facilitate that kind of activity. So um, I'd appreciate anything in that regard. Thanks. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Good afternoon. I'm Juliana Halas, and I'm one of the part of uh, my husband and I are part of the endangered uh, people in San Francisco in the sense that we are seniors, we are on fixed income, and we own our own home and we have to pay property taxes, which anybody who knows is pretty high here in San Francisco. We rent a room, we live there 12 months out of the year, and we rent a room to people where we say that the world comes to us instead of us traveling. So it's absolutely fantastic. In our neighborhood, which is in the marina, all the businesses are very happy with Airbnb. I do want to, though, to relate to a special area, and that is the issue of privacy. I myself have been two years ago a victim of a violent crime in the city of San Francisco by Union Square. It took the police ever to come. In fact, they did not come at all in terms of enforcement. Number two, when I, we did join Airbnb, there was a picture of a house which was very distinguishable from any other houses in the marina. I started having people coming in and knocking whether they wanted to not rent into the room. I would suggest that please, because that is again an invasion of a space in terms of enforcement, again, it's not guaranteeing any way or shape or form. I am very concerned that whatever records, while our property is registered, what we do and uh, go into Google, and under our name you can find the property, you still cannot see it or identify it. So I would suggest that we are more for registration, but to please keep the records private. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Hello and good afternoon. Thank you for the opportunity to comment today. Uh, my name is Holly Carver and I'm a single family homeowner and home share in Lower, Lower Pacific Heights Supervisor Farrell's district. Uh, my husband and I are committed to raising a family in San Francisco despite the high cost of living. Uh, we home share when we're visiting family during the summer and holidays and we do it to bridge the cost of living gap. In turn, we use the extra money to pay our considerable property tax, and it also allows us a little extra breathing room for those unexpected expenses, like uh, replacing the hot water heater or trimming the trees outside in front of our house. Um, there are two provisions within the legislation that I'd like to comment on, would like to see amended. 
Um, I'm sure you've heard this many times before, but I'd like to go on the record um, as well. Um, in terms of the, we'd like no, I would note, like no cap on the number of days. I share my home, as I mentioned. We only rent during the summer and the holidays, and that alone could exceed 96 days. Uh, as a homeowner, I should be able to monetize my largest investment in a way that I see fit. I live in my home full time, and without home sharing, it would sit empty when I'm out of town. Uh, the second uh, piece is the public registration. The, the public uh, registration. I have no problem registering whatsoever. However, my uh, my private information uh, should not be accessible, and should only be accessible to the regulatory body enforcing the law. There's no reason for anyone else to see my personally identifiable information. It's a safety and privacy issue for my family, and it encourages vigilantism by those disgruntled with home sharing. There should be a formalized process for complaints all handled through official channels. Furthermore, uh, I understand that there's talk of, of, of reporting twice a year. I think once a year should be significant and are, 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 um, enough. And um, I also wanted to um, deliver these um, fair-to-share petitions that were signed by 400 people in, uh, in D2, 4,000 citywide. I wanted to make sure that Supervisor Farrell got these, and uh, I was hopeful that you could do that. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Good afternoon. I'm Stephen Henry, supervisor as well at the City Planning Department. I own um, my property. I bought a building 13 years ago. I did the condo conversion. I notified the um, two tenants who did live upstairs of their right to stay. They voluntarily left on their own. I also applied them with an attorney to be sure that they knew their legal rights. Each one volunteered to leave on their own. One bought a home, one relocated. And even then, I still gave them financial compensation. I met all the requirements for the city to do a condo conversion. I have sold the top, and I own the bottom with the space below. I am for um, home sharing. I went to the other owners who now own upstairs, asked them any concerns they had, and addressed them. I am considered an uncle to the neighbors, um, two little kids that come and they do chalk drawings on my front steps. In the city of San Francisco, it's rare, or I have met very few African-American property owners anyway. The Fillmore no longer looks the way it used to. The Bayview is undergoing the change. And for me, I would like to um, be able to rent my home how I see fit. I've been to a lot of these meetings. I'm on Elgin Park. And a lot of you know about the changes when the freeway came down. I have spent weeks, hours, and months with the city planning. The last incident we had on Elgin Park was because of the skate park. I had Airbnb um, people staying. The next morning they said, what was the commotion? I explained to them what happened, and they're like, we're happy and we were comfortable because we knew you were upstairs. These are people that I go and meet at 16th and Mission if they take the BART in. I think um, if the city wants to get involved in Airbnb, I would be more involved in some of the activities at the BART stations, some of the other areas in the city where people coming into San Francisco, if they don't have a host, um, to explain to them what street I would walk down or what street I would not walk down. So I am for Airbnb. I think it is great. Thank you, Mr. Henry. Next speaker. Hi, I'm Melinda McLean. I live on Upper Market. And seriously, we've got to stop meeting like this. <laughs> I also have 546 petitions from uh, our district, District 8. And I'll leave those with you, Supervisor Weiner. I thank all of you for the amount of time you've given this and the thoughtfulness, especially to Supervisor Chu, who has led 
at some personal and, and political expense, the charge for us. And as a San Franciscan, I've lived here 23 years, and I've seen the housing market go up and up and up and up and up. And this is one of the first times since Airbnb came to town that those of us who are tenants have a chance to be able to reduce our costs without losing our rent-controlled apartments. I do not live in a cheap rent-controlled apartment. I live in an expensive rent-controlled apartment. It's very hard to make ends meet. We first started doing this so that I could um, take time off with an unpaid sabbatical to um, write my doctorate, and it made a huge thing. But here's the thing. A hosted stay is not a rent-controlled unit. My spare bedroom is not a rent-controlled unit. And we're not going to start renting that room out for roommates because we need flexibility in that. We have lots of family that come in and out of San Francisco and friends, and so we cannot, um, we need that space. And we also ought to be able to live with who we want. And Airbnb allows us to really screen people and have these wonderful cultural exchanges. So I really hope that you will pass home sharing without the 90-day cap, because quite frankly, a 90-day cap, Supervisor Kim, means you've killed it. It's a poison pill. It really is. And so you can't say you're for it and be for that. That's just my opinion. So I'm hoping that we can get this passed and we can get it passed soon, uh, because this has gone on too long. Thank you all so much for all the hours you put in. And uh, I'll... I'd be happy to stop giving my days off to this. Thank you very much. Uh, next speaker. Good afternoon. My name is Ron Jordan. I want to here to talk about, and I, I support home sharing, and I'm a home sharer myself. I want to talk about the 90-day limit situation. Uh, limiting us to 90 days, as the previous speaker just said, does in fact kill this. Uh, it does really three other things. It takes me and my family and people like us probably having to leave our homes. It also deprives the city of some badly needed tax revenue. And I haven't seen the city budget, but let's not overlook that. 90 days seems to be fairly arbitrary. Seems as if it makes it easier for the city to enforce. I don't know. But that's what this legislation should not be about. It should be about finding a positive solution that benefits the greater community. There's been a lot of talk about a registry. I think a registry is something that can be done. I think it's been talked about in broad strokes. Uh, I know that this body would be concerned about privacy of its citizens, so I'm not concerned about that. I think that a registration makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon, supervisors. I'm Sandra McPherson. Mm -hmm. My son and I host guests in our DuBose Triangle home, earning essential income to remaining in our home and saving for his college tuition. I support regulating and taxing short-term rentals. However, I adamantly oppose a cap on the number of days I can host guests or do anything else in my own home. If the concern is safety or bad behavior, online platforms provide safeguards such as reviews of guests and hosts, verification of ID and photographs. And in my experience, a host who's present better preserves the neighborhood than an absentee landlord who rents units long term. As for affordable housing, 
I would suggest that renting a room or an in-law unit short-term expands the use of unused rooms or units that many of us would never rent long-term. If the goal is to preserve affordable housing, this is how I and hundreds like me afford to stay in my home. Home sharing is just part of the mix of making housing affordable. Please don't push more middle-class families out of San Francisco in a well-meaning attempt to preserve neighborhoods and retain affordable housing. If we're forced to leave our family home and sell it to multimillionaires, how does that maintain the character of our neighborhood or provide affordable housing? And please don't cap the number of days we can host in an effort to prevent bad behavior before anyone misbehaves. If there's safety, noise, or nuisance issues, then let's set up this complaint process to punish offenders and not limit the ability of retirees, young families, and single parents to support themselves. I want to stay in my home. I want my son to be able to attend a four-year university. I'm a working artist and single mother sharing a room in our home. And thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Good afternoon, um, supervisors. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Please speak in the microphone. Thank, Thank you. you for giving me the opportunity to be here. Um, my name's Darlene Govia. I was born and raised in the Mission District, and I still live there. I'm a landlord in the Mission. Um, I, I'm not. I'm opposed to home sharing and um, and Airbnb. Currently, one of my buildings is being subletted and Airbnb'd by two tenants without mine or my mother's permission. The building that I live in, the tenants below me that lived there two years ago, Airbnb'd without my permission the whole time they were there, 365 days. We had to evict them. The tenants after that, Airbnb'd for another year without my permission or my mother's permission. Every time I tried to get permission, they aggressively harassed me. They stomped on the floor. They dropped heavy boxes on the floor. They got um, a cue stick and hit their ceiling. And they played a bl blasted loud music at about 5 in the morning and scared me half to death. And they hit the, they hit the walls. Um, they harassed me continually, so I would let them Airbnb. Um, they're moving out Thursday, thank God. My health deteriorated within this year. Therefore, I'm recommending the creation of a public registration list maintained by the planning department as recommended by the planning commission require tenants to obtain permission from property owners prior to registering a listing. Require commercial. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, thank you for having us today. Uh, my name is Kevin Krejci. And I support home sharing wholeheartedly. And along with 306 others in District 4, uh, I'd like to get these off to Supervisor Tang later. Um, and I support the legalization in San Francisco hosted short-term rentals for the majority of the year. I'm a proud resident of the Sunset District for over 25 years, now living there with my lovely wife and two boys, age 7 and 10. 
We've owned uh, our home for 10 years, but still have another 20 years of mortgage payments. And I was recently diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, so um, we now have even more bills to pay on top of the mortgage. Um, so we, looking at our guest room in our home, it's currently uh, reserved for our special guests, friends who visit, and our family from Spain. My wife is from Spain, so the in-laws from Europe visit on average of two to three months per year, but the rest of the year the room is vacant. Um, so we'd like to legally make it accessible and pay our taxes as a hosted short-term rental to visitors um, who meet our strict criteria for the balance of the year, at least nine to ten months. And uh, we are accountable to our neighbors for our own behavior, and it is in our best interest to be accountable for our guests. We are confident that the trust and reputation systems of peer-to-peer -peer platforms like Airbnb are evolving to solve those concerns about neighborhood impact and safety. I remind those afraid of strangers that all my friends, even my wife, was once a stranger to me. Uh, please consider our situation to help maximize the ability for us to legally make more flexible use of our property, pay our bills, and help the strangers from the global community who visit our wonderful city to have a meaningful visit and share some of their wealth with us and our neighborhood's businesses while they are here. Thank you. Thank you very hey. much. Uh, next speaker. Hello. I was um, called earlier, but um, I, I stepped out before. Okay. I'm sorry. What's your name? Uh, Reynaldo Ariano. Oh, uh, okay. That's Ray fine. Ariano. Go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah. Good afternoon. My name is Reynaldo Ariano. Um, I first rented in San Francisco 27 years ago. Uh, eight years ago, I purchased uh, my first home uh, condo here in San Francisco, and I am now a proud uh, taxpaying and voting member of District 2. Um, two and a half years ago, I first began to host guests uh, through Airbnb. Uh, as a result of the Great Recession, um, I was facing some economic difficulties, and it very much helped me through that time. Uh, I first began uh, renting out one room uh, on a hosted basis, and recently I'm experimenting with renting out uh, both rooms, the entire place, on an unhosted basis. Uh, as a result of that experience, um, i am now decided to actually list my property for a long-term rental. Um, but the process of my renting my place out long term, I would have never come to that conclusion had I not had the ability to try this out through Airbnb. Um, I, um, I also manage uh, another family-owned rental property in San Francisco, um, and we've had the same tenant there since 2009. I strongly support home sharing, and I also very much support affordable housing in San Francisco. Um, Home sharing serves an important need in our community for both our guests and our hosts. Um, and affordable housing is critical for our full socioeconomic fabric of our community. Um, I propose that, that, that the furnished short-term rental market is very different than the unfurnished long-term uh, rental market where, where affordable housing uh, is targeted. Um, if affordable, if affordable low-rent housing is the goal, then home sharing is not the target. Um, I'm reminded of a little saying here, why do elephants wear red tennis shoes? And it's so that they can hide in cherry trees. What? You know why that works? How many elephants have you ever seen in a cherry tree? None. Well, wait a minute. The reason and the result don't make sense. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker, did we call your card already? Okay, I'm gonna call the next batch. I just wanna know, I have a, a bell, um, 
maybe 20 cards at the most. So I suspect we'll probably finish public comment in about a half an hour uh, for those who are interested in being here when uh, we go into discussion and possible action as a committee. So I'll call the next batch. Wyatt H., uh, Yvonne A., Anita P., Linda L., uh, Jing, Jean, Jean Marks, or Gina Marks, Arita K., uh, Petter or Peter S., Arne Karen, Roger Ritter, Ron J. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Jim Marks. I live in the Portola, District 9, Supervisor Campos. Uh, and I am here, and I am a homeowner there. I've, we've owned our home there for about 20 years. We also do Airbnb. My wife and I are retired. We have faced family emergencies in the last year and a half. Uh, our son had moved out of the area, our younger son, where he used to live, and so we felt that Airbnb would be perfect for us because it would also give us the flexibility to have the place available for uh, visiting relatives like our older son and his wife uh, and other people, friends from Seattle, things like that. That is what we have done. In other words, the area that we have would not now nor ever be available for long-term rental in the home that we own. Um, we have had people from many different places. I was a student in Europe many years ago, so I speak German, get along rather well in French and in Spanish, so when people inquire, I can respond to them in their languages. That makes them feel very comfortable to stay with us. Uh, we always have our guests on a hosted basis so that not only do they get to know us and we get to know them, but also we feel that if there's any problem, we're there on top of it. Um, some of these guests, in fact, have come back to say hello afterwards, and it's been a very good relationship. Limiting our rental to 90 days would, in fact, be a total disaster for us. That, in effect, is trying to kill what we're doing, and we are hardly opposed to it. My other concern is that a registry, I want to make sure that, in fact, our privacy is preserved. Any registry that does not preserve our privacy, then, is not a registry that I would support. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Hi, my name's Ivan A. or Ivan Abishaus. And uh, if it sounds familiar, it's because I actually sent each of you an email already last week. Um, thank you, Supervisor Wiener, for responding to that email. It's nice to know that it's received and read. And uh, I won't go through every point in that letter today, but I will reiterate the main point, which is please do not put a 90-day limit or any limit on situations where the host is present and shares the space with their guests. <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm a home sharer, and I share the a room in my home with my guests, and I'm a better neighbor because of it. I'm quieter, I'm cleaner, I sweep our front stairs and the sidewalk in front of our home. My neighbors actually appreciate that we host because uh, their family stays in our room when they come to visit. And I'll also point out that there are distinctions made between um, rental laws when you rent a full unit to tenants versus when you're an owner-occupier and you have roommates. You can ask those roommates to move out, kick them out without a just cause for eviction, 
as an owner-occupier, very different from renting a whole flat. Um, with regard to something I heard earlier today, comparing our situation to Portland and placing restrictions on buildings of three or more units, Portland housing stock is very different from our own. It's primarily single-family homes, almost 65%, and only 6% of their housing stock is three or four unit buildings, which is very different from here. Um, and lastly, I'd like to comment on Supervisor Kim's concerns about how to track the number of nights that a room is rented out. You could ask us. I'm not sure she's hearing me, but maybe she'll read the comment. <laughs> we self-report all sorts of things, as Supervisor Wiener pointed out. We self-report every time we drive a car that we have a valid license. And uh, you have to trust the people you're legislating, otherwise the democracy doesn't work. All right, thank you. Thank you, thank you very much. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Wyatt Heyman. I'm here in support of home sharing. I love home sharing. It's my favorite way to travel, and it is how I met three of my best friends in this city, hosted by two of them, and one was my former guest. The sharing economy allows for more connections and money to enter our city. Home sharing enhances our economy, neighborhoods, personal lives, and the reputation of this city. Home sharing is still evolving and getting refined. Please give hosts and home sharing platforms the opportunity to improve practices so that we can make the most out of this beautiful activity. Please do not stifle its growth with, with unnecessary additions to the legislation. Having a public registry is a violation of my rights. It will support the development of neighborhood militias. I'm shocked it's being considered because, it's a because a public registry is not necessary to properly enforce this legislation. While self-reporting will help, requiring hosts to self-report twice every year is excessive. Self-reporting once per year will suffice. This is an incredibly complex issue, but please get the few simple pieces correct. Annual self-reporting and no public registry. I greatly appreciate that you're supporting the legalization of home sharing so that we can all benefit. Please do not render this legislation ineffective with unnecessary additions like a public registry. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Linda Lighthizer, and I'm a 45-year resident of San Francisco. I've been both a tenant and most recently a homeowner, so I know a lot of the different sides of these issues. But for the last two and a half years, I've been part of the home sharing community, and that is because my husband and I have been fortunate enough to have a piece of property in Daly City where we've been able to do this without any restrictions. We've been able to host people from all over the world. We have a really positive experience. The people that testified earlier about their experiences with young families, with children, we provide strollers, baby equipment, that sort of thing. This is the kind of people that we have staying in that home at the moment. We can't do this as a long-term rental. Our family of four children often need the house for various reasons, and that's one of the reasons that the flexible sharing is so important to us. This house will not go on the long-term rental market. Neither will the house we currently live in, because it has a very large mortgage. If my husband and I want to travel and go visit these grandchildren and go to different places in the world, as we feel we have a right to be able to do these sort of things as longtime residents of San Francisco and people who contribute hundreds and hundreds of hours of volunteer work throughout our community and are so invested in San Francisco that this feels like such an insult to us to, to be told 
You have 90 days to do this if you choose to. Flexible time sharing or home sharing is one of the ways that we will be able to have a quality of life and we will be able to help our children and grandchildren with the income that we need. We have a very large mortgage as a result of being homeowners in San Francisco. And so to limit this to 90 days would be a big hardship for us in the future. And we also want to maintain the wonderful vitality that bringing guests to San Francisco brings to all of us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Good afternoon. My name is Ann Karen. Uh, I live on Potrero Hill, and I'm 71 years old. Uh, I had a private practice as an educational therapist, which uh, dissolved in the crash of 2008. And I've uh, tried very hard since then to reignite my practice, but I've been unable to do so or to find employment. At 71, it's almost impossible. Um, for the few years after the crash, uh, we shared our home with developmentally disabled adults because my partner is a caseworker for those people. But the cooking and the hygienic needs and the general care became too much so we couldn't do it. So for about the last year, we've been hosting with Airbnb. Um, we also use the space for family visits and we do respite work for the developmentally disabled community, but not on a full-time basis. Um, I could not survive without the income from Airbnb. Um, I hope you would consider eliminating the cap of any number of days at all for Airbnb guests. And Another point is I read in the paper that Airbnb is bringing $11 million into the city through hotel tax, and it seems to me that you supervisors could be very creative in the use of, that, of those funds and that you would want to encourage Airbnb so it brings in even more revenue to the city. Those funds could be used for any kind of issues like housing or, or whatever you find appropriate. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name's Anita Khan. Could you I've speak been, into the microphone, please? I've been um, a resident of the city for 11 years. I did what nobody does. When I was pregnant with my second child, I moved from the suburbs to San Francisco. I'm a member of Parents for Public School. Both my kids are in public schools here. I went through a divorce. I was facing foreclosure, and I also run my own business. And I home shared out of necessity, and it did two things. It gave me the cash flow I needed to keep my business going through those tough years. It stopped me from going through a foreclosure, and it kept me and the kids in the city. About 70% of my friends have left the city at this point. Um, also, the issue around the guests that I host and the threat to the neighbors, I would just like to point out there are six convicted sex offenders in my neighborhood. Three doors down for me is a pedophile that my children walk past every day and there's nothing I can do about it. I don't think that my guests are hosting a big threat to the city or my community. Most of them are doctors that do internships at SF General. I have two uh, concerns about the registry in terms of privacy issues. Um, I have been stalked uh, for the past year and a half, and I have serious concerns about people that can get my information in any public way. Um, and in terms of the insurance issues, the fact that this is not yet legal means there isn't a product that accommodates what we need as hosts. So it's a bit of a catch-22. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Good afternoon. Um, contrary to appearances, I'm not Hester. I am Peter Suskind. Is that, is that, uh, are we right? Yes, I thought, Very it, might good. Be, Thank I, you. I thought it might be Petter. Okay, I, I, I live in Potrero Hill in Malia Cohen's District 10, and I use my spare bedroom for home sharing. I have no problems, actually, with any of the, of the regulations or proposals, except for one. This is going to be a huge surprise to you, 90 days. I moved to this country, <coughs> excuse me, 30 years ago to live and work here, and indeed to become a proud American citizen. I couldn't be happier with the results, and I couldn't be more proud, by the way, of my American passport. There were two overriding reasons I wanted to live here. This country's wonderful protection of individual freedom and its encouragement of entrepreneurs willing to work hard to achieve their own version of the American dream. I've done exactly that, and as a result, I own my own home. I consider that what I do in my own home is my business and not the government's. Of course, there have to be regulations for the safety of all the people in my house and for neighbours who might be impacted by my actions, just as there are regulations for the car I drive. I do not consider limiting the number of days when I may have guests in my house to come even close to any of those concerns, just as limiting the number of days I could use my car would be unreasonable. And so I consider this proposal as actually a government infringement on my personal liberty. I could just as easily have my two daughters living there, and it wouldn't be any different for anybody all around. The room was empty before I started home sharing, and it will always be empty if I'm prevented from doing it. So I ask Supervisor Cohen, as my supervisor, in the name of that freedom and that spirit of entrepreneurism which attracted me, I urge you very strongly not to limit the number of days I can offer my spare room to visitors. Thank you. And before we get to Mr. Ritter, I had uh, called previously Anita P., Linda L., and Ron J. Uh, they appear not to be here. Great. Mr. Ritter. Thank you, Supervisor. I'm Roger Ritter, President of the West at Twin Peaks Central Council. We represent 20 neighborhood associations and homeowner associations in western San Francisco. We oppose the legislation as presently drafted and suggest two amendments. First of all, prohibit short-term rentals in RH1 and RH1D single-family residential neighborhoods. These are neighborhoods that people have moved into in good faith because they wanted to live in single-family residential neighborhoods. In my own neighborhood of Balboa Terrace, approximately 10% of the houses have changed hands in the past two years. I've spoken with many of the new neighbors, and without exception, they tell me they moved there because they wanted to raise their families in a single-family neighborhood. Second, at the very least, require prior written consent of the homeowners association if an STR is actually going to be allowed in a particular neighborhood. If the activity is so benign, if Airbnb's vetting is so good, then there shouldn't be any problem in asking your neighbors. And frankly, I've heard several comments about neighborhood militias and vigilantes. On the contrary, the people who live in the western neighborhoods are single-family homeowners who have worked hard to buy their homes. They want to leave, live in peace and quiet and security with their families. And lastly, supervisors, this is a city-wide rezoning. 
It's allowing a commercial activity, renting rooms in residential neighborhoods. If the board plans to do it, at least realize the implications and do it as part of an overall zoning change. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Okay, I'm going to call the next batch of cards. Uh, Brett L., Jim H., Tony Carroll, Michael Patterson. Oh, he testified already. Um, Michael Grova, Dave D., Alexandra Kennan, Brett Leiter, Dario Fernandez, Ashley V., and Yaela Frankel. Hi, thanks for having us. Uh, my name is Brett Leiter. I'm uh, in uh, dis uh, Supervisor uh, Wiener's uh, district. I've lived in San Francisco for 15 years, 13 of those in the mission, the vast majority as a renter. I happen to own my home uh, now, which I feel very lucky to do. Uh, I'm also a home sharer. Um, I have an in-law unit in my building, um, and home sharing gives me the flexibility to have my older parents visit me and not have to cab or bart back and forth from the downtown hotels, which they find very unpleasant and scary for, you know, their own reasons. Um, I really, I couldn't, without home sharing, I couldn't do this in, with my with my home. It would, it would take away that option for me, and they would be able to visit a lot less often. Um, if I come to uh, start a family, I really would value the flexibility of having them to be able to come and visit me and, and help me with child care for months at a time. Um, that, that would be extremely valuable uh, to me. Um, uh, the 90-day limit is also a, a big concern, um, and uh, the public registry aspect uh, are both very objectionable. Uh, the, 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 it's fine to have a registry if that's the way it's going to go, but um, having people be able to uh, look up uh, your address, see photos of the inside of your home, uh, be able to see a schedule when you're going to be home and when you're away um, se seems like a, just an invitation for abuse. Um, so uh, if, you, if you live in a building and have an in-law unit, I feel like you should be able to home share. So thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Jim H. I live in District 3, and I'm a home sharer. Wanted to express my support for home sharing. Uh, San Francisco is a city that really seems to support local businesses over large national chains. And it just seems that when it comes to home sharing, there's people that normally would support small local businesses but somehow are protecting the, the big chains that I think siphon money out of San Francisco to foreign capitals and foreign tax shelters. By contrast, we keep the money right here in our neighborhoods, spending it uh, in local businesses. Home sharing has helped me uh, with my own family. My mom, about eight years ago, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, and I've been helping out with her care. Uh, she lives in Arizona. So the 25% rule is just not going to work for me because I need to be there more than 25% of the time right now to help my dad out. So uh, I hope you'll uh, reconsider that 25% limitation. I also hope that you'll protect the privacy of people uh, that are doing home sharing here in San Francisco neighborhoods. I have some petitions that were signed by people in District 3 for Supervisor Chu. Uh, there's about 4,000 total petitions. Here is 425 for my neighborhood. And the speaker, uh, thank you very much. Thank you. This is for uh, District 4, uh, D Supervisor O'Farrell's district, and there's 307 petitions there, again, out of about 4,000 total. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Next speaker.
Hi there, I'm Alexandra Kennan. I live in the Mission District and I'm in support of home sharing. I'm actually speaking from a different perspective from many of the other folks who have spoken already. I own a small business who is directly impacted positively by home sharing. My business is called Urban Hiker SF. It's an urban hiking tour company that tor does tours of the stairways, hills, and hiking trails of the city. It's a business I founded right in this building. I wanted to share that I now get 20% of my bookings from home shares, and I can provide data on this. The type of traveler who does a home share is exactly the type of person to book my tours. It's the type of person who wants to see different neighborhoods of San Francisco, and I love to show off parts of the city that not every tourist gets to see, like Twin Peaks or the Castro. After my tours, I send hi hikers to small local businesses. For example, I send my Castro tour hikers to small businesses like Ike's, Starbelly, or Dinosaur Sandwiches where they can go get lunch after the tour. Home sharing goes beyond even those renting their homes and affects small businesses very positively at times. I hope you'll continue to allow home sharing for businesses like mine and for the entire San Francisco small business community. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Hi there, my name is uh, Dario Fernandez and I am for home sharing against the 90 day cap and the registry. Uh, I'm a Bay Area local, I grew up right here in Berkeley, I was born in uh, Managua, Nicaragua. If it wasn't for our, my aunt to give us a home in Berkeley when we first got here from that country, um, I don't think I'd be here before you today. Um, in the spirit of sharing and opening your door to other people, I really love Airbnb. The extra crash is great. Um, but really, it's the fact that I get to meet a bunch of people, make connections, and learn uh, about other people and other cultures in the world. If this goes away, then, or I have to limit it down to a very minimal amount, probably won't be able to afford to stay in San Francisco. Um, and it's going to make me more as if my neighbors who sh look down upon me when I have visitors who make no trouble, um, you know, keep it quiet. As I've heard here before that I agree with, my house is much more clean now, much more a responsible person. Um, it's definitely made me a, a better person. I'm even volunteering at a homeless shelter uh, in my neighborhood. Please don't take this wonderful thing away that makes everyone open their eyes and want to help people a little bit more. Um, I feel if Airbnb or all these things get limited down, I'm going to turn into these people that, you know, walk past the homeless man and don't want to learn about these other cultures. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is that I'm in a rent control department, so I imagine my land, I'm not my landlord's favorite. He doesn't really respond that great to the mold on the wall or the extremely old carpet. So the extra cash is nice to help me live in more of a clean and healthy environment. And again, um, it broadens my horizons more than anything else I participated for in this city. So please do keep these things around and eliminate the cap and uh, the registry. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Um. Hello, my name is Ashley, and I am against the cap and against my private information on the registry for everyone to see. Um, I have been a host on Airbnb for this past year and a half, and it has been an enjoyable experience. I live in the small Excelsior district, District 11. I host one private bedroom, and this past year has been nothing but enjoyable experiences. Hosting on Airbnb has 
lifted me up financially, emotionally, career-wise, educational-wise. Um, I've become involved in my community, like everyone else has said, and I learn something new every day. I've become active and involved in this issue. Um, as far as safety goes, I live in my hosted residence. Um, I work so hard every day to keep my home and stay here in San Francisco. I would never invite anyone into my home that would threaten that. That, and I have I have not once felt that my safety, my home, my neighbors, my roommate's safety was ever in question. Um, the 90-day cap that would destroy me. My private room is inquired about um, every single day of the year. The days that it's not is because I've booked them off for my family to visit me. Um, it keeps the roof over my head. It is, it is um, keeping me afloat, keeping me here. Um, as a host, as far as the registration, I can absolutely register. I would love to register. But to put my private information with my address, my business, my home, where we're located for everyone to see, that makes me feel unsafe. Um, the 90-day cap, like everyone said, that would destroy this business. That, that would limit, like earlier was said, it wouldn't even, you can't, you can't push this forward and put that on. And in closing, uh, thank you, but Supervisor Cohen has a question for you. I have a quick question for you. for you. You say you're not interested in putting your personal information in the registry. Then what are you comfortable with registering? Um, as far as my profile, I say about myself, I, my address is out there to the guests that book with me, but for the city, is everyone seeing this information? Everyone? Well, I suppose if someone was interested in doing a search, then yes, it would be just like if I were doing a search trying to find a prop name of a property owner, your telephone number would not necessarily be listed. It would be the, li the address that's listed on, as an address on record. I would not feel comfortable with my address. But let me let the planning department answer that question for you. Anne-Marie Conroy. Uh, Anne Marie Rogers, Planning Department staff. Oh, uh, sorry, Anne Marie Rogers, not Conroy. <laughs> that was a promotion, I think. I just sorry, <laughs> it's a long day. <laughs> uh, the address uh, would be listed on there. It's it's in our property information database, so it says what sorts of land uses are entitled there currently. It says residential. Uh, if you were a restaurant, it would say a type of restaurant use that is permitted. So, under the proposed ordinance, the only information that would be publicly available would be this address has been authorized to do these short-term rentals. You could, the, the name of the person, the phone number, their vacation days, when they're gone, none of that information is being proposed to be posted. All right, good, thank you, that's helpful. Thank you, thanks for your, okay. your comment. I actually want to ask a clarifying question because uh, we've seen a few commenters who I think are, are not being precise about the 90-day issue. There, when you say uh, don't, uh, about the 90 days, you're, are you referring to the 90 days for hosted, so-called hosted short-term rentals? In other words, you're there and you have someone else in the spare bedroom? Okay. Is that right? Yes, I've yes. had someone every single day. Yeah. If and, it would be limited. And, you would t and you're typically there when they're there? Yes, I am. Okay. So I would just ask people in referring to the 90 days, because there are two issues in 90 days. There's a current legislation uh, proposes that you can do up to 90 days when you're gone. And I know uh, Supervisor Kim has suggested or implied the possibility of expanding that to the 90 days period. And so people could just be, when they're referring to the 90 days, perhaps specify which one they're referring to. The and one that would affect me, Okay, great. I would be interested in. Okay, I appreciate that. 
Um, in closing, I have, yeah. I have our petitions for my district. Can I hand those off to you? You sure can. If you want to uh, um, just leave it up there, we will take it. You got it. Oh, Supervisor Cohen will take it from me. Okay, next speaker. Good afternoon. My name is Eric. We own a single-family home in District 7, Merson Manor. My partner and I um, prepare our guest quarter in our house as the real estate market started to decline. Sharing our residence was the only way for us to be able to stay in our home in this economy. Being semi-retired, we live on a small income, and with the cost of living in San Francisco, it is getting very difficult for us to meet our monthly obligation. With the extra income we get by sharing our guest quarter, it's the only way we are able to cover our mortgage and our tax of, of our home. All of our guests are from around the world. We have a very safe and secure home. We disclose the exact address only 24 hours before a guest arrives for security purposes. By creating a registry, one, it's an invasion of our privacy. Two, everyone will be able to, to know where our residence is, cross-reference with the site we work with, and look at the photos that are published on those sites. Everything we do to keep our house secure will vanish. Talk about free advertising to the wrong kind of people. We introduce our guests to the local restaurant and shop in our neighborhood, and they love to see a part of San Francisco so charming and beautiful. I'm asking the Board of Supervisors to pass fair and sensible legislation that allows home sharing in San Francisco. I thank you very much. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Yaila Frankel. I'm in District 9. And uh, when I first heard about Airbnb, I immediately utilized the services when I was traveling because I love staying in a home with a kitchen, and I love exploring different neighborhoods that aren't so touristic. It's not, uh, traveling is not just about visiting sort of uh, special, you know, sites like the Eiffel Tower and whatnot, but actually coming to San Francisco for people I really like enjoying um, for the, in the same way that I like to travel and seeing different neighborhoods, I like to offer that uh, for people. I think Airbnb provides a, a service in the hospitality industry that is not covered by hotels where people can um, stay near their friends and family who live in San Francisco and explore neighborhoods where hotels really aren't uh, servicing that neighborhood. Um, uh, I also, as a host... Um, I feel very comforted by the fact that Airbnb offers a or takes out a million dollar insurance policy on every rental. And I'm able to collect a deposit very simply through Airbnb. They, I, up to $1,000 I can collect a deposit. And uh, Airbnb takes care of that by sort of putting a hold on their card and then returns it if I say that, if I don't uh, mention anything as an issue after the rental. I'm typically a no host. Uh, host, and um, I think that the 90-day limit should definitely be uh, looked at differently between host and no host. I think it would be completely unfair to make a one-size-fits-all. I think the board really needs considered all the different types of arrangements that there are in the city and um, allow allow different legislation for each. Um, I also have actually had the um, 
great opportunity that we had a guest at home when we had a, a, a pipe burst and they turned the water off. So it completely saved our home and our downstairs neighbor, which would have been Thank you. Next speaker. Uh, hi, supervisors, and thank you, planning department. Um, appreciate the opportunity. My name is Michael. I'm a resident of the Mission District. I own my home there. Uh, I've been very fortunate in that I have a multi-bedroom home, um, and I did not intend to, when I bought that home, participate in either the home sharing uh, concept or uh, renting my home. But uh, over the last four years, I've done hosted family members who, uh, one particular family member who was at, UC, uh, at UCSF Medical School, uh, so I hosted her for three years for free, paid for her, and uh, I've hosted uh, friends that have been going through divorces, um, and most recently, uh, people that were in transition that were friends of friends and needed to find accommodation in San Francisco, and it was a multi-month process. Uh, they wouldn't been able to stay in hotels, and they've stayed with me. Lastly, uh, Airbnb is a more recent thing. Uh, it's been great. Um, I'd like to be specific in that I appreciate the efforts of Supervisor Chu in putting this legislation forward. Um, the safety issues, the insurance issues, and so forth, uh, these are all great things. The taxation, I think it's greatly appreciated, and we want to do this, many of us homeowners want to do this above board and not in secret, so we appreciate all the efforts on that front. I think I'd like to uh, make the one point that uh, we should distinguish between hosted and unhosted. I have never hosted uh, a guest when I was not home. I've always been present. Um, so I'd like to continue to be able to do that, uh, if possible, and I do appreciate that we are looking at that distinction now, um, as, uh, as you've just mentioned. So um, I think those are the things that I have to say. I would like to, to encourage us to push a little bit harder to find that right balance. Um, Supervisor Kim, appreciate the, the effort that you're making to try to uh, alleviate the housing crisis. I don't... Thank you very much. Uh, before we get to the next batch, just uh, recalling Tony, Carol, Dave D. Uh, are they here? Okay. Uh, in that case, I will go to the next, uh, the final batch that I have. Although every time I say that, more cards come in. So we'll see if it's truly the final batch, but I think it is. Uh, Bobby Lee, Nelson Z, Phil, Eric M, Rodolfo Cancino, Bruce Ponte, Ponte Gina K, Catherine B. Tom Spano, Kathy George, and John Mendelson. You can come on up. Thank you. My name is Phil. I live in the West Portal area. I'd like to present these petitions for my neighbors at, uh, in District 7. So I'm speaking in support of home sharing. You've already heard a lot about how it's enriched the lives of a lot of people in this room today. Um, it's definitely done that for me, and like many, it's helped, allowed me to afford San Francisco and pursue the work I love. It's allowed me to make lifelong friends, as many of my guests actually relocate to San Francisco and become residents and voters here. Um, and I didn't realize how much it made me feel more connected to this community until I was invited to a birthday party um, 
of one of my guests who is who is who turned 80 on Saturday. So um, that was a fun party. Um, I'm so inspired to see the board working so hard to, to work for all these issues and craft legislation that works for all the community. And I think um, the host community generally realizes that it's a balancing act, and we understand there's a need for, for compromise and that there are a lot of um, powers at play. Uh, the only thing that we can't really accept is a legislation requirement to put our registration online. Um, unlike a home business, we put pictures of our home interiors, even my face is is advertised, right? When we have a taco stand, you don't have to advertise your face and tell them where you live. Um, and we do that because that's, that's how the guests feel safe living with us. And it's just too easy for a bur burglar to come in and see what kind of stuff we have and deduce a pattern from where you're home based on the vacancies. Um, it's like shopping for Ikea. Once the, the, uh, the, the address becomes online, it's so easy to triangulate between these sites and the planning site and know exactly when people are home and what they have, all their stuff. So um, in closing, I think... Thank you very much. Next speaker. My name is Rodolfo Cancino. Uh, my wife and I are, are retired and have one small bedroom unit. We agree that home sharing needs to be regulated and support many of the elements, such as collection of taxes, insurance carried by host, notification to landlords, renters limited to charging no more than their rent, renters with no sublet in their lease agreements not being allowed to home share, and host not being able to home share if there are any safety and building code violations. We have three kinds of insurance, homeowners, umbrella, and business. We have a fire extinguisher and a wired fire alarm system in our unit. Of most concern to us is a 90-day limit on home sharing when the rental is hosted. We do not think hosted rentals should be limited to 90 days as we are always present when we have guests. It has been said that it would be impossible to monitor hosted and non-hosted rentals, we do not agree that it is impossible. To differentiate, we propose three ideas. Number one, hosts who only rent when they are present in their home would be required to sign an affidavit to that effect. Two, a large fine be imposed, increasing after each individual violation. And, the th and number three, that Airbnb and other platforms include a notation on the host profile whether an affidavit has been signed. As a District 5 resident, I, I signed the Fair to Share petition with over 650 of my neighbors, and I want to make sure that Supervisor Breed gets these petitions. Thank you very much. We've had nothing but positive experiences. As we can now, so speakers may leave their petitions to the left. If you may, if you, you on the left on a desk. If you, if you leave it on the, on, the on, on that desk right there, yeah, the clerk will retrieve it afterwards. Thank you. Next. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Tom. Thank you for letting me share my story. I live in District Six, and I am a huge fan of home sharing. Uh, I want to tell you a quick story. I moved to San Francisco to work for one of the big tech companies that are here in the city, and um, did very well and was able to leave that company to start my own, which I have here in the city of San Francisco. The problem is it's a bootstrap startup, 
and uh, the money goes quickly. So home sharing has allowed me to continue that runway and keep my uh, business here in the city. And I have to tell you that if it were not for the ability to offset the cost of living here in the city, that business and myself would have to leave. And that is a real uh, cause for concern for, for me as well as a bunch of other people that share that same story. I want to close by just saying that, uh, historically speaking, registries are a very uh, bad thing. Um, I can tell you that with my prowess in social media and the ability to seek public information on a registry, I could tell you when a person is not home and when their house would be most vulnerable to a uh, situation break-in. So I'm sure there are more details that I don't know about it, but that's, that's my take on it. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm sorry, what was your name again? I missed Tom Spano. Tom Spano. All right, thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. My name is Gina Koo, and I s totally support home sharing. I live in Bernal Heights in a two-bedroom condo that I bought about three and a half years ago. Before that, I rented it for 19 years. Um, because the cost of living in San Francisco is so high, I have to depend on home sharing to make up for the cost of uh, increasing uh, property taxes, um, condo dues, repairs, etc. I do not, I'm always a hosted, uh, I always do hosted home sharing. Even when I go on vacation, I will invite a friend to stay in my place to take care of my guest. So I don't think there should be a limit on hosted home sharing. Um, and I am totally opposed to my information, including my address, appearing on any registry. I do not want someone appearing on my door saying their wife kicked them out and they need a place to stay for a few days. That's not the way I want things to happen. I want to be able to know who I'm renting to in advance. I need to uh, make sure I, you know, that they're there for some legit reason other than just needing a place to stay. Um, you know, that I'm not interested in hosting them. But then here's 4,000 signatures for campus district and I hope the supervisors support this legislature. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Good afternoon, my name's Catherine. I live on Potrero Hill in Malia Cohen's district, and thank you all for being here. I predominantly rent a guest room while I am present in my home. However, with aging elderly parents out of state, uh, things are happening in that regard, and I will occasionally, who knows how long or how, for how much time, I will need to be out of state. And in that time frame, I want to be able to keep income coming. I work as an independent contractor, and uh, work is not always there. So the extra added income of being an Airbnb host has truly been essential for helping me pay my mortgage, pay my property taxes, pay my homeowners association. I have a safe home. I have carbon monoxide uh, alarms. I've got 
fire alarms built into the house, everything like that. It's safe enough for me to live in, so I assume that it is also safe enough for my guests to be there. And um, I have uh, concerns about the registry as a single woman. I also feel that I don't want my details out in public that can be sleuthed through all of the uh, online portals that one can do. Airbnb does give me a great sense of safety with regards to who I do accept into my home. I've had extraordinary experiences. They enjoy my neighborhood. They participate in business. They use businesses that are in the neighborhood. It's been nothing but a positive experience for the four some odd years that I have been doing this. And I am a, tomorrow will be my 35th year of living in San Francisco and 18 years plus on Potrero Hill. Thank you and please try to find some fair, legitimate, sensible, not too intrusive way to get this legislation passed. Thank you. Thank you very much. You can leave that there with the others. <laughs> yep. Next speaker. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Nelson Zhao, and I was uh, born and raised here in the city of San Francisco. And for as long as I can remember, uh, my family has rented uh, the same apartment in Chinatown. Um, my family runs a, fa a, a restaurant out in the Excelsior, and uh, it's a cramped, small Chinese fast food joint uh, right along Mission Street. The restaurant has two employees, my mother and father, and uh, the restaurant gets pretty busy, and uh, my parents speak limited English. So when I have the opportunity, I stop by and I, I help. And when I'm there, um, I see that my parents, they have a pretty steady stream of customers. Um, but I'm sure, as many of you may know, uh, the industry here is incredibly competitive, and I think my parents deserve more than just a decent stream. Uh, home sharing brings people to the less explored neighborhoods of San Francisco, like uh, the Excelsior. And I believe uh, my mother and father could see the added benefit of extra foot traffic. But I don't think this is just about my parents' livelihood. I think um, there, there's a flower shop down the block and a Filipino fast food joint and many other locally owned small family businesses that I believe deserve extra business. Um, let's open San Francisco up beyond the typical neighborhoods. Um, areas like the Excelsior deserve a spotlight too. And I think home sharing could do just that. Um, I highly encourage you all to pass the legislation. Thank you for your time. Hi, my name is Kathy George and uh, I'm in the Castro District and I am a uh, hosted Airbnb host and uh, I own my own TIC and I support home sharing of course. I want to thank all of you so much for the work that you're putting into this, and I know it must be a very difficult task, and uh, it's a, such an important issue for so many people, and I want to thank you very much. Uh, for several years, I was one of those tenants who was looking for a place to live in San Francisco and having a very difficult time. Because of Airbnb, I was able to put together a plan where I could buy a three-bedroom TIC, and have one room for me and one room for a full-time tenant and one room for the Airbnb. So the net effect is that there are two fewer people, me and my tenant, looking for a place to live now. Uh, and I couldn't do this, of course, without the Airbnb income, and that's the way I could afford the home. Um, and um, and as a hosted 
uh, Airbnb, I would find it very difficult with the 90-day restriction. I, I wouldn't be able to continue, and I wouldn't be able to keep my home. Uh, with respect to the business use of the property, and I haven't seen this talked about much, but I'm wondering about all the same opposition is given to the other home businesses, you know, massage therapy, uh, financial counseling, uh, you know, just all kinds of um, things. And um, I wonder if, um, you know, there's so many onerous restrictions on them as well, like the, uh, the registry and the reporting more than once a year, I think may be too onerous for us. And finally, I think it would truly be a shame if the hundreds of thousands of travelers who currently enjoy using Airbnb were to find that they weren't able to stay in an Airbnb in San Francisco. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Next speaker. So um, my name is John Mendelson. I'm a resident of Noe Valley. We have a uh, house with an in-law unit in it, and we rent our in-law unit out on the Airbnb and VRBO sites. And I have to say the people who we have our in-laws stay there periodically, too, and I have to say that our guests are not as disruptive as our in-laws usually are. So they are a plus for the community. The, uh, the, I had a few, just a few very short points, and we, we're both physicians. We don't need the money, so we do it because we like it, and it's been a great experience. It's been really good. Our usual customer is a grandmother, a new grandmother, someone had, coming for their children and to visit their new grandchildren. Uh, I had just a few quick points that I don't think anyone's made. I actually was here the last time and I didn't speak. But point number one is when you start collecting taxes for our, our guests, you're going to increase the amount of essentially property tax on our property, I estimate, by about 5%. So you're going to get more value and a lot more money for the actual real estate that you're that, that in the city. Again, I estimate you'll, we'll, we'll be spending about 5% more dollars to the city than we do right now. That's fantastic. Number two, uh, for if I were a landlord, I would be thrilled with a service like Airbnb because I, I can see the ratings of my apartment. You know, the guest rate, whether the apartments are clean, whether things are working, whether the tenant is doing good things. Landlords should love this system because they can actually see what's going on in their rental units. They should love it. Number three, if I were a tenant and a tenant's right person, I would love, if I were actually renting, to have reviews of potential tenants. Right? And we review every person who stays with us, and we give them a good review or a bad review, and I would love to have that. So those are points I hadn't heard made before, and I think, again, this is a good thing. We should be doing this. It really is a big plus. And for someone who doesn't actually need the money and really enjoys this, I think it's a fantastic service. We, we travel with Airbnb all the time now. Thank you very much. Thank you, Doctor. Our next speaker. Hi. I'm Bruce Ponte. I live in Diamond Heights for the last 20 years and in the mission for 12 can you, can you speak into the microphone, please? Thank you. Um, I'm most concerned about the 90-day cap. I've had my parents stay with me in their 80s. They've, my mother came for two months after knee surgery. I've raised or helped raise two of my nephews when they were in high school. I had another nephew here with us for school for a few months out of the year. And I like the flexibility I have in putting a 90-day cap on when I can and can't have guests would be a big burden on me financially. And it's not an insurmountable problem to work out, to track. I mean, we do live in the tech capital of the world here. I'm sure there's a way we could work this out, um, if that's a concern. Airbnb has worked out the taxing and payments issue with the city, so I don't see how this is a big problem. And I guess I just have one question is, how likely are we 
to see a vote on this before the November election? <laughs> we can't answer. No answer? Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Jeannie, and I just want to point out that people have been taking in borders in their home forever. This is not something new. It's been around since the beginning of time. The new Internet platforms that have arisen in the last few years have just been a vehicle to make it easier to match guests that are a good fit for each other. Many, many of us own our own homes and just want to share a room or rooms in our own home. We do not believe that it should be the role of the city to limit us to a certain number of days that we are allowed to do this. This is income that is needed for us to be able to stay in our homes, to pay our mortgage and property tax, and to pay for our children's education. Homeowners experience, homeowners experience their guests. They and their families live in their home. They provide valuable local information, and they steer their guests to their local restaurants, coffee shops, and grocery stores. Their guests use public transportation. They stay in San Francisco for longer because we provide affordable accommodation. Hosts who show, share their own homes make their homes safe for themselves and their families. We have smoke alarms, fire extinguishers, our family and our guests. Safety is of utmost importance to us, and we carry insurance that specifically covers us for short-term rental. Hosts who share their own homes do not want to have to operate illegally. They want to comply with city laws, but it needs to be without time restrictions. They are proud of the service they offer to their guests and to our wonderful city. They are proud to be contributing hotel taxes to the city. Instead of putting needless restrictions on homeowners, please put your efforts into weeding out the bad actors. Stop the property developers who have multiple listings and their landlords who are Ellis acting out renters. There is plenty of work to be done there, but please don't put a time restriction on those of us who are sharing a room in our own home. This is a necessary source of income to thousands of us. We are happy to provide the city with whatever proof it requires that we live in the home that we share. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Hi, I'm Skate. I live in Bernal Heights, and I thank you very much for allowing me to speak this afternoon. Uh, as a homeowner and long, lifelong resident of San Francisco, I'm very encouraged Actually, by this legislative Actually, process. sir, if I could, I don't think we've called you yet. You're in the next batch. We're trying to only have people who... Oh, I'm sorry. Can, yeah, but it'll be in a few minutes, so sorry to be a stickler. Next speaker. Hi, I'm Bobby Lee, and I think you did call me. Yep. Um, and uh, before I begin, I'd just like to make sure that uh, uh, Supervisor Jane Kim gets this. This is uh, over two, 270. It's uh, for District 6. And um, I guess just a couple of points. Um, I want to really focus in, I guess, on the, the regulation that is being put in place. Um, I truly believe that if you make it too difficult for the regulation that you want to implement into this new thing that we're experiencing online with home sharing, uh, that it's going to be forced back underground. And when I say that, what I mean is if it becomes too difficult and too much registering and too much uh, fees and IRS and so many people being involved uh, in the money pot, uh, it'll just, you know, Craigslist or things. Um, I've always said if, if it got too difficult that there would be another techie in town that would just go to, in, to his basement and create another social networking platform to, uh, to be able to do this 
uh, in the lines of being, you know, within the legalities and perhaps even use Bitcoin or something just to get around it to keep it easy. People like easy. Um, so, uh, and in reference to the permission that is, in a sense, being given by the city because of its regulation, um, I believe it really comes down to the landlord and tenant because a lot of times um, I think the functioning aspect of this is going below the, the surface of the knowledge about the landlord actually being informed of it, and it comes down to um, actually getting permission from him. And I think if there's an agreement and there's no complaints going on, um, it, it seems to work fluently within the city, and I see that go along a lot. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, there were uh, Nelson Z, Eric M, and Catherine B. I called before. Are they not here? Okay. Um, then I'm going to call the uh, excuse me the last batch of cards that I have. Uh, Shireen Hosseini, uh, Daryl Gurley, Lila Sen, Skate, Paula Blacona, Claudia Reyes. Hello, my name is Paula. I bought my condominium um, in the mission where I live with my daughters uh, for the past two, 12 years. Um, due to extreme financial hardship, I started renting a room in my home. Nobody was evicted um, uh, for this purpose. Um, this has allowed me to keep a roof over our heads um, when I thought that the only option was going to be to sell and to move away. Uh, in fact, even though um, home sharing has saved my family, I'm still not financially secure enough, and I have to rely on this monthly income to survive. Um, committing to a permanent uh, roommate would not work for us, but a well-screened uh, short-term visitor certainly suits us very well. Um, there's a lot, I'm sure, that you've heard about the benefits of home sharing um, for the community, the local businesses, and uh, struggling families like my own. Uh, but there's one thing that I, I think it's important to mention, and it's that by home sharing, we're addressing um, a, a problem that is uh, providing um, affordable uh, space to stay for travelers that wants to stay in other neighborhoods that is not downtown. Um, if you take the mission as an example, there are no hotels um, that could accommodate remotely the amount of visitors that we receive. Um, and so I think that all we're doing is really creatively using uh, existing resources um, to accommodate this need. Um, I hope that you um, will protect families like mine and support the legalization and safe, uh, um, fair and um, home sharing in San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm sorry, can you repeat your name again? Just like... Paula Blacona. Okay, thank you. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Shirin Hosseini. I live in District 9. My name is Jerry Hosseini. I've lived in San Francisco since 2006. As an Airbnb host that lives on site and rents my extra room, I have two major issues I'd like to discuss, the 90-day cap and the mandatory registry. I don't want to go into too much detail about how much home sharing has helped me survive in a changing economic climate, not only in the United States, but in San Francisco particularly. I shouldn't have to echo the voices of countless home sharers that have come to show support for home sharing during the numerous meetings that have commenced regarding the issues and future regulation of this new economy. 
As the United States struggles with an evaporating middle class, unemployment, homelessness, massive consumer debt, and many economic barriers for upward social mobility, I challenge you to think broadly about what home sharing does provide. Instead of losing their homes, people stay in them. They're able to eat and clothe their children. They can pay the inflated rents that landlords have imposed, and they maintain the house according to higher standards, given that they must be a host versus just a resident. Further home sharing allows for increased tourism because many guests can't afford to pay for hotels. It gives them an opportunity to contribute to the tourist economy that any big city relies on, and it boosts small business. In my neighborhood, both the local restaurants and grocery stores are always utilized by my guests. A 90-day cap compromises home sharing as much as not allowing it. People are utilizing home sharing to pay to live in San Francisco. The cost of living here is well above average. It is important that we are allowed to rent our space whenever we see fit because the majority of home sharers are using that income to redistribute right back into the local economy. Further, a mandatory registry is an invasive abuse of power. It violates our privacy and is completely unfair. It allows for too much opportunity to target home shares, and we should be protecting people's right to home share and its privacy. The SF supervisors should consider that it's not safe to register our personal information, our pictures, and our identity for everyone to see and access. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Hi, I'm Skate. Thanks for having me back. Uh, as a homeowner and lifelong resident of San Francisco, I'm so very encouraged by this legislative process. I'm encouraged that Supervisor David Chu believed in the issue of home sharing deeply enough that he drafted new legislation that sought to legalize and regulate home sharing in San Francisco. I'm encouraged that the city is accepting the hotel tax Airbnb is now paying, thus legitimizing, in my eyes, home sharing in San Francisco. But now that we are closer to approving this legislation, it is important for us to look to the restrictions that might be placed upon it. I'm discouraged that it has been decided it would be too difficult to tell if someone actually lives in their own home, thus justifying an across-the-board time limit on home sharing. I'm, I'm discouraged that the time limit idea has been furthered, is still being considered, and will only drive hosts away from registering, not make it thrive. I'm discouraged that the city continues to pursue and shut down hosts like me who share rooms in their own homes while greedy landlords and developers continue to Ellis Act buildings and offer multiple listings in what should be affordable multi-unit apartment buildings. Homeowners who share rooms are not the cause of the housing shortage in San Francisco. We are not the reason for exorbitant hotel rates in undesirable neighborhoods or that hotel employees are paid in piecework with little or no job security. We are not responsible for buildings that are Ellis Acted, and we are not converting affordable housing stock into short-term rentals. Please do not paint us with the same brush as the bad actors who are hope you're hoping to regulate. Please allow us our income. Please allow us our dignity and the ability to work and stay in the city we love without restrictions on the number of days we can host. It keeps us in our homes and neighborhoods where we have lived, raised our children, and hope to retire one day. It's good for homeowners. It is good for our neighborhoods. It's good for our city. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Good afternoon. My name is Lila Sen. My husband and I are not hosts, but when we've traveled through Europe, Belgium, France, Switzerland, Austria, Germany, Italy, and the United Kingdom, we have always looked to stay in the small bed and breakfast facilities offered in private homes. They provide a unique personal experience and flavor of the city visited. 
that cannot be duplicated in any other way. This worldwide phenomenon of welcome visit visitors to share our homes encourages tourism and local businesses. It is allowed in every city, in every free country, and should be allowed here in San Francisco. America is, after all, held up as a beacon of entrepreneurship and enterprise. Owners, new and old, are trying to manage mortgages, taxes, and insurances, trying to keep their homes and maintain a dignified lifestyle. Many have been hard hit by recent financial difficulties. Instituting a crippling restriction, such as a 90-day limit, will make this impossible. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next speaker. Thank you. My name is Daryl Gorley. I live with West Twin Priests in an R1 uh, zone neighborhood. Myself and many of my neighbors that I've spoken to are against allowing short-term rentals in R1 neighborhoods because the people who bought there were counting on having the, the privacy, the lack of congestion that's associated with that type of neighborhood. The other thing that I'm, I guess, more of a question is what is the difference between an Airbnb, an Air bread and breakfast, and a normal bread and breakfast? Why can't the same laws that now are on the books, the rules and regulations and ordinances that apply to a more traditional bread and breakfast also be just include the, the Airbnb units? Why, why do we even need any new legislation? Uh, I guess that's more of a question than that is a, a statement. Illegal. But I'd, I'd like that question addressed. Anyone want to address it? <laughs> It's public comment, so if you if you have comments, okay. please. That's all. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Patricia Reyes, and I am here uh, supporting um, home sharing. Um, I have here, uh, we collected 4,000 signatures in the city of San Francisco. I live in uh, Outer Richmond, District 1, and these are uh, 264 signatures that I would like to give to Supervisor Marr. Um, you can leave it right there. Um, I've been a host in San Francisco, and I'm opposed to uh, limiting hostess rentals to 90 days. I understand that the need, that city needs to know how many days am I going to host when I am in town. However, I don't agree with supervisor choose amendment requiring me to report how many days I can host um, two times a year. I think that reporting how many days I host once a year should be enough. I, uh, the reason why I started uh, doing home sharing was because at one point my mom got sick and throughout the time she uh, became disabled and I was the only one who could take care of her. I had full-time jobs before I did this. I worked as a teacher. 
but I was always uh, forced to work full-time jobs. I had no support, and the only income that could help me to take care of my mom in a proper way when she was in a wheelchair and getting sick every time with no family support or not other income was home sharing. Uh, that was the income that could uh, allow me to uh, take care of her when nothing is easy out there. Struggling for one person is, is difficult in the city. Now imagine how much a struggle it was for me to take care of. Uh, thank you. Uh, I've now called all the cards uh, that I received. Is there any additional public comment on item number three relating to short-term rentals? Okay, seeing none, public comment is closed. Colleagues, uh, item three is back in the hands of the board. Uh, I uh, imagine that President Chu uh, will be returning uh, momentarily. Uh, so why don't we, if there are no comments at this moment, why don't we actually wait a minute for President Chu to arrive uh, now that public comment has ended? to ask about the case. Yes. Okay. So Supervisor Kim, I think, has a follow-up question for the planning department about one of the, for the planning department, for one of the comments that came up before. Yeah. So my question was regarding um, the female speaker that spoke about the, the quote-unquote party house next door to her house. Again, was wasn't explicit that this was necessarily on Airbnb, but was on some type of hosting platform. Um, and so, and she also mentioned that it's been under investigation for a year and a half. Currently, being that this practice is completely illegal and we're working to legalize it, I'm just curious what the challenges were um, in enforcing against this activity and why we haven't resolved it yet. Thank you, Supervisor Kim. Christine Ha, Planning Department staff. The particular property that the speaker was alluding to was a property in Telegraph Hill. We received a complaint that there were rentals of less than 30 days. We opened a complaint on the property. We contacted the owner investor that lives out of the country. We did find that a local property agent was hosting the property, so to speak. Um, we actually had a slightly easier time identifying that property due to the relatively low number of listings on that particular site. It's often very much a challenge to identify the property since the addresses are almost never listed on the websites. When we did contact the owner, we found later that the listing had been changed to more than 30 days. We kept the complaint open for some time to continue to monitor it. When we received other comments from folks in the neighborhood, we found that the listing had reverted back to a listing of less than 30 days. Um, when we have checked previously, the listing was then changed to often 60 days, which would qualify and be compliant with our planning code. Um, at this time, we contacted the owner investor as well as the local property agent and at this time, we have just received last week some long-term leases for the property, which we have not yet verified. Are there any additional questions, perhaps? 
Um, yeah, I guess my question would be, how do you think uh, the current form of the legislation will assist you in the future on making sure that these investigations aren't a year and a half long? Well, having a registry would go a long ways uh, into identifying whether or not someone is legitimately offering a short-term registry. That would be most, most valuable. Mm -hmm. And what about for the case where you're talking about where they're switching back and forth between under 30 days and over 60 days? You know, what is, what is something that we can do to make sure that we're able to properly enforce against that? We would like to have information from the hosting platform reported to us. As you know, with hosting platforms, there are literally thousands and thousands of them. There certainly does not appear to be any exclusivity in hosting platforms. So the big ones, of course, are Airbnb, VRBO, HomeAway, which is also owned by VRBO. But there are multiple, multiple sites. We find that there are sites that are niche sites that will market themselves to essentially um, other there would be a particular type of traveler from a particular country. There are variants of sites that are offered in different languages. Obviously, this is very challenging because we will not necessarily know the address of the property. We don't have any way to sift together all of the hosting platforms. Thank you. And, and so I apologize because this is a small piece of the legislation. And there's floating several different versions of it. And I'm curious if we did finally include um, having the hosting platforms um, register that they'll participate in the program and make sure um, that, you know, they're going to use, they're going to encourage their users to use registration numbers. Definitely. Clearly, we're not asking the hosting platforms to enforce against their users yet. But I guess I'm curious about one of the recommendations from planning was having a list of registered hosted hosting platforms that that planning department will understand as, um, I don't know what the word would be since we're not necessarily asking them for information yet, but that will participate in this legislation. That way, for the all the other sites that aren't on the list, we just know that all of those listings are illegal and we can just enforce against them. Deputy City Attorney Marlena Byrne, if I may, um, the current version of the legislation that's pending before the board does not include a reporting requirement on hosting platforms or a registration requirement on hosting platforms. So I guess what I would ask the authors is, or the uh, author, uh, uh, sorry. Uh, actually, if I could just qualify that, though, I have uh, circulated amendments for self-reporting on the part of hosts of the number of days that they're engaged in. Uh, and, and then there was another aspect here. You said that the hosting platforms, there were two things they didn't do. One was reporting days, and the other was what? Uh, there's no registry for hosting platforms. The registry is solely for the host, the actual permanent residents who would be engaging in this activity with their own units. There's no registration required for the hosting platforms. Right, but uh, every host who is registered would have to take the registration number and attach it to any online uh, advertisement okay. around their site. So that's yeah. another aspect, another way to get at this. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I understand now. I mean, it would have made a difference to have that list, the universe of hosting platforms, only if we're going to ask them to report quarterly to planning. Um, I guess if we're, we don't have any requests of them, it doesn't make sense to have that list. But it's certainly, I, I, I 
I imagine would be easier on the enforcement side if they knew which sites were cooperating and which sites weren't so that we could just, if we find a listing on one of these smaller sites that didn't, isn't working with the city that we can, we know that we can go after all of those listings on those kind of, those sites that aren't working with the city. But anyway, I think that's kind of just a whole nother thread of conversation. Okay. Um, so colleagues, uh, I know that super, so Supervisor Chu has submitted uh, amendments as described, uh, he described at the beginning and also distributed the, the written amendments to us. Uh, in addition, uh, I have proposed uh, two amendments which I distributed and there's one small uh, uh, tweak to one that I will read orally. Um, and then, uh, Supervisor Cohen, did you have an amendment as well? I can't recall. Yes, I know it's been a long day. Yes. <laughs> I did introduce um, some amendment language. It, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe yes. the city attorney is currently drafting that language. Yes. So it, we will have that shortly. Okay. So we can do it as an oral amendment? Okay. No. I'm sorry, yeah. what did you say? Uh, Deputy City Attorney Marlena Byrne, I actually have not been drafting it, but we could do it just as an oral, an oral amendment. amendment. I think the okay. information you gave us today um, is sufficient for me to draft language that's very precise. Okay. All right. And Supervisor Wiener, if yes. I need to reiterate, I can do that. Okay. So why don't you just restate your oh. oral um, amendment, and then we can uh, vote on that one first. Okay. Um, just give me one minute. If you want, we can defer it if you... Thank you. Okay. Why don't we uh, take President Chu's proposed amendments first? Thank you, colleagues. And, and let me first just take a moment again. Thank everyone who is here at the moment and who has been part of... Uh, this is now the third major public hearing on this matter, uh, as well as everyone who has been working with my office uh, for the better part of, uh, of many months, if not close to several years. Colleagues, thank you for your patience, as well as uh, for your amendments. Uh, legislation always gets stronger as we go through the public process and as uh, as members of the public and stakeholders and colleagues propose ways to strengthen it. Um, I have circulated a number of technical, really cleanup amendments that the planning department and DBI and our city attorney have offered. Uh, I do want to highlight uh, a couple of key amendments, though, that really, I think, do address some of the concerns that have been raised around enforcement. Um, first and foremost, uh, I have proposed language that would require the reporting of the number of days of short-term stays to the planning department, uh, that this be a report that we made. Uh, we've been going back and forth about how often to do this, but I think for now what I would like to propose is that we do this once a year, uh, that it be reported each year on January 1st the number of days uh, that a residential unit or any portion thereof has been rented as a short-term residential uh, rental. Uh, we also have amendments to direct the planning department to receive any civil or administrative penalties for enforcement, again, out of the spirit of making sure the planning department has resources to be proactive in their enforcement and not to be stymied by a lack of resources. Uh, and then to address the very real likelihood that as we engage in this new enforcement and regulatory program, uh, there will likely be changes, improvements that we can make 
Um, the legislation language that I have submitted would require annual reporting to the Board of Supervisors uh, every year of uh, the experience of the planning department in their administration and enforcement of our program, as well as recommendations regarding proposed amendments to Chapter 41A to really help address any adverse effects of short-term rentals. So uh, the idea is, uh, is as we learn what we're doing, we all know that the current situation the status quo is broken. And I certainly believe, and I think hopefully colleagues you will agree, that this is a legislation that takes a major significant step forward at addressing the situation. But just in case it doesn't get done perfectly, uh, we want to make sure that the departments have a regular opportunity to check in with the board to make sure that we are doing this. And frankly, from my perspective, this is something that's far superior to, for example, a ballot approach where we wouldn't be able to make changes in the future if, uh, if a measure to regulate and enforce these rules were passed the ballot. So uh, with that, colleagues, those are the, the major amendments. I hope that you can support them. I do also know of Supervisor Cohen's amendments and Supervisor Wiener's amendments as they were previously discussed, and uh, I am fully supportive of the clarifications around insurance, around, again, making sure the planning department has the resources they need, and, uh, and to make sure that we are addressing any emergency life safety issues with the suggestion that Supervisor Cohen has had about notices that we post. Okay. Thank you. So um, could I have a motion to adopt uh, President Chu's proposed uh, amendments? So moved. Okay. And can we take those amendments without objection? Okay. The amendments are adopted. Um, now, Supervisor Cohen. Thank you very much. The amendments that I'm proposing requires the host to post a notice inside their unit um, that details information for the locations of fire extinguishers in the unit or in the building, uh, locating the gas shutoff valve, um, also indicating where fire exits exist and if there are any pulled fire alarms. Okay. Thank you. Uh, and that uh, is an oral amendment that, uh, if adopted, will be reduced to writing uh, by the city attorney's office. Uh, and that I'll take that as a motion to adopt uh, that amendment. And can we take that without objection? Okay. Uh, without objection, that, emo that motion and that amendment is adopted. And then I have two am uh, amendments which I distributed. The first is uh, indicating that within six months of the effective date of the ordinance, after holding a duly noticed informational hearing at the Planning Commission, uh, at that point the controller could adjust fees. And the second one has to do with insurance, uh, increasing the insurance required to $500,000 and specifically uh, covering the uh, both, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, landlord and other tenants. Uh, there is one uh, tweak to the language uh, which I had distributed, um, adding in the second to last line uh, after uh, it says named additional insured and inserting the phrase shall provide coverage for and then continuing from there. I do have this in writing and I'll give it to the clerk and the city attorney. And so I would uh, um, move uh, that we adopt those two uh, amendments. Uh, colleagues, is there any objection to those amendments? Supervisor Cohen? Any objection to the amendment? No okay, so without, um, without objection, those two amendments are adopted. Um, are there any additional uh, amendments uh, to be offered at this time? Yes. Supervisor Kim. Um. So the only other amendment I wanted to add in is something that actually is already within our code, um, but I just want to kind of explicitly make it clear again, and this is around um, definitions of affordable, excluding affordable housing. 
um, that's funded by the city and county, state or federal, um, either acquisition, construction, or rehab. And um, it's an amendment that I've um, talked about with the city attorney's office. Um, I know currently, um, if you live in public housing or if you live in affordable housing, you are prohibited from subletting already. So I know that that um, is already within our code. But I, the purpose of putting it into this legislation is when the legislation is published um, and publicized, uh, members of the public won't be confused that now that we're legalizing this activity, that we're also then legalizing it um, for affordable housing units, um, which won't be changed by this legislation anyway. Um, but really, it's merely for, for notice purposes. Uh, Deputy City Attorney Marlena Byrne, if I may ask just a clarifying question, since I'll be adding this, um, if it's passed. You did mention when you first said that it, affordable housing, but then you said housing for acquisition, I think you said rehab, um, and I'm just concerned, uh, just wanted to clarify a word like rehab, you could be capturing something like a FEMA earthquake uh, okay. grant or something like yeah. that. Are you talking only about housing that's designated as affordable? Yeah, housing units? that's designated okay. as a hundred percent affordable. Um, I know for BMR each unit. Yeah. Okay. I know BMR units were already covered in um, President Chu's existing legislation. Yeah, this is not okay. going to cover buildings that aren't um, affordable okay. as under Mayor's Office of Housing. Thank you for the clarification, Supervisor Kim. Uh, Supervisor Cohen. Thank you very much. Supervisor, Supervisor Kim, so you're talking about um, Section 8 voucher holders, public housing in particular. Yeah, well, it's actually already prohibited right. by federal law for public housing sex, Section 8 voucher holders. But I, I wanted to include it in this legislation because when the legislation's passed and publicized and the news is we've now legalized this activity, I don't want there to be confusion amongst tenants that are living in public housing, in our 100% affordable housing, um, and also Section 8 voucher holders, that we've now legalized it for them. Um, we, we aren't changing that, those codes or rules. Um, so it's, it's really more for notice and education purposes than for anything that's substantive. Okay. Uh Thank you. So that, that is the uh, motion. The city attorney, do you understand what the motion is? Okay. Actually, I'm not sure. I, uh, so, Supervisor Kim, could you be very specific about the language about what you're, what you're adding? Um, I might ask the city attorney um, to specify how that language would look. Deputy City Attorney Marlena Byrne, um, as Supervisor Kim indicated, the ordinance already includes general language that states that this um, legislation would not legalize any subletting or other uses that are not currently allowed. So, for example, things like um, any program under any housing under our inclusionary program um, is not allowed to be subletted. And so this legislation would not legalize that. As I understand, um, what you want to clarify is to just add very specific language to make that clear here that any housing that is a designated affordable unit and has received money to be affordable from either federal, state, or local government entities is precluded from engaging in a short-term rental. Is that yes. correct? Okay, and I'm, I'm fine with that concept. Okay, uh, so Supervisor Kim has made a motion to amend as she has described, and can we take that without objection? Okay, without objection, that amendment is adopted. Colleagues, are there any additional amendments uh, to item number three? Okay, so no additional amendments are being uh, proposed today. 
Uh, President Chu, I see your name on the on the roster. Did you want to say something? I just again want to thank colleagues for all of your your uh, your hard work on this and your thinking. And uh, at this time, given all the work that everyone's done, I do hope and ask that you can move this out to the full board uh, with recommendation. Uh, I do think we we have to take a major step forward in this area, uh, move this conversation forward. I also want to thank the planning department, the Department of Building Inspection, and our city attorney who has been working on this. I think for about a year and a half. Uh, two years, as she's just reminded me. Uh, thank you for all your work, and, and colleagues, I do ask that we move this out to the full board for consideration uh, a week from Tuesday. Okay. Um, so, uh, colleagues, and um, Supervisor Kim. Are you going to make the motion? Oh, we can. Uh, anyone can make the motion. Okay. Um, I was just going to make closing comments. I wasn't sure what you were. Okay. Why don't we... Um, Supervisor Cohen. Would you like to make a motion to put it out? Add a committee with a positive a, recommendation. Yeah. I'd like to second, make a motion to, to move this item out of committee with a positive recommendation to the full okay, board. Okay, so the motion is to move item three uh, to the full board with positive recommendation, which would be heard a week from tomorrow. Uh, Supervisor Kim. I would, I would prefer, I, I will be happy to vote this out of committee unanimously if we do it without recommendation. Um, I just think that this is a complex piece of legislation and I was going to make some closing comments about you know what I would like to see ultimately at the end but I, I understand the direction of the land use committee today and so I'm, I'm, I would be fine with supporting it unanimously without recommendation out of committee. Um, President Chu, did you have feedback on that? Well, I, I do hope, colleagues, that um, after all the work we've done, I, I do ask for you to consider a motion to move it out with a positive recommendation, uh, if you're able to, um, as some indication that we have done some work here that has moved things forward. I do think and understand Supervisor Kim may still have some additional concerns that uh, we will likely have a conversation on at the full board, uh, if it's possible. Uh, and I know some of those conversations have just started today. I'm happy to uh, to engage further on this, but at least least to give some indication that uh, we have some forward positive motion on this. Uh, I'd like to ask that if that is something the committee would consider. Um, I would be fine putting this out with a positive recommendation. Uh, I, uh, you know, as I said at the uh, beginning, this is uh, one of those issues where, um, you know, everyone um, comes away with things that they like and things that they don't like. Uh, this has gone through an enormous amount of uh, process, and I know even before its first hearings, I mean, there's been so much discussion in the community about this. Uh, we know what the issues uh, are, and, uh, you know, I've, we've made a number of amendments uh, both two weeks ago and today. I know for me the two issues that were um, highest in my mind were the issue of uh, tightening up and expanding the insurance requirement, which we were able to do, um, as well as uh, triggering the automatic notification uh, to landlords when the tenant registers uh, in order for the landlord to be able to know what was going on in his or her building, as well as making sure that the tenant uh, did not uh, inadvertently get evicted uh, because they didn't tell their landlord, the landlord finds out, uh, and would be better for the landlord to know upfront. And if the landlord has an issue, tell the tenant that upfront, uh, rather than uh, the tenant finding out when a an eviction notice comes. So those are the t the two issues uh, that, for me, uh, needed to be uh, tightened up. And I think we've 
uh, done that. I know that uh, Supervisor Kim has uh, mentioned the possibility of extending uh, the 90-day maximum to hosted rentals. In other words, even if you're living in your own unit or your own house 365 days a year, you would be limited to 90 days of, of uh, short-term rentals. Uh, I think I mentioned at the last hearing I don't support that. Uh, when we're talking about someone's uh, own home, they have a spare bedroom, if they want to rent that out, to me it crosses a line to say to them uh, that uh, we're going to limit the number of days uh, that you can do that. Uh, when you talk about some of the real problems that we hear about with some of the short-term rentals, um, in my experience, it's when the host is not there. Uh, and you have people who are doing whatever it is that they're doing on vacation. When the host is there, those issues, I, I mean, obviously anything can happen, anything can arise, but if the host is living there, uh, it's not uh, an issue. And as I said at the beginning, the, the enforceability issue, uh, that's going to exist uh, regardless, and we have numerous uh, situations where you can't have perfect airtight enforcement. You rely on people in signing things under penalty of perjury to be truthful, and if they're not, uh, you know, people risk. Um, serious penalties. Um, I also uh, want to note I, I, am, I am sensitive to the concerns uh, expressed uh, by uh, some of the folks uh, from the, particularly the RH1D uh, neighborhoods. They may recall during the in-law legalization unit, I was also uh, uh, sympathetic to their uh, concerns and we uh, was, was on the non-prevailing side of a particular amendment uh, uh, to try to uh, address that situation. But I think here, given what we're doing in saying that you have to live, everyone, whether you're in a single-family home, a condo, an apartment, you have to live in the unit at least nine months out of the year. I think that dramatically reduces the risk of uh, these homes being hotelized, for lack, if, if that's a word, it's a word that people use. Uh, because your neighbors are going to have to be there at least nine months out of the year. I completely am I'm very sympathetic to situations where you have a single-family home neighborhood uh, and, and the homes are simply being rented out all the time without a host ever being there. Uh, that does have dramatic impacts on the character of the neighborhood. But because they have to live there nine months out of the year, I think that's greatly reduced. So I know that this legislation, uh, there, there are different people have different concerns uh, about it. I do believe that this is a reasonable attempt uh, to uh, regulate an area that right now is completely and utterly unregulated. And I think it's going to be a major step forward. And so uh, I am comfortable moving it out with positive recommendation. No. Supervisor Kim. Um, so if we're going to move it out with positive recommendation, I, I won't be voting for that. Um, I, I do, though, want to appreciate how far this legislation has come. Um, clearly, two years of work um, really did go into it. And I know that um, Supervisor Weiner talked about this in his opening comments, but this is certainly one of the more complex pieces of legislation um, that we've seen here at Land Use, amongst a couple of others. Um, but this is definitely on that list. And I just want to appreciate that there is an incredible balance um, of needs um, that we're trying to put forward here. Um, you know, I, I don't want to belabor this point, but my my commitment to 90 days hosted or no, not hosted really comes down to the fact that I just don't think the city can enforce hosted days. I, I just don't know how we can have people prove that they slept in their home 270 nights out of the year. Um, I just don't see any way we can do that without very intrusive investigation. Um, I, I appreciate um, the statement um, via perjury. I think that that's going to be helpful. It will certainly deter 
really good folks that don't want to lie um, from doing that. I just, you know, I, I, I just know that we have this group of actors out there um, that everyone should be really angry at in this room, um, which are the landlords, but also tenants that do not live in their units and have permanently taken these units off the market. And it's heartbreaking to talk to people that I've met that have been evicted so that these landlords or tenants can full-time Airbnb their units. And, and yes, Airbnb in your unit is a lot of work. It's clearly a business. Um, but I'm not even going to broach that subject of commercial activity versus private activity. Um, but given the scale of the profit that you can make, doing short-term rentals, I think it's enough of an incentive. And actually, frankly, people are hiring other folks to take care of their Airbnb hosting as well, either through cleaning and, and through the, the platforms too. So I, that's why I'm stuck on the 90 days hosted or not hosted. I would love for people to do this 365 days a year as long as they live in their unit. It's just that I still haven't come up or, and I haven't heard of a way for us to be able to differentiate between those good actors and those bad actors. Um, I get the argument about you own your home, so you should be able to do whatever you want with it. That isn't the current case. It is actually illegal for homeowners to do that. But I, I am okay with legalizing that activity. I might be open to something along the lines where, you know, single-family homeowners are exempt from the 90-day rules, but any apartments would have to stick to the 90-day rules, so we're really protecting our rental housing stock. Um, but I, I don't imagine that, you know, we have that support here at Land Use Committee today. Um, but that's an idea that I'll proffer up um, potentially for the future. I'll make a couple of statements, though, since we're about to push this out of committee. I'm really glad that Airbnb has committed um, to paying their hotel taxes. I think that is a step in the positive direction. And I also encourage them to work with the Treasurer's Office on the back tax issues um, as we move forward on this. I really do like the registry um, with a numerical ID. I'm OK with names not being listed, but having a numerical registration, I think that that will help greatly um, with enforcement. Um, I, the landlord notification, I think that that is, is good as well. We know that ultimately a lot of the liability, if something does go wrong, um, does go to the property owner, and I think the landlord notification does address that issue. It's not as strong, of course, as landlord consent, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy to support that measure. Um, and I'm glad that we are excluding um, units that are below market rate or subsub subsidized by the city, state, and federal government to be affordable. Um, if we are making units affordable, then you should be able to live in those units without having to um, Airbnb. And I'm glad that we've discussed the DBI code issues and we've clarified all of those. And the insurance, again, you know, I'm, I'm happy to stick with the amendment that Supervisor Weiner has proffered. I'm just not an expert on insurance, so it's hard for me um, to come up with a dollar amount um, with what they what, what that would look like. But I, I will just say this. I think a 90-day hosted or non-hosted is actually a nice balance. People continue to get to do short-term rentals. Um, the city can enforce against the good actors and the bad actors. Um, and I, I think actually that is a good balance. I, I don't see that as being too restrictive. Um, and if you want to rent for more than 90 days, I'd be happy to work with the planning department on on an expedited form of a conditional use authorization process for folks that are doing this 365 days a year. It is essentially a business when you're doing it full time. Um, you're changing the sheets, you're cleaning your house, you're contacting guests, you're welcoming them in. I mean, that, that is a hotel business. And, and I get that, you know, 
place, neighborhoods like the Sunset and the Excelsior, um, and also the Bayview don't have hotels, so it's nice to have that option um, for a tourist. Um, I, I do think there should be another avenue and pathway for those that small group of folks that are doing this full time. And if a CU is that onerous, although it doesn't seem like it from having watched pl past planning commissions, I've never seen you reject one of these. Um, and they seem to go through fairly quickly. Um, but if it is that onerous, you know, working with the planning department on an expedited process, if the, if the real onerous burden is the wait time to getting the hearing scheduled. But from my understanding, once the hearing is scheduled, they all pass, um, at least right now. So I, I, that, that's where my policy preference is. But I, I do really want to, um, I want to be able to make that feedback um, but still give full respect to the work that has happened thus far. I don't feel like we've fully vetted out all of the recommendations that came from the Planning Commission, um, which is why I prefer to send this out without recommendation and would be happy to support that. Um, but those are the things that I'm looking at. Um, but I'm glad that we're finally able to tackle this very complex complicated issue um, here at land use. Okay, thank you, Professor Kim. Um, with that, there is a motion on the uh, table to, oh, did you want to, uh, Supervisor Kim. Thank Supervisor you. Cohen, excuse thank me. You. That's okay, thank you. I know it's been a long day. A couple things. Um, Supervisor Kim said something that really made me think, and I also heard it echoed in the, co in the uh, comments from the, in, in public comment. And I've been warming up to the idea, and I share in the concern about rent control units being taken off the market and uh, being Airbnb'd. I think that is, that is real. And I spoke with the project sponsor a little bit earlier in the day, not the, the, legislati the legislation sponsor, earlier in the day about um, figuring out if there's some way that we can distinguish between a homeowner, a person who owns their own home, that lives in that home, and that wants to um, Airbnb out an additional room. I think that, to me, it makes sense and it's reasonable. I believe if you own, own your own home that there should not necessarily be a 90-day cap on it. Um, another, another issue, another point of concern is what if you have a home and it has five bedrooms in it, right? I think renting out one bedroom is, has one impact on one type of an impact on the, on the neighborhood, but renting out possibly four bedrooms in a, in a large um, single-family home could have some cumulative impacts that would have an adverse effect on the, on, on the neighborhood. Um, the other thing I was thinking about when we talk about good and bad actors, I think that that's hard to mitigate and regulate. I mean, we have a law on the books of the state of California, you must carry car insurance in order to operate a car. Well, we know clearly that people drive and operate vehicles without um, not only a license, but also a, a, uh, without car insurance. So I think that that, that, that trying to regulate um, the Airbnb market is going to be a challenge, as much as it has been a challenge for the state of California to regulate those bad actors that don't carry car insurance. One thing that also that I wanted to give a little voice to about in-law units: Do we legalize them? Should they be a part of Air Should they be a part of um, an opportunity to Airbnb or, or to not Airbnb? And I kind of look at this through an, through an economic lens. Because we're saying one message to people that can afford to own property in San Francisco, yes, it's okay for you to Airbnb, or b and I think that's what you said, Jane. <laughs> Airb, Airbeing, <laughs> um, a new phrase here. But it's okay to, to, for you to do it. But if you are a renter and you're renting in a legalized in-law unit, 
it's not okay for them? I don't know. It just seems like a little bit of a double standard that, that implies that if you're a property owner, you are available to have more flexibility. Um, uh, anyhow, those are, the, those are the three points that I wanted to say. I am comfortable with, a, um, with not being beholden to a 90 um, – to a, if a host is on site, then there should, they should have more flexibility and, and there should not be a 90-day cap. Um, and when it comes to the point of insurance, I, I'm not quite clear yet if $500,000 is the minimum or the maximum or what exactly the correct price point will be. I think we're going to um, – Supervisor Winner, who introduced this amendment, will probably have more conversation around it. I want to make sure that we're not requiring people to carry uh, insurance and then it be cost prohibitive for people who are looking, again, to stay in San Francisco that are going through these motions just to be able to continue to live here. So those are my comments. Thank you very much. Thank you, Supervisor Chu, for bringing this wonderful fun to us. And <laughs> to the dedicated people who have stayed with us all day, thank you. Thank you very much. Supervisor Kim. I just want to respond to Supervisor Cohen's question. Actually, yes, I am offering the suggestion that it would be different if you were a homeowner versus a renter. So um, if you are a single-family homeowner or perhaps even a condo owner, um, you would get an unlimited number of nights, hosted or no hosted. But if you are an apartment, there would be a strict 90-day hosted or no hosted. And this would at least protect the very issue that we've been talking about, which is you know, protecting our rent control housing stock um, and making sure that people are renting those units out to potential tenants. It's true homeowners that are living in their home, you know, it's, yes, they could potentially rent those units out, but that I think is, is a much more um, challenging question to address. I, I do have a small concern that in the future we're going to see homeowners then sell their home saying, well, now I'm not just selling you a home, I'm selling you a business as well, and you can make all this additional money from Airbnb, so now the house is valued at 1.5 million instead of 1 million. But you know, I, I'm not even going to go into that discussion because um, I don't think we're ready for that yet. Um, but anyway, so I, I just wanted to clarify um, your question, Supervisor Cohen. Thank you. Uh, just two uh, quick things. Uh, first of all, I, w whether or not the registration runs with a property, I, I don't know that it does. But regardless. Uh, even if it didn't, someone could buy a home, and if they're going to do a Airbnb, they could just register. Um, so, uh, and and I will say, in terms of the both the impact and enforceability issues, uh, it it actually really isn't that different between single-family homes and multi-unit buildings. And uh, you know, obviously, when you're in a multi-unit building, you're much more packed in with your neighbors. Uh, but when single-family homeowners do certain things with their properties, that can have tremendous impacts on other uh, homeowners and on their neighbors as well, even though it's, it's somewhat different. Uh, so I think treating the two similarly uh, uh, makes uh, sense. Uh, so, colleagues, we have a motion on the table by Supervisor Cohen to move item three to the full Board of Supervisors with positive recommendation. Uh, Madam Clerk, will you please call the roll on that motion? Supervisor Cohen? Aye. Cohen, aye. Supervisor Kim? No. Kim, no. And Supervisor Weiner? Aye. Weiner, aye. Two ayes and one no. Okay, Thank you, colleagues. The motion passes. Uh, Madam Clerk, is there any additional business before the committee? Oh, and actually, uh, I'm sorry, before we adjourn, uh, Supervisor Kim had made a request. Um, uh, could I, uh, could you recall uh, items one and two together? I'm, I'm sorry, can I? Could you recall items oh, one and two? We're going to rescind and revote. Okay. So items one and two, please recall. Okay. 
Got it. Can you please call recall items one and two? Yes, item number one is a resolution supporting supporting and encouraging development of policy to prohibit the transportation and export of hazardous materials. And then item two. Mm -hmm. And then item number two is an ordinance amending the planning code to amend the definition of residential unit and conversion requirements. Okay, um, can I uh, I'll entertain a motion to rescind uh, the votes on items one and two? And without objection, those, that motion is adopted. And could I have a motion to forward items one and two to the full board of supervisors with positive recommendation? So moved. And we'll do that without objection. Madam Clerk, is there any additional business before the committee? There's no further business. Then we're adjourned. Thank you.